You guys enjoying this? The Benny Hill theme? Four and a half minutes of the Benny Hill theme. How long until we lose all our listeners? I kind of picture this theme going in the background when I'm at Caesars and the employees are doing their thing there. This should be the official theme of Caesars Palace. I can picture them at the Total Rewards desk working to this music, and it's fitting really, really well. Enough with the Benny Hill theme. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff Wittellis. This is being broadcast live and also recorded live. April 10th, 2019 is the date. The time right now, 8.50, not 8.15. I wish it was 8.15, but it's 8.50 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a free roll, which started right now, right now at 8.50, but you have 25 minutes to get in there late with a full stack. $75 is being given away this week. First place, $40. Second place, $22. Third place, $13. Fourth place gets a very nice prize this week. Fourth place, if you manage to finish in that spot. I know other weeks we don't give away that much money. This week, if you finish in fourth place, you get... 0.0. Yeah. Nothing for fourth this week. 40, 22, and 13. Mr. Smith, 9999 from Norway, gave $50. Thank you to him. Angel Face, yes, a female listener. $15 came from her. And Crow Diddley gave $10. So 50 15 and 10 are the prizes this week. The free roll takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, as it always does. Find it near the top of the screen. And you need a separate account to play there, and the account needs to be validated uh, you need to either get me or Belly Buster, preferably Belly Buster, to validate your account and do it in advance. I think I got a request for it today. I just didn't have time. So uh, make sure you do it in advance to get validated. Only, only need to have it done once, and then you're good to play the free roll. But to qualify for the free money, make sure you know the rules. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase to understand the rules as far as winning the free money. So that started at 8.50, and late registration closes at 9.15. If you want to call the show, the phone number is, as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. It's an old 70s rotary telephone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston got some snow, and in fact, uh, it still has snow. I didn't go up there, but I, I saw it from a distance when I was in Las Vegas this past weekend, which I'll talk about shortly. 
You can chat in the chat room during the show if you're listening live. If you're not listening live, don't bother. There'll be nobody there. If you want to listen to the show in the archives, which is what most of you do, this is what almost everybody who listens to the show does. We don't have a big live listenership, but we still do the show live. Most of the listenership comes later in podcast format. Almost always the identical show listening in podcast format. Once in a while, I'll go back and edit something out that I either don't want there or I remove some terrible fail that just made the show sound crappy. So live, the, the advantage of live is that you get to really hear everything as it happens with no delay and no ability on my part to take anything back that goes out over the air that I don't want. The bad thing is if there's fail, then you have to tolerate it. And uh, I'll tell you, there's a weird thing that's happening on the Poker Fraud Alert server that I, I've been battling with. I've been battling with a few things on this new server since I put it up in January. There's some nice things about it. It's uh, it's much newer. It's better. It's got more memory. It's got a faster CPU. Uh, the forum performs much better than it did before. Before, if you were loading long threads like the Trump thread, it would take an eternity to load. Now it's fairly quick. So there's some nice things about the new server, but uh, there's been some issues with it. And not not hardware issues, but software issues. And I I've, remember there's some crashes and problems with the domain, not with the domain itself, but with uh, reaching the site. And anyway, I got all that fixed. But one thing I have not been able to figure out and I've been battling with is that at 11.55 Pacific time on most nights, but not all, but I think Wednesday is one of them, it does happen, the radio server just crashes and I have to manually restart it. I could put something in place to force restart it when it crashes, but I don't really want that for reasons I won't get into. So if this show disappears around 11.55, I'm going to try to remember to take a look at 11.55 and see if it goes down and then put it right back up. But if it does go down, that's what happened. And please just let me know in some way if it doesn't go right back up. I'm still trying to figure out what's happening there. I'll get it eventually. I always get these things. I always... At the end, I always figure it out, but sometimes it takes time, but it's very frustrating. Now, in the archives, you don't hear that. In the archives, I go back and edit it. In fact, one of the weeks when it happened, and it took uh, like 15 minutes for me to realize that it happened, and I basically talked to nobody for 15 minutes, I was so frustrated that not only did I fix this in post-production, but I actually re-recorded the portion that got cut out after the show and just placed it back in as if it was all in order. And you couldn't tell. I went back and listened to it. It sounded great. There was no way to tell that there was uh, piecing the show together hours after the fact. In fact, I even recreated a conversation I had with Trey Ruski where we had uh, his end, but part of my end got cut off. So I had to re-record the part of my end that got cut off. And it, and it sounded like we were right there in the same room talking. We're going to have him on tonight, by the way, in case you're wondering. You can text me at any time during the show, 775-372-8355, which is our main phone number. Don't forget the call to listen line. That's a, a great thing to use if you don't have very good cell reception and you're out on the road. It does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, doesn't require the internet or a computer. All you need is any phone in the world which can dial. 605-313-0736. 
605-313-0736 is the number to the call to listen line. It's located in South Dakota, and you just call up and listen. You can hear the live show when we're doing it, or when we're not live, you can call that and hear our streaming reruns, where we stream reruns as if they're new, as if they're live. And then when that's over, it picks another and another and another. We have almost 300 shows in the library to choose from. We're almost up to episode 300. In fact, I have to. I hope we haven't passed it accidentally. I, I know we're close. I have to look that up. So, I think that's about int- it with the intro aside from the agenda. Oh, yeah. If, if you want to listen in the archives, you can use the TuneIn app. You can also use that to listen live. You can use Stitcher. You can use iTunes, Google Play. You can play the MP3 from the Poker Fraud Alert server. Just go to the radio forum and click on the MP3 there. And Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio on TuneIn, and it will play the live show or the streaming reruns. And if you want to hear the last episode of this in the archives, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast on TuneIn. Just add the word podcast, and it'll play the last episode. Lots of ways to listen. If you want a new way to listen that I'm not including, and it's not too difficult and not too expensive, you can let me know. Preferably text me and give me the suggestion. Here's the agenda tonight. I'm going to quickly talk about my flight. Remember I told you I'm taking a flight to see how I can do with one since my anxiety problems started in August? Not about flying specifically, but just uh, my severe anxiety that uh, developed back then in August and uh, severe depression, which came at the same time. Like uh, I knew taking a flight was going to be difficult, and I waited some time to try, but I finally did on April 4th. I'll tell you how that went. Poker Fraud Alert got denied a media credential for the World Series of Poker. We had it for seven straight years. And we did not get one for 2019. I will tell you why that happened. A female social media personality, not a huge one, but she's got a moderate following, has decided to become a professional poker player, and she registered for a small tournament in Las Vegas, got accidentally put in a big tournament, meaning the wrong one, with a big buy-in that she didn't pay, She realized it and didn't say anything, and then ran up a stack. I'll let you know what happened from there and the aftermath, which was kind of comical. Mike Mattisau started a new podcast. Now, if you remember, we had him on here. I think it was last year, and it was kind of unscheduled. We just threw him on, and he talked for a while. Uh, Cal Watt texted him and arranged the phone call. And I had even mentioned before, I didn't know Cal Watt even knew him, but even aside from that, I had mentioned before he would be someone that we could have on this show because I've always had a good relationship with him pretty much uh, ever since I came into poker. And, and that still remains true. So I'm going to play his podcast, not all of it. I'm going to play parts of it because there's a part where he's talking about full tilt and gives you a lot of insider information that wasn't previously known. I'm going to play it. I'm going to comment on it. And I'll give you some of my takes on Mike himself, very uh, controversial figure, someone who will be the first to admit he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. I'll tell you what I think of him, and we'll play parts of his podcast. I found it to be very interesting, especially that uh, first half hour or so, 
where he talks about full tilt. A lot of new stuff came out there. A Latvian bot on America's card room malfunctioned heads up in a tournament and with the first place money on the line, the bot folded every hand heads up. <laughs> so I'll tell you what happened there and what America's card room is doing about it. Charlie Carroll, poker player, fairly young guy, known for wearing colorful clothing at the poker table. He's a tournament player. And uh, we talked about him last when we mentioned a girl named Hannah who claimed to have a psychological condition called DID, which is basically like multiple personalities, but where the personalities like all have an identity and don't know about each other. And the person just kind of uncontrollably switches between them. So she claimed to have this and Charlie was dating her. One of her personalities was even men or was a man, not men, but a, a man, at least a man. She had like seven personalities. Supposedly there was, there's a suspicion that this was being fabricated. So Charlie was with her. He went on a podcast with her, but we're not talking about Hannah this time. They're still together, I believe, but uh, we're not going to talk about Hannah here. We're going to talk about Charlie Carroll and his new, very weird charity called abundance that he's been pitching online for investors. And he even thinks that there's a chance it will become so big that it will eventually challenge Amazon for its business. Yeah. He also did a video talking about a new beef he has with Doug Polk. So we're going to, we're going to explore Charlie Carroll and his recent videos. Something I always enjoy. I always enjoy playing videos on the show and commenting on them. I'm also going to be playing Mike Mattis House podcast and commenting on it, but that's going to be more of a serious segment. Uh, this is not going to be a serious segment, the, the one with uh, Charlie. I always love fun, finding uh, crazy videos or even podcasts that we can make fun of on the show. That's real. People ask me, what's your favorite thing to do on the show? What's your favorite segment as the host? And that's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing to do. I've said that before. Whenever I can find one of those, I love it. In fact, the the topic we're going to do about the female social media personality, she had a video too and deleted it. I'm like, oh, why did you delete it? It would have been so perfect for radio. It totally would have been. I was so, so frustrated to find that was gone. But at least we have Charlie Carroll saving the day. For online poker players, those of you who still play online, I'm sure you cringe when you go to your favorite online poker room and it updates the software. I doubt by this point you think, oh, good, an update. I bet it's going to be better. No, you're probably fearing it's going to have a lot of bugs. The interface is going to suck. They'll make unwanted changes, etc., etc. That's always been my experience, except with a company like PokerStars that's very competent with releasing software updates. But in most of the other sites, especially ones you can play from the U.S., they've done a very poor job with updates. It just seems like it gets worse and worse. So this happened to an extreme with Bovada. This is one of the worst-received updates ever. Bovada and Ignition have updated their poker client. It's absolutely terrible. Everybody hates it. It has countless problems. Just every time you think you've listed all the problems, you find new ones. 
We'll talk about what's going on with Bovada and Ignition and, and why they may have done this. Bruce Dayfick, I think that's how you say his name, he was the owner of the Ocean Resort in Atlantic City last year, which took over for the Revel, which closed for a while. And it's the same property. The Ocean Resort has since been bought by another group, but Bruce Dayfick was the one who reopened that property recently. Well, he's not going to be opening any more properties because Bruce Dayfick at the age of 64 is dead. Yeah. So I'll tell you about Bruce Dayfick and how he died and uh, what's been going on with Ocean Resort. A video was released of Adam Pacman Jones cheating in the casino. We've talked about this on a recent show, but a, a video was actually released of him doing the cheating, which I can't play a video on this show since it's audio only, but I'll tell you what's in the video. I'll tell you how to find it, and I'll play you a news report about what ended up happening to Adam Pacman Jones, who not only was caught red-handed cheating, but also resisted arrest and threatened gaming control officers. He did a lot of bad things. You'll hear what kind of sentence he ended up getting. Speaking of court, Mike Dentali, remember him? He appeared in court, but not real court. He appeared on the People's Court recently. Yeah. Tell you what happened with that. Final topic. Remember Alex Jacob appeared on Jeopardy and did really well? Well, he's not the only Las Vegas area gambler who can do well on Jeopardy. In fact, I can say now that Alex Jacob is the second best gambler at Jeopardy. There's now someone who's passed him. James Holzhauer, a sports better from Vegas, just set a record on Jeopardy. So I'll tell you about his appearance as our final topic. Let's try to find young Traderuski. And uh, then we will move on with the show. While I'm searching for Traderuski, you might wonder, why was there no show last week? First, I said the show will be on Wednesday. Then I said it's not going to happen Wednesday. It'll be on Thursday, late at night at midnight. Then that just never happened. Then I said it'll be on Monday. Then that never happened. And here we are on Wednesday, a full week later. The show is back, but how did we lose a week here? Well, did I get sick? No, was not sick. What happened? What happened was that my flight was on Thursday. You know that flight? That was Thursday. I could have done the show Wednesday, but I said, no, nah, I want to spend Wednesday with my family since I'm leaving from Thursday through Sunday, late Sunday night. I'll just do it from Vegas on Thursday. So I got to Vegas, got all ready to do the show, and notice that I forgot my equipment. <laughs> yeah. so that's what happened. I had no equipment. So I said, okay, well, I'll do it on Monday after I get back. And then I said, you know what? We're so close to Wednesday. Screw it. I'll just, I'll just do the show on Wednesday. <laughs> so that's what happened. Embarrassing, but that's what happened. Let's put Trader Ruski on now. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Risky, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so 
I want to just start right off here by telling you guys about my flight, which normally would not be a big deal. I wouldn't ever talk about a flight unless something bad or weird happened. But nothing bad or weird happened on this flight, which which is good because, as I've mentioned on previous shows, the changes to my psychological health, which occurred in August and pretty severely and abruptly occurred, something I never thought I'd have to deal with, never had a history of any of that type of stuff, but it was brought on by a physical problem that I've talked about and then affected my brain, and it, it kind of broke my brain for a while. It, that's the best way of putting it. It messed up my brain, messed up the chemical balance of my brain. Something happened in there to where I wasn't the same anymore. And there's been it's been a recovery since then. It's been a recovery period, a slow recovery period. And about 80% of it was better by mid-November, after dealing with it for about three months, the first month being really terrible. And then since then, it's been a slow improvement, and the one thing I had not done and kind of feared doing was taking a flight. Not out of fear of it crashing. That wasn't it. That wasn't it at all. It was just the whole environment on a plane that I wasn't sure, given my anxiety, that I could handle anymore. Um, You're just basically trapped there. And... There's no backing out of it. You know there's no backing out of it. It's not like you're in a hotel where you can always just leave if you feel uncomfortable. Not like a car where you can just pull over. You're on a plane. You're, you're trapped there. So if, it's, if it is not working out well for you, you're just stuck. So I, I was thinking this is going to be the final thing that I have to test to live my life normally going forward. If I can do this, then provided nothing gets worse... Or return to the state it was in August and September, then I can tolerate what remains of these problems. So, I booked a flight to Vegas, which I don't like doing. I don't like fly, flying between LA and Vegas. It's a waste of time. I don't live particularly close to the airport. And there's traffic, and there's the whole check in process, and you have to be there early. And then once you land, you got to get your baggage, and then you got to get a car. I mean, it's it's not only expensive by the time you do all that, but it's also a big waste of time. And sure enough, I actually took longer from the door of my house to the door of the hotel. It took me longer than had I driven the whole thing. Not that much longer, but a little bit longer. So I not only didn't save time, I actually lost time. And I didn't get to the airport with a lot of time to spare. In fact, I was almost late for the flight. So it definitely was not a factor of me giving myself too much time at the airport. Had I gotten there at the time I probably should have, it would have been even longer, that trip. So I really just don't like flying to Vegas. I don't like flying anywhere that is fewer than 500 miles away. I I call that the 500-mile rule. If it's 500 or more, I'll fly. Uh, if it's less than that, I'm going to drive. So I don't fly to Phoenix. I don't fly to Las Vegas. I don't fly to San Francisco. None of that stuff. I always drive. Just too much hassle. I will fly to Salt Lake City. I will fly to Seattle. I will fly to anywhere else that's more than 500 miles away. This flight was just a test. I did not want to be stuck in the air too long if it didn't go well. So I didn't want to do a test flight to New York and be stuck on the plane for five hours. That could be hell. 
So the precautions I took, number one, the short, the flight was going to be short. Number two, I bought a first-class seat, which isn't that expensive because the flight is short. Number three, I bought a little handheld fan. Why? Because when there's air blowing on my face, for whatever reason, I, I feel less anxiety. So I brought the fan, and then I also brought Xanax with me. I took uh, 0.25 milligrams before getting on the plane, and uh, I also had more Xanax with me in case the, that wasn't enough. But I decided – this was actually a suggestion by uh, Poker Fraud Alert listener Pooh. I said I was just going to take 0.5, and he said, no, 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 don't do that. Just – just do 0.25, and if you don't feel this enough, then take the second 0.25. So, yeah, that's a good idea. So that was my plan. So I took the Xanax. Then I was disappointed to see that we were really weren't boarding, and there was a bit of a delay. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, crap. Hold on, Xanax. Don't work yet. But anyway, Xanax, it's, it's at least for me, I start feeling the effect after about five minutes, and then it peaks after about an hour. And then after about two hours, it, it starts to go down pretty sharply. So since the flight is, is less than an hour, I knew it would probably still be fine as long as the delay wasn't too long. So I got there, and I have to say I I was happy with all my decisions. The only thing I really didn't need was the fan because the air vents on the airplane were pretty strong, so I didn't need the fan. Sometimes they're strong, sometimes they're not. You never know. But uh, I was happy with everything else. The Xanax, I felt very good with the Xanax. Only took the .25, never had to take more. I felt kind of relaxed the whole time. Not like out of it, not like sedated, but just kind of relaxed, even kind of a little bit happy. Um, the first class was very nice. It was uh, There was a guy next to me to my right that I didn't know, but uh, big spaces there where there's, it's almost like he's not there. I took an aisle seat. So first class on the aisle was perfect. In fact, somebody else who listens to the show who has anxiety issues said, you know, without even knowing what I did, the guy's like, you know, let me give you a tip for flying. You should take first class and get an aisle seat. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I was very happy with that choice. And the flight was in the evening, by the way. And uh, what was also nice was that the plane, because it was in the evening, they had the plane kind of darkened and they had this, like, blue or purple colored light in the plane, which is actually kind of soothing. So it was kind of a good atmosphere there, too. I loaded up my phone with some upbeat music and listened to that. It all worked. Not only didn't I have any issues, but I was not ever feeling anxious at all at any time. I felt great. I could, I when I got off that flight, I'm like I could have done this for four more hours, no problem. There wasn't even the slightest problem. I even went to that tiny bathroom on there, <laughs> no problem. You know, like it, it was like a normal flight. It's like we're back in July again, for that flight at least. So that went great. So I said, you know what? I, I don't even need to do a, a second test. I don't even think I need to do a like my next step was going to be taking like a two and a half hour flight. I'm like, screw that. I don't even. I don't need to do that anymore. I can I can fly where I want now, at least within the country. I don't know if I could take like a 15-hour flight at this point. But uh, like if someone said I needed to fly to New York tomorrow, I totally could. I would take the Xanax again. I'd do everything I did here. And buying an expensive first-class seat might be a pain in the ass because some flights it's like really expensive depending on where you're going and 
how much demand there is, but uh, I can do it now. I'm not grounded anymore like I thought I was. So that was a wild success. I actually ended up staying at the Rio of all places. Only because it was a weird weekend that was very expensive. I'm not sure why. But it was unusually expensive that weekend. So I stayed at the Rio. And it really felt weird being at the Rio when it wasn't the World Series time. I felt like I was there for the World Series. Especially because it's a similar time of year. If I was at the Rio in December, then I'd walk outside. It'd be all cold. It wouldn't feel like World Series time. But here, it was an unusually warm weekend. So it almost felt like summer. Not quite, but kind of felt like it does really feel sometimes in like late May there. So I know I'm there in the spring at the Rio. I, I, I had to remind myself I'm not going to wake up the next day and play the World Series. And in fact, it kind of got me excited for the World Series to be there. I was disappointed I had no World Series event to play there. So yeah, it went well. And I thank everybody who sent me encouraging messages about it or asking how it went. But yeah, it went very, very well. And what makes me happy now is that I can return my life to normal. Because that was something that was very bothersome to think, oh, I can't do such and such anymore. I'd see a vacation destination, which looks really nice. And instead of thinking, oh, I want to go there someday or... Oh, let me think about planning a trip there. Instead, it's like, nope, can't go there. I had to fly. Like, that's what kept entering my mind, and I'd get depressed. So it's good. I was able to do it. The Xanax definitely helped, though. I'll say that. <laughs> so if it is a five-hour flight, I probably, have to, I probably would have to take a second one. Unless I, unless I felt I didn't need it. But I, I definitely felt the effects there. I know it's only 0.25, and it wasn't a, a major change in me, but I could definitely feel that it brought down the uh, possibility of getting anxious on there. I was just very relaxed, just kind of just there listening to music, just relaxed, everything was fine. In fact, thinking back to it is what's weird is thinking back to it. Like it, it kind of feels like I should have been stressed there, but I wasn't at all. I had to keep reminding myself I was not stressed at all. Like I think about it, I go, you know, maybe I actually was stressed and didn't realize it. I go, no, no I, I wasn't. It was totally fine. Okay, so I want to talk about the media credential because this was pretty much a shock to me. The World Series of Poker issues world media credentials to media outlets that apply for them. Back in the days of Neverwin Poker, we attempted to apply for one. Not right away, but I think the first time we applied for one was in uh, 2008. And we got rejected. Why? Because Neverwin Poker was known to be kind of a dirty site with a lot of pornography and uh, a lot of uh, very controversial posts. And and, uh, there's a lot of material up there, a lot of shock material on the site that I didn't particularly love. You know, I liked the free speech atmosphere, but I always felt like it was a little bit too far. I didn't attempt to censor it, but I, Mikon, who was the you know main owner along with uh, Dustin Everyone Wolf, Mikon was very very obsessed with the whole free speech thing, and I, I was kind of on board for it. And I like free speech forums in general, as you've seen from my forums that I run currently myself. 
but uh, this was taken too too far of an extreme where people could just post like shock content just for the sake of posting shock content and uh, the site developed a reputation of being kind of a very raunchy place which it was it was a correct reputation which which is also too bad because sometimes there's a lot of uh, good material that wasn't raunchy on there that the site didn't get enough credit for for having a, a serious side that was good as well anyway uh, the World Series of Poker did not want any association with that so um, there was something that happened. I don't remember the story anymore. Jeffrey Pollock was the director of the World Series at the time. And something had happened. I forgot what it was. But something had happened, and he and Mikon had some sort of... Uh, like, he called Mikon in to discuss it with him. I forgot what happened now at this point. Oh, I know what it was now. Okay, I remember the whole thing. It, it was about our supplying. So what we we applied for a media pass and we got a response back from just some low level employee there, a, a, a girl, probably in her early twenties, and she said that we were rejected because our site didn't have bylines. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? Our site doesn't have bylines. This is back in '08, by the way. I, I was looking. What do they mean by that? And so what they really meant is that our site did not have bylines on our articles. And I'm like, they totally don't understand this. We're we're a, a forum. We don't put articles up. I mean, there were front page articles, but the we were a forum that really did report on a lot of things in poker. We really were media. We just weren't uh, a news site. So I'm like, well, this is kind of strange. Well, I made the mistake of posting the email, the rejection email, publicly, including the name of the girl who rejected us. And again, it wasn't personal. I don't think I don't even think she knew about Neverwin Poker or what it was or the controversial content on there. She just went and looked and like, oh, I don't see bylines. Okay, I'm rejecting them. So I thought that was kind of funny and kind of weird. So I just posted the exact email that she sent me, including her name. Well, that was a mistake. Think about the users that were probably on a site like Neverwin Poker. What would they do when they see such a thing? Of course, they went and looked up this girl, and they found her Facebook or MySpace or something, whatever it was at the time. They found a lot of pictures of her. Then they started photoshopping the pictures of her with penises on her face and really disgusting stuff. And she didn't deserve it, you know. This I, I I didn't approve of any of this. And before I could do anything about it, like by the time I even saw it that it had happened, it had gotten back to her that this had occurred. And that's, so Jeffrey Pollock was very, very upset about this and contacted Micon and said, I want to talk to you about this. And he told Micon, you know, this girl was in tears. She didn't expect this. She was just doing her job. And now there's, you know, there's people that have uh, made disgusting pictures of her from the, the, that they took off of her, her MySpace. And they've uh, like, and I understood the complaints. Like they said, you know, she was, she can't believe this happened and you've got to get control of this Micon. So, now, Micon, to his credit, he said that, you know, look, we, we didn't intend for this to happen. It was We we just posted the rejection letter because we thought it was entertaining, and we didn't realize the users would do this. We should have known. Sorry about that. We'll take it down. We'll tell people to stop doing that. So Micon smoothed it over. And then at the end, Micon said, well, why? Uh, he, so he said, well, why did you reject us? 
And the guy said, well, you know, the girl wasn't really familiar with your site. And, you know, she just looked for those bylines. And Micron said, oh, that's what I thought. So now that we're past that and now that I'm going to be removing the content that you don't like about this girl, can you actually give us the media pass? <laughs> and Ty, uh, and so not Ty Stewart, uh, Jeffrey Pollock said, uh, yeah, I guess I can. Yeah, 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 sure. Remove the stuff. Send me a message when it's been done. And I'll get you the pass. So Micon came back and said, "Good news! Not only is the world, not only have we smoothed it over the World Series, but uh, they're willing to give us a pass now. So maybe it's not that bad that all this happened." <laughs> so I said, oh, "Okay, you know, I still feel kind of bad, but all right, at least we get our pass." Well, then we didn't get our pass, and we're like, "What the fuck? What happened here? Je- this is Jeffrey Pollock. He's the, the head of the World Series. Like, how how are we getting denied?" So Micon went back to Jeffrey Pollock, who. Uh, well, he, we tried to call Jeffrey Pollock. Remember, this on three-way. We tried to call him, and we couldn't reach him. And instead, we were put uh, on the phone with Seth Polanski, who I'd never heard of before. He was an unknown at that time. Now, anyone following the World Series now knows Seth very well. He's one of the top managers there. He's the one who manages all the media stuff. But uh, nobody knew Seth then. I don't know if he was new to the company or new to the World Series, but this is the first time I'd ever heard of him. He was put on the phone with us, and he, was, like, he wasn't really ready for the conversation. And he said to us, well, I, I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, never when poker is never going to get a media pass under any circumstances. <laughs> Those were his words. And I said, wait, well, why not? And so, he's, so he says, well, you guys have a lot of content on there that's, that's offensive. And I, and I said, well, you know uh, – yeah, that, that shouldn't really matter for you. Media credential, you're not endorsing us, so uh, he wouldn't do it. So we went. So Mikeon went back to Jeffrey Pollock, and Jeffrey Pollock's like, "Yeah, you know, uh, we actually decided we're not going to do it." And Mikeon's like, "What? No, look, we had an agreement here." So finally, Jeffrey Pollock relented, but said the only way we could get our media credential was if Mikeon made his own separate site that was separate from Neverwind Poker, and they'd give us credentials based on that. So we ended up getting our media credentials for Neverwind Poker under the official... Uh, officially, we were getting our passes as employees of BrianMicon.com. <laughs> so I was working for BrianMicon.com, <laughs> which, which was nothing. There was, like, nothing there. So that's how we got our pass. Well, or maybe there was an 09. Maybe it wasn't 08. I think it was 09, actually. Um, the, in, later in 09, uh, Neverwind Poker ended. And we started a new site called Donkdown. And Donkdown was less offensive and outrageous compared to Neverwind Poker. And that was because of me, because I, at this point I was a, a much higher percentage owner of Donk Down than I was of Neverwind Poker. And I, I had said that this is one thing that was important to me, that we cleaned it up some. I said, I still want it to be a free speech site, but I don't want it to be a place where there's just gratuitous porn, uh, you know, gratuitous racism, gratuitous stuff like that. I said, I, I don't want to see stuff like that on the site. That's, that's abusing the free speech model. We shouldn't just have content on there that's outrageous for the sake of being outrageous, offensive for the sake of being offensive. You know, I, I don't enjoy seeing this stuff... And most people coming don't enjoy seeing this stuff. Most people coming there do want to see unfiltered, uncensored content, but they don't want to see just 
stuff being posted to shock people. You can find that elsewhere on the web. I don't want that here. So Mike on agreed, and so we uh, uh, we, we set some light rules down as far as what could be posted. So the following year, and at this point I knew very well who Seth Polanski was in 2010, applying for a, a media pass, I specifically mentioned, hey, look, uh, we're a lot cleaner now. Your concerns about Never Win Poker should be no longer because a lot of the stuff that you guys didn't like uh, doesn't exist anymore on this new site. We've cleaned it up. And go take a look. So they took a look, and at that, so what happened at first was I think we got rejected again. <laughs> but uh, um, I think I think there was what happened. Um, I think we got rejected, and I asked why were we rejected, and then Seth took a look at it personally and said, "Oh no, no, it's fine. Put it through." I think it was something like that. Whatever it was, we got our pass under Donk Down. Didn't have to do this Brian Mike on crap anymore. So. I got it. Mike, I got it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if everyone got it, but uh, we got our passes. So I had my Donk Down Media Pass. Then again in uh, 2011. Well, then I left Donk Down in the late summer of 2011. So Poker Fraud Alert started in March of 2012. So the summer of 2012, I was going to need a pass for Poker Fraud Alert. So when I applied, I put I had. Uh, Passed from Donk Down for the last two years, and uh, everything was fine, as well as the one from BrianMikeOn.com the year before. Everything was fine. See, one other thing they were worried about was that we were going to cause trouble. Because they see kind of like the rebellious sort of site that just uh, is full of degenerates and full of uh, aberrant behavior. They're afraid that if they give a media pass that we'll use that to be outrageous and cause trouble. And we said, no, that's not, we're, not, we're not looking to do that. And we didn't. We didn't cause any trouble. We didn't break any rules. So I said, look... I've had a pass for the last three years. Everything's been fine. We followed all the rules. So please issue one to Poker Fraud Alert. Well, sure enough, Seth issued one to Poker Fraud Alert. And every year, I've just been effortlessly reapproved. You have to reapply every year, no matter who you are. But every year, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I got approved. And I had a media pass. At one point, they changed a rule, which is a little bit of a pain in the ass, where you have to turn in your media pass every time you play an event. And when I didn't do that at first, Seth yelled at me. <laughs> so, so I wasn't sure how much they were enforcing it. That was the only rule I didn't follow. It was, was At first, I wasn't turning it in because I, I just thought it was something that they weren't going to really worry about too much. But they did, and Seth was kind of pissed. So I mean, he wasn't really pissed, but he kind of scolded me about it. So I said, sorry, you know, I, I'll do it from now on. Other than that, uh, I always followed every rule that they set forth. I was very respectful of that. Uh, we we really were media. If you think about it, go back and look at our archive shows from every World Series since the site has existed. We spend a lot of time each week during the World Series discussing World Series matters. That's what most of those episodes are about. Hours and hours each week discussing the World Series. So we really do cover the World Series. And, and there's forum content about it as well. So we, we, we really are uh, poker media. There's no question. And in fact, these days you'll notice sites like Poker News, which are quoting us and linking us all the time. So there's no question that we're media. Uh, we're not traditional poker media, but we are definitely media. And they, they knew that. Uh, last year when I was in the media room and... Seth, Seth was there, like, he's always there, like, during business hours, pretty much. 
but he even brought up the radio show and talked about it with me. So they're very aware of this site and what we do and about the show and, and all that. And I was always fair to the World Series. I was never an ass kisser. You know, they're, they're very sensitive about being criticized on social media. They really are. They don't like it. But I never let that worry me. I always said I'm going to cover the World Series fairly. I'm not going to be a hater. I'm not going to look for every little thing to criticize them. There's there's a lot of Caesars haters on Poker Fraud Alert and even among the audience of the radio show. A lot of people who just love to hear bad things about Caesars. They love to hear about Caesars fail. I, I admit some of the stories are funny. That's why I tell them. But but the truth is that I'm not looking to say negative things about Caesars or the World Series. I'm looking to say the truth. And when the truth is bad, I say it. And when the truth is good, I say it. And when someone is unfairly criticizing Caesars of the World Series, I will say it. And I have. In fact, look at the recent segments we've done about uh, like Jeff Boski, where I was talking about how he screwed over the World Series. He was trying to steal from them. That I felt they should ban him. Uh, and there's been other times where people have accused them of things that uh, I didn't feel were fair. And I would be among the few to step forward and say, no, I don't agree. The World Series was in the right here. So I really approach this very objectively, very neutrally. Uh, If I hated the World Series, I wouldn't play in it. I wouldn't leave my family for weeks at a time during the summer to go play it if it was something I hated. I obviously enjoy it. Uh, I I also can understand something of that size. There's going to be fail. There's going to be mistakes. I also understand they do some stupid things sometimes that they shouldn't, that you know, mistakes that shouldn't happen. I also understand there's people who are overly harsh on them. I also understand there's people who will blame them for things to cover up for their own mistakes or failures. And I point that out too. So I always thought I was fair. So that's why when I got denied for 2019, it was just a very quick, almost like form letter saying you're request for your media credential has been denied. That was pretty much it. Didn't give me a reason. I'm like, what the hell? So a lot was running through my brain. Why would they have denied Poker Fraud Alert a media pass after we've had one for seven years and I had one on previous sites for three years prior to that? Why ten straight years of media passes? Why Why this year do I, do I not get one? What did I do wrong? Well, the first thing my mind went to was John Mahaffey, who had a dispute with the World Series over WSOP.com and some problems he had there. I won't go into all that again. But that I felt they didn't treat him fairly. And I made that known. I, I didn't become a crusader on his behalf. I, uh, I just stated my opinion that I felt he was in the right, both on the show and on Twitter. I was wondering if maybe uh, they were so bitter at John that my support of him, even though it wasn't very loud or persistent support, but it was clear support, maybe that angered them to where they don't want to give me a pass anymore. I thought maybe that's it. I thought that maybe they uh, didn't feel we were enough media. Maybe they just decided we're not real media and they're not giving it to anymore. I didn't know what it was. Now, before I tell you the reason, which I found out, because I emailed Seth about it, 
before I give you the reason, you may ask, why would I even want a media credential? What, what good does it do me? Well, it's just a nice thing to have. It's not something I can't do without. It's not something which is crippling not to have. But it's, it was a, a nice thing to have that uh, gave Poker Fraud Alert some credibility, gave me the ability to uh, you know, be given credit as media if I do need to interview anybody or ask somebody about something. Sometimes I'll hear stories. A lot of times I'll hear stories at the World Series about something that happened. Like I'll be at the table and someone will talk about what happened with their friend and it's it's very useful to tell them I'm yeah you know, I'm poker media and and uh, I want to do an interview with that person and, and then do it officially or unofficially. So it was useful to have that. It gives it gives the site credibility for looking into some of these stories. Uh, I got access to the media room, which was nice. It was a place to go. You know, you could you could, it had uh, its own Wi-Fi in there. It was a quiet place to go and sit with your computer if you want to work on things. Uh, even had, you know, I wouldn't say very much, but you know, they have they had a water cooler in there. They had uh, sometimes some candy in there, uh, stuff like that. Also, there is one other thing that I enjoyed about it. There is a certain perk that was useful for me being there for as long as I was. You would get a $15 per day food voucher. Now, you'd have to go collect it. You had to go find the managers there who handed them out, which were Seth Polanski and a few other people directly under Seth. Like, you couldn't just get them from anybody, but it's there's a little effort, but if you're over there anyway, like playing tournaments or uh, you're over there registering for tournaments, whatever it is, uh, you just walk in there, you ask for a food voucher, and they give you one. $15. Yeah. In fact, it's worth more than $15 because you also don't pay tax when you use it. So it's like $15 plus tax you're getting. And you can combine them. Like, Let's say you have six of them. You could go up and get a nice steak dinner for 90 bucks to the Voodoo Steakhouse. One per day for the whole World Series, provided you go pick it up. I think you can imagine that I enjoyed that part. In fact, uh, I remember uh, Kev Math. I, I had complained on this show that Kev Math was ignoring me in the hallway, and it was it was hurting my feelings. <laughs> Kev Math heard that on this show, and then uh, he knew what to do. Though he he saw me in the hallway, and as a as an act of contrition, he gave me one of his media food passes and that made up for it <laughs> so I'm going to miss those too I'm going to miss those too I didn't feel guilty taking them as I said I did real media work I really did extensively cover the World Series and I really did uh, yeah, like real reporting like people would bring stuff up and I'd, I'd look into it People would start bringing things to me because they knew I would look into these things, like like stories that they heard were happening there. And they say, hey, if you heard about this, can you look into it? And I would. 
So I could still do all that, but I'm not going to have the credential. And oh, in, in previous years, by the way, the credential was also useful for. Uh, I, I could during the main event. This is back before they took the credential away when you'd play events. Um, during the main event, I could get away from the huge crowds in the hallway by going into restricted areas that only media could get into. That was nice. That wouldn't have helped me this year because they take away your credential when you uh, play events. But that was nice in the past. And there's a few other things I won't get into. But this is one of these things that I liked having it. It was a nice feeling to have it. And now it's just gone. And I'm probably never getting it back. So what happened? What, what did I do to cause this? What did I do wrong? What was the no-no I have committed after all these years to have my media credential permanently taken away, which it appears to have been? Well, I found out that, yes, my media credential was denied and would probably be denied in the foreseeable future. But it turns out that it was not my fault. They've made a change in policy. Because of the rise of vloggers, who also consider themselves media, which I kind of question. The reason I don't really think they're media, and I think I am, is because they don't really cover stories. They cover themselves. Vloggers are, are, are basically... For the most part, it's all about them. It's all about them and their own experiences. They don't cover stories like I do. But with the rise of these vloggers, who consider themselves media, they applied for media credentials, and last year were granted them. And I don't know who, and I don't know what happened, but there were some issues with some of these vloggers. There were some problems, I was told. Again, I wasn't given names, I wasn't told specifically what happened, but I was told that some of these vloggers were problems, and I was told that I was not a problem, that I was fine, that I followed all the rules, they have no issue with me personally, but that some of these other people they did have an issue with. So they decided to take a hard look at their whole policy of issuing media passes to those who are player media, which is what I am. That is somebody who plays World Series events and acts as media part-time. And they decided, after an internal discussion and with consulting other organizations, they claimed that uh, had to deal with uh, similar decisions, and they decided that they don't need to issue media credentials to player media, that media credentials should really only go to full-time media, to employees of media companies, not players who also act on the side as media, as I do. So a decision was made that all player media would be denied. Basically, your decision is be media or play World Series events, and you can't be both. So that was that. I'm definitely playing World Series events, so there will be no media credential for Poker Fraud Alert. Kind of sad, kind of the end of an era. It's going to be weird this year. Not being Poker Media, officially at the World Series. Not being a seven-star. 
which I have been every year at the World Series since uh, 2013. Not getting comp rooms. Not having that media voucher anymore, so my meals are going to cost more. That $15 actually went pretty far. I, was, I, I would eat pretty cheaply. And that, that was one nice thing about playing the World Series is my expenses were low because I was getting free rooms and I was getting free or cheap food. I was really eating very cheaply there. So there were, my expenses were not very high. Now I have real expenses. Now I have to pay for food. I have to pay for rooms. And I'm not passing this along to the investors, by the way. I'm, I'm in fact, charging less markup than I have in previous years. So I'm not passing it along to any of you, but it's, it's a real cost. On my end. Kind of sucks. But all good things come to an end. So rest in peace, Poker Fraud Alert Media Pass. You will be missed. I'm not bitter about it. They have a right to change their policy whenever they want. I would have been bitter if they aimed it at me, if this was because of me, or if they manufactured some anger at me that wasn't fair. But if, if others screwed it up and they decided to change their policy, then... So be it. I, I'm not owed a media pass. I understand that. And as long as no player media is getting one, I don't like it, but I understand it, and it's their right to decide. So I'm not even pissed. I just am disappointed. Jay Stat wrote on the post I made about a poker fraud alert, your media food voucher will be missed. So you see, look, everybody goes to money. Everybody just... just First goes there, that I'm going to want that media food voucher. Yes, I like the media food voucher, but it was not just about the media food voucher. I really, Even without the food voucher, I, I would have been very sad not to get that pass anymore. It was about a lot of things. Now it's gone. All righty. Enough about me. Let's move on to the content about people other than me. Trader Risky, still here? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I would have considered getting you one, in fact. If was, we still could have gotten one, if you wanted one. But uh, we've that's it. We're not getting them anymore. I think Brandon got one one year or two years through Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah, I think he had him a couple of years. Yeah, he did. Uh, only reason I didn't get one for him like last year or I think the year before is because he just wasn't playing many World Series events. He just wasn't down there that often, so it just wasn't worth having for him. And he doesn't live that close to the Rio either. So anyway, let's move on to the story, which also involves the World Series, the World Series circuit, of a female social media personality who uh, got herself into a little bit of hot water at a World Series of Poker Circuit event. And as it has been the case a lot of times recently where people do something wrong and are caught, it seems to be where the reaction or cover-up is worse than the offense. And that's definitely the case here, where if she just handled it better, this would never have been known or even talked about, at least publicly known. Let me give you a bit of background here. Catherine Valdez, that's V-A-L-D-E-S, goes under the name Catrific. That's C-A-T-R-I-F-I-C. I guess it's kind of like Catherine Terrific, Catrific. 
That is her name on YouTube. That's the name of her YouTube channel. And she is a young woman. I don't know how old. I would guess mid to late 20s. Kind of hard to tell. But she's somewhere much younger than me. And she she has a moderately successful social media presence. She has uh, 245,000 Instagram followers, 199,000 Twitter followers, and 666,000 YouTube subscribers. Now, you may say that sounds a lot more than moderately successful. What you have to understand is that a large percentage of these followers and subscribers are just there on paper, and they don't really actively follow you or, or view or listen to your content. What happens is, uh, this is kind of like, uh, uh, it, it increases exponentially because what happens is you get more exposure The as you become more popular, you are, you're also getting more exposure, which makes more people want to follow you. And that also makes it to where you get a lot more casual followers who are kind of just following you because they've heard of you or they liked one particular video they, they, that they were led to from somewhere. But they're not really a diehard fan of yours. Where if you're a lesser known personality, then a lot more of your followers are probably there because they really like you. So there aren't like 666,000 people watching her videos. But she still gets uh, good viewership. She has more of a, a reach to people, for example, than I do, by a wide margin. So if I put some content out on this radio show and she puts content out on her YouTube, she will reach more people than I do. There's no question. But she's not huge. There, there's some YouTube personalities who are huge, who are actually mainstream famous. There's ones that are a few levels below that, but still pretty big. Uh, she's nowhere there. She's not there yet. She's not that far from it, but she's not there yet. And there's a big difference. Uh, the ones that are on the very top of the YouTube food chain can make $10 million a year. I'm not even kidding. It's insane. Same with these Instagram uh, influencers. They can make even more by, by through sponsorships. Then there's the ones below that who can have make a comfortable living at doing it but aren't getting super rich. Then there's the ones below that who make some money but they kind of need to do something else to supplement it if they want to live decently. So I think that's where she is. Uh, you can go to the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum on Poker Fraud Alert, and there's a thread started by A. Hoosier A called Female Poker Player Kicked Out of World Series of Poker Circuit that she didn't pay for. If you go to the second post in that thread, you can see a picture of her, and you can see links to her channel on YouTube and also... Uh, she has a separate channel on YouTube for just poker. She decided she's going to move to Las Vegas and become a professional poker player. I had never heard of her in any sense, either in poker or through YouTube, until this controversy came up. So this is what happened. She went to go play the uh, $400 WSOP circuit event at Bally's in Las Vegas at the, I think this was at the end of March. 
but they accidentally put her into the uh, $1,700 main event, which was going on at the same time. So that's where they sat her. She didn't do this on purpose, but that's where they sat her. And she started playing, and very quickly she noticed that uh, she was in the wrong place. It didn't even take that long for her to realize that she was sat in the wrong event, and she did not say anything, which, as you can imagine, might already be a problem. You might think this story sounds familiar. That's because the same thing happened at the Aria in 2015, where a guy registered for a $125 daily tournament and they accidentally sat him at the $25,000 high roller and he actually knocked out three regulars, three regular high roller tournament players before the Aria realized their mistake and kicked him out. So that was an even more extreme situation from one twenty five to 25000 and he was doing well. So that happened about four years ago. In this situation, it was 400 to 1700 but she knew it, and just like that guy in the other story, she was doing well. She had knocked some people out. She had a big, chi- a big chip stack. She was feeling good. Now, why didn't she say anything? You might have an idea. Maybe just that she wanted to take advantage of it. She just wanted to get in for a discount, and now that she's doing well, might as well go with it, right? It's probably really what happened. But here is her explanation. The reason we know about an explanation is that she stupidly went and uh, made a video about this afterwards. Because what happened was she was eventually caught, just like this other guy at the Aria four years ago. They, they figured it out. They, they caught what happened. And they approached her and removed her from the tournament. And offered that she could instead be moved with a full stack, not the not the chip she had won, but the move with a starting stack to the one she actually had registered for, which was now several hours into it. They offered that. She wanted a refund. They didn't want to give it at first. There were some arguments. But after all of this, she went home and decided to make a YouTube video about it on her channel. And she decided to play the victim. <laughs> which is not a very good look when you do something like this. When you do something like this and you get caught, you need to take your lumps. Unless you're getting punished for it in a manner which is far too harsh and severe for what you did. So if they were trying to put her in jail for for three years over this, I I would agree she should come out and say they're victimizing her. But uh, nothing like that happened. In fact, they did not even kick her out of the property, ban her, take her buy-in and confiscate it. Nothing like that. They, they said, oh, okay, well, we'll just move you over to the turn you're supposed to be. Like, <laughs> that's, all they, that's all they did. They did nothing, basically. All they did is remove her from the tournament that she should not have been. Apparently, when she was first approached by the floor man, her suggestion was that, and remember, she had a big chip stack at this point. Her suggestion would be that, was that she just pay the $1,300 difference and be allowed to stay. <laughs> and she, she couldn't understand why that wasn't allowed. She couldn't understand why they weren't okay with that. 
Don't you wish you could sit in a $1,700 tournament with 400 bucks and only pay the other 1300 if you're doing well? But if you bust, you're only out 400 I, I would play that tournament every day. I'd make a fortune if I could play that way. Buy in for less than a quarter <laughs> of what it costs and only pay the full buy-in if, if I'm off to a good start. I'd love a deal with like that. I think all of you would too. She couldn't understand why that was unreasonable. So what happened was a floor man there named Michael approached her and told her she needs to get out of the tournament and that she can either she, she can move to the other one with a full stack, but she can't stay in this one anymore under any circumstances. She was very unhappy about Michael's attitude. She said that Michael was rude. <laughs> he was rude. Oh, the horror. Michael was rude. So you're, And she admitted, by the way, both to Michael and in her video, which is now deleted, otherwise I'd be playing it right now, believe me. She admitted in her video and to Michael that she knew. She didn't say, oh, really? I, I thought it was the 400 all this time. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. It wasn't that. She admitted she knew. And then she says, Michael's rude about it? Well, of course he's rude about it. She was cheating. She didn't set out to cheat. This wasn't intentional that she ended up there. But instead of noticing it and saying, uh, hey, you put me in the wrong place, uh, move me to the right tournament. She's like, oh, well, now that I'm here, might as well take advantage of it. And then she's caught and, and the floor man's rude? Yeah. Yeah. What's he supposed to say? Oh, hey, you know, I don't want to be too much trouble, but you know, could you just you know, be nice enough to move over to the other tournament because you're kind of sitting in the wrong one. And did, did you know about that? Oh yeah, yeah, I knew. Oh, okay. Well, no problem. No problem. I understand why you'd want to stay here and you know to try to win a uh, seventeen hundred dollar tournament, having only spent four hundred on it. I I understand why you'd want that, but can you just please do us a favor and move over there? Like, what what did she expect? Of course, he was rude. And I don't think he was like outrageously rude. I think he was probably just kind of brusque with her and kind of. Asking you, well, why do you stay? Why, why did, you, why didn't you say anything? Like he, these were questions he has a right to ask. When you notice that you've been placed in the wrong tournament for a much higher buy-in than what you spent to get in, you need to say, "Hey, I'm in the wrong place." Not try to take advantage of it and hope you don't get caught, which is what she did. Now, did she admit that she was trying to take advantage? No. Then how can she explain this? How can she explain? that she knew about being in the wrong place but wasn't trying to take advantage what could possibly be the excuse to fit those two together well here's some quotes from her now deleted video that came from articles from card chat and poker news that covered this they did get to see the video i never got to see it sadly had i seen it i would have actually saved it i would have known it would a good chance to be deleted but nobody saved it sadly that i know of it was up there for about a day. So here, here's some quotes from her video. A break was coming up on the screen. That is the screen that uh, the Proker tournament clock screen. And I looked and I was like, shit, they put me in the wrong tournament. In my head, I was thinking I could go tell somebody. But if I tell someone, it would cause all this chaos. I was like, what if they stop the clock and people are mad at me? Okay. Then they stop the clock and people are mad at you. I mean, they're going to be madder at you if you stay in and are caught later and then they have to deal with it. People who you knock out will be mad at you 
that you should not have been there to knock them out in the first place. That's when people will really be mad at you. They won't be mad at you if you've been placed in the wrong tournament through no fault of your own and take a, take a little time to realize it. I will admit when they sit me in a tournament, I don't I don't verify that this is the proper buy-in. I, I just trust that they're sitting me in the wrong place. So it's understandable why it could take a little bit of time to understand you're in the wrong place. But once you do, you've got to say something. Who cares if it causes all this chaos? That's not your problem. That's their problem. If anyone will be mad, they will be mad at the tournament staff, not you. Then she also said, this is my favorite quote of her video, which I didn't get to see. I don't really think they can do anything about it. It will mess up the integrity of the tournament. <laughs> it will mess up the integrity of the tournament. Not, not playing with, with a $400 buy-in into a $1,700 buy-in. Not being sat in the wrong place and saying nothing. That has no problem. That, that won't mess up the integrity at all. But saying something will mess up the integrity of the tournament. Come on. What do you mean the integrity? I, she's trying to say, like, what are they going to do with my chips at this point? What are they going to do with the fact that, that I knock people out? Well, yes, it sucks, and there's no easy solution, but it's called damage control. It's, it's, it's called uh, mitigation of damages. You, 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 they have to do what they can at that point, and leaving you in every minute you're still in that tournament damages the integrity even more. <laughs> It'll mess up the integrity of the tournament. I thought she used the word integrity. She had no integrity here herself. Forget the tournament's integrity. And this is such BS. He's just trying to come up with reasons to explain why she stayed in and said nothing. You might wonder, well, why didn't she just deny knowing? Why didn't she just say she didn't know? Well, that's because of some information that came out later that she knew was going to come out that conversations were had at the table about it being the main event. Conversations that she took part in. So she could not claim at that point that she didn't know. That's why she couldn't use that excuse. I'll get to that shortly. So she spent some time in the video criticizing Michael the floor man, how he treated her, complaining that uh, if she were a recreational player who was brand new to poker and had this as a first-time experience with Michael, that she would not have come back to poker. (laughs) Shame on you, Michael, for being a little bit brusque and uh, not polite to someone who was cheating. Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. I want the floor man to be nice and friendly to those who are trying to cheat people. I want them to be sweet as pie. How dare you be rude, Michael? How dare you? I'm going to make sure to leave a scathing report with your supervisor, Michael. Victimizing this poor girl who was just trying to play a $1,700 tournament for $400. So, Druff, what if, what if she had... So, what if she they had sat her like that? She played, you know, half hour... Maybe it was like 10% over in chips, but nothing major. And would, Do you feel giving her the option at that point to pay the extra 1300 bucks would be a good thing to do? I mean, you could probably argue that it's like that keeps the integrity of the tournament because now you're just not getting rid of this player that shouldn't have been Well, there. the problem is, as I was saying before, yes, let's, let's say she had one like a little bit above starting stack. 
the problem is that she still survived. You know, it still could have happened where she was out by that point. And at that point, they could not have asked the thirteen hundred from her. So, so it is the situation where she could have gotten in for for cheaper and, and, and busted. And just because she didn't bust doesn't mean that at this point she can pay. I know it's it's worse if she accumulates a big stack and then has the option. But uh, I think you just have to be moved out of it at that point because that's not even what she intended to register for. It's not. I, I think if she had intended to register for it and then somehow they only collected four hundred dollars and she didn't notice, I don't know how that could happen. But let's say it did in some way. Let's say they just gave her the change. You didn't didn't count it. And. Uh, uh, Whatever. Let's say she tried to register for that, and it's clear she tried to register. Like I know what. It, let's say she thought the main event was uh, was this. She registered. She, she thought it was seventeen hundred. She goes and registers. They give her thirteen hundred back, and she thinks, okay, well, you know, maybe it was only four hundred. Maybe I misunderstood, and sits down. She really thinks the whole time she's registering for the main event, and then they let her know, and she's like, no, 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 I meant to register. They somehow they gave me thirteen hundred back. There, I would think that. In that case, if that really was what happened, that they should just take the thirteen hundred. Here, because she intended to register for the smaller one, I don't think she should ever have the option to just upgrade herself, even if it wasn't intended. I just don't think if you intended to register for the four hundred, that's where you should be, and and that's that. And if she and if she's unhappy with that, then what they could do is, uh, if they caught her early, they could have said, okay, well, we're going to confiscate your stack. And you can pay thirteen hundred, and you can start over, something like that. Like the, I can see her letting her do that, but. Uh, not, uh, I, I don't agree that they uh, that, that she should be she should be able to pay the difference at any point if she's got anything above uh, the starting stack. And draft for those for those Aria players that uh, got knocked out by this guy. Did they give them any type of refund? I mean, I can see them being pissed. Uh, I'm trying to. They may not have even known. I'm trying. Well, they didn't know for a while. Then it became pretty public what happened. Um, I don't know. And what would you think the right thing to do would be? If the venue made this mistake, I would think to give the players something. Uh, I don't know about a full refund, but uh, I would think they would be owed something, but it would be hard to kind of determine what that would be. Uh, On one hand, they really were knocked out in fair, normal poker play, just it was against someone who wasn't supposed to be there. But uh, on the other hand, the person was supposed to be there. So I, I'm not sure what the right thing to do at that point is. I don't think a full refund is in order. I think the player should be maybe compensated yeah. in some way. And I guess if they were standard hands, too. Like, you could probably argue the next person would probably sit in that seat anyway. Yeah. And then if it was, like, coolers on each hand, then fine. But then if the guy made some, like, ridiculous call or something that no one in the right mind would make that was an experienced player, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to to answer, but anyway, she did knock out a few people here, and and some some people were angry about that. But, but where the poker world is really angry about her indignant attitude, basically saying that she didn't do anything wrong, and that you know making these dumb excuses about why she stayed and didn't say anything, and also the criticism of the floor man. So her video got a terrible response from poker players. The funny thing is that her, her own followers, apparently, you know, the ones who aren't poker players, were very sympathetic. Oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's, that totally makes sense. Well, you know, don't worry about it, girl. You're, you're good. Like, you know, they're all, her followers were totally on board with this because they don't really understand poker very well. But, but all the poker players who saw this were outraged and inundated her with hate, as you might guess. So she quickly took that down after about a day.
which is why I never got to see it, and which is why I can't play it on this show. Uh, however, uh, I do fortunately have a, uh, a recreation of the video done by uh, Ralph Massey, who even uh, did a background similar to her background, in fact, uh, put on a wig to make himself look like a girl. Now, Ralph did try as hard as he should. He, he has a mustache in the video. I, I think he could have done better and shaved that. But but that aside, I'm going to play you guys the reenactment of the video by Ralph Massey, and you'll understand better what happened. Hey, everyone. I wanted to talk to you guys about a situation that really bothered me, really tilted me, really pissed me off. So I go to Bally's the other day to play a $400 tournament, and they accidentally give me a seat to the main event. And it was really weird, like... First, I had 30K in chips instead of 15K, and I was like, this is weird. And then I get seated at a table full of pros that I recognize, and I'm like, this confirms what I already thought. I am in the main event. And I was like, fuck yeah. So I think about like speaking up and coming clean, but then I was like, I can probably get away with this. And even if I don't, nobody's going to do anything because I'm a girl. So I'm like having a great time and busting all these players and have like all these chips and there's no way, shape or form am I infecting the integrity of the tournament. And then this mean, evil tournament director comes up and just like completely starts doing his job. And I mean, he was just like so mean. I I can't believe that he was like not more sympathetic to me scamming the poker community. I mean, what the fuck? So he does exactly what he's supposed to do, and he gives me a DQ, and doesn't even give me the option of paying the difference when I already have, like, four starting stacks. So now I have, like, all this anxiety, and it has nothing to do with me being new to poker. It's because I just got caught scamming, and it is not working out the way I hoped. And I'm like, I mean, how are you treating me like this is completely my fault? I think it's pretty obvious that I did, I I mean, that I didn't know that I was cheating. So I really didn't think it's that big a deal. I was about to have a panic attack, and I didn't want to make a scene in front of only 500 people at Bally's. So I came home to make this YouTube video for my hundreds of thousands of fake followers can see what a victim I am. So that's pretty much all I got. Um, I'm really just hoping to get a Poker Stars deal or a Party Poker deal, or at the very least, find a very successful player and ladder up. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's all I got. I want you guys to write in in the comment section below. Let me know what you think. I just don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, it just ain't that big a deal. It might be that big a deal, bro. Okay. So <laughs> the, the end was him as himself saying it might be that big of a deal. Okay, so uh, that, that was pretty funny. That's on uh, Ralph Massey's Twitter. That's at the Silver Stash. That's uh, the Silver S T A S H. I hadn't really heard of Ralph Massey until this year, but he's actually put out some pretty funny content. In 2019, I think I think he's an up and comer here as far as uh, interesting people to follow in poker. What he was saying there is, is that's basically it. I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy. Now, also, some more clarity came from someone named Jesse Cohen, who was at her table, and Jesse, who has a good reputation and isn't known to be a liar or a drama queen. Uh, put out the following as far as what occurred with uh, with her that made her look even worse. 
He said, I was at her table for all of this, so the 100K that got jacked from the table affected me. That's 100K in chips. Uh, affected me the most. And I, I, like the, I like giving people the benefit of the doubt, especially when giving everything else – given that everything else about her was pleasant, friendly, and seemingly, quote, good for poker. He's referring to that she uh, wasn't a very good player. <laughs> That's what he meant by good Well, and of course. She was in a great mood. She was busting people. Yeah. Had a ton of chips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's not possible to do that here. Within a couple of minutes of her arrival, the topic of how many bullets people were on was raised. When directed at her, she said, said, said something like, only one. If I were on three, you'd see mascara running down my face. So people were asking at the table, like, hey, how many bullets are you in for? You, know, you can rebuy in this thing. So this is $1,700 each, and they're all going around the table saying how, much, how many times they've all bought in. And she's like, oh, no, I only bought in once. If I bought in three times, there'd be mascara running down my face because I'd be crying so hard. Oh, but I'm, I'm glad it's only one. Well, actually, it's not really one. It's actually more like like point two. but I, we, let's not talk about that. <laughs> so, so, so she actually had the nerve to talk about how many bullets she was in for. And it says she arrived at the table at about 4.30 for what she thought was a tournament at, at 4 p.m. Think about that. That fact combined with the statement about how sad she'd be if he, she were in for three bullets, there's just no way it took her, quote, a while to figure out she was in the wrong tournament. Oh, and also the best part. Her boyfriend had literally busted from that exact seat she was in right before the break, and she knew this. She even joked about how she's better than him, so she'd do better in that seat. She obviously fucking knew her boyfriend was playing in the main event. That, that last part is the strongest one. You could even say with the bullets, maybe she thought that the, the 400 had several bullets. Maybe, maybe, in fact, you could buy him with several bullets to that. Uh, but uh, for her to be saying that her boyfriend was just in that seat, and she knew her boyfriend's playing the main. I mean, she, if her boyfriend was in the same tournament as her, of course she'd know that. She knew that she and her boyfriend were both playing this, and that he was playing the main, and she was playing the 400. And then somehow she acknowledges she knows her boyfriend was just in her seat, and in fact she's better, so she'll, she'll last longer. I don't know who her boyfriend is, by the way. That last part is especially, <laughs> especially clear that she knew probably right from the start and decided to say nothing. If not from the start, very soon. The dumb thing is that this didn't have to be public. Once she was caught, I don't think anyone knew who she was. So... Yes, there was talk about this having happened. People talked about this on social media after, before they knew who did it. But all they would have known is it was some young girl, and that's it. She would not have been identified, I believe. But she identified herself. She went right home on YouTube and made an immediate video about how rude Michael the floor man was. So she decided to turn this into something to get more hits and more views and didn't realize the, the immense backlash she was going to get. It's weird how I see people do that this year. I, this is exactly what Jeff Boski did, where he, he basically stole $5,000 from Caesars by double cashing, by going back a second time to collect on a cash he had already collected back in 2018. Then they caught him, and instead of keeping it quiet, he makes this video about how he did it, and he's wondering whether he should give the 5000 back. I'm thinking, who would broadcast this? Who would, who would make a video bragging about what a scumbag they are? If you're going to do this, if you're going to seek to steal 5000 from Caesars, uh, don't brag about it. Unless you want people to think you're a scumbag, but uh, that's, it's, 
This this one's worse though because this one hurts the players. The five thousand that Jeff Boski took only comes from Caesars. It's much worse to screw your fellow players than to screw a big corporation like Caesars. But in both cases, they made videos basically saying it's no big deal. Basically downplaying what they did. Well, in the aftermath of this, a few things happened. She deleted the video. She protected her tweets. She's now basically in in hiding from uh, poker people. At least on social media she is. And then a side drama sprung up from this. This is what happens in poker. You don't just have the main drama, you also have side drama that often springs up. Well, this side drama ended up involving, of all people, David O.D.B. Baker. You might think, well, what did he have to do with this? Was he at her table? Was he pissed that uh, she got to pull this off? Was he in this tournament uh, fresh off his uh, million-dollar win at the LAPC? No. He wasn't even in this tournament. So what does this have to do with David O.D.B. Baker? Was he the boyfriend? No. He's, he's actually married and has, has like teenage kids. Before I tell you, just uh, a reminder about David O.D.B. Baker. He and I don't get along. Never have. For the last 12 years. Uh, we, the whole thing started over a misunderstanding. I tried to explain it to him. He didn't believe me. And ever since then, he's been a dick to me. And, uh, we just don't like each other. Funny enough, we actually have some things in common. We're both Jewish. We were both born in 1972. We both are limit hold'em players. We're both uh, mainly cash players. I think he's playing more and more tournaments these days. But he was a cash player for a very long time at limit hold'em. So there's you know there's a number of uh, similarities there. Also, I'll say that uh, for all my criticism of David Baker, I do believe that he's an honest person that wouldn't screw anyone. Like, I would trust him to hold money, and I would be shocked if he were ever involved in any kind of scandal. So, my criticism of David Baker is not from a lack of honesty or integrity standpoint. In in those areas, he's fine. And in fact, I think he'd say the same about me, especially because, uh, strangely enough, China Maniac had some kind of prop bet with him and they were looking for someone to escrow and China said, Hey, how about Todd would tell us? And David Baker's like, Oh, okay, okay, fine. So even though David Baker knew I, I really disliked him and he disliked me, I actually was the escrow in a, in a bet involving him. So he obviously felt that I wasn't going to steal from him, which is true. I wasn't, you know, I'll, I'll escrow fairly, even if it's someone I don't like. And I did. Uh, but, but we just don't get along. And, and I think our personality types don't mesh very well. And, uh, even politically, we're pretty opposite. So that's not usually what I use to judge people. I have a lot of uh, people I'm friendly with who are opposite of me politically, and some people I don't like who are the same as me politically. But uh, we even have that, <laughs> where, where there's a, a difference. So I, I do want to preface that here, that uh, this is someone I haven't gotten along with. But I was not involved in this. I did not get involved in any of this conversation as it was going on. I, I just let it happen. I just stood in the sidelines and let it happen. <laughs> I did not tweet anything about this. So David Baker, 
decided that he was going to be the white knight in this situation. Why? I don't know. I See, some people were saying that they thought David was trying to get in her pants, but I, I don't even think so. I, he doesn't have that reputation. He's married. I haven't heard anything about him being unfaithful to his wife. Um, I haven't seen any examples of him flirting with women. Like I, I don't really see that. He kind of just he does kind of just act like a, a married guy who's not looking to screw around. I do see he spends a lot of time away from his wife and kids on the tournament trail and whatever. I, I have witnessed that, but I haven't seen or heard anything that indicates he's ever unfaithful to her. So I, I have a feeling he was approaching this just from the standpoint of uh, trying to be. The understanding guy, the guy who gives someone the benefit of the doubt, and he made a mistake in doing so. That's that's my guess here. But he was he definitely did take on the white knight role, which is common on the internet when some girl is getting attacked on the internet, and then some guy will stand up trying to uh, defend her, even if she doesn't deserve defense. That definitely happened here. So this is what David Baker wrote, April 1st, 2019. He wrote... She messed up, that is clear. Hopefully her mistake and the ongoing discussion will help her and others realize it. That being said, our community has a way of vilifying people that do wrong. Her mistake was minor in comparison. In my opinion, she shouldn't be blackballed for a mistake. Actually, they don't vilify people that do wrong as much as they try to vilify people who try to have a voice. People who expose themselves to public scrutiny. Cat opens up in a world she's not familiar with. Instead of trashing her, help her understand her mistake and move on. <laughs> Those were two tweets. The second part was much worse than the first. It went from the poker world likes to vilify people who do wrong. Okay, well, they, they should. <laughs> the community should vilify people who do wrong. Uh, so at first he's saying they, the poker community likes to vilify wrongdoers, but this mistake wasn't so terrible, so give her a break. To, well, you know what, actually, they just they like to just vilify people who put themselves out there, whether they do wrong or not. So she's she's opening up here. And, and she's not that familiar with the world. Now you're all trashing her. How dare you? So a lot of people didn't like that from David. And, and keep in mind, David's public uh, persona, the, the public opinion of him was probably at its high point prior to this. He had just won the LAPC. He got all kinds of attention for it. He made this very good bluff to get a guy to lay down trips very late in the tournament that was... Uh, seen on Poker Go. Over time, he had developed a reputation in the greater poker world that as, as a kind of like a, a mature, rational guy who will speak up when it's important and uh, basically someone who should be respected. Now, there were people who know him personally or have uh, dealt with him playing poker with him that, that don't like him. It's not just me. There's, there's a number of people who don't care for his personality. But I'm talking about those who just kind of see him on social media. His reputation probably hit its high point right prior to this, which is kind of a weird time for him to enter with his opinion. He was flying high reputationally before this, and then this really took him down a notch. People really didn't like this take. And again, I didn't get involved. Not, not me. I, I didn't like it either, but I didn't say anything. I, I let it all just happen. Uh, a lot of people attacked him for this. He went on to write, 
my guess is even after the fact, she didn't fully grasp the reality of the situation. My guess is now that it's been explained, she understands more. Two assumptions I'm making, but obviously not sure. Our community is mean sometimes. I hope we teach her and not destroy her over this. Compassion is an effective teaching tool as well. I'd suggest she makes another video tomorrow and takes more responsibility for her actions. She seems to be an asset to the community, and I'd like some compassion shown. Never met or talked to her, just a neutral opinion. So people really didn't like this. They felt that he was being overly defending of her and overly forgiving because she's a female. Because she's a young female, which is probably true. That he was giving her far too much credit for what seemed to be an obvious case of someone taking advantage of a mistake that, w- that only screws other players when she takes advantage of it. It seemed that her excuses were very poor and very hard to believe and that he was the only one who seemed to be falling for it. And people were very confused how someone who had always seemed to be an intelligent and rational and logical guy could be coming to these conclusions. Which is why some jumped to the belief that he's trying to get in her pants. Which, again, I don't really believe, but uh, that's what some people said. Tim West, who's the T-May, that's T-H-E-T-M-A-Y on Twitter... He had history with David Baker. He didn't like David Baker anyway prior to this. So he decided to jump in and start arguing with him. So they argued back and forth about this. A number of people argued with David about this, but the, one of the more aggressive people arguing with him was Tim West. David Baker wrote to Tim West, Why do you even bother replying to me about anything? Literally just unfollow me or mute me. If I said the sun rises in the east, you'd disagree. You don't like me. That's cool, bro. Keep the positivity and live your best life. Peace. And then Tim West writes, Then you write this tweet, LOL. You, li- you literally defend every fucking oblong response there is on here. Don't worry, David. You're not going to get into her pants. Stop pretending to be some ambassador here. Also, there's only one old dirty bastard, you fraud. That's referring to how David Baker calls himself ODB, which stands for Original David Baker. I like to say it stands for Old David Baker, because the other David Baker, David Bakes Baker, is the young one. Uh, then Tim West run, went on to write, the fuck, this fucking chick tried to cheat and thought, hey, this is weird. Let's let it play it out, though. At the very worst, it'll just take me out of it and then transfer my chip to the attorney I'm supposed to be in. Only you could defend this stance. There are a lot of messages like that toward David Baker. You might wonder, what was their beef, Tim West and David Baker? Tim West explained it. He's, you know, he was uh, David Baker asking, "What's the grudge even for?" He didn't understand it, and Tim West said, "Because you're possibly the most pretentious person with the biggest complex in history." I actually kind of agree with that part. Uh, back in '07, I called a restive of yours. Uh, I, don't, I don't know restive what he meant by that, but I, I think he meant right. I called an all-in of yours. Uh, I called an all. I think he tried to say I called an all-in of yours with Ace Queen Best uh, uh, Best Your. 1010. Uh, he's trying to say he called some all in of his with, with uh, Ace Queen against uh, David's ten, pocket tens and, and uh, that Tim won it. He said, You had to go tell my friends how awful it was. LOL. Nice win, man. You definitely deserve the courage to say what you want with impunity. Which, of course, that part was sarcastic. 
So then David Baker says, Damn, bro, hold grudges? 2007? This all stems from a comment I made 12 years ago to a friend? Awesome, man. So all these years you were nice to me in between was all show. You are a fake and a joke. Glad I know what it was that made you hate me 12 years later. Peace out. Well, that's interesting. That's really interesting because David Baker hates me because of something that happened in 2007 that was very minor. Actually, 2007, just like what they're discussing here between each other. (laughs) 2007, David Baker thought I was impersonating him on Absolute Poker. And I told him that I wasn't, and I explained the whole thing to him. I won't go into the story again here. I've explained it before, but I was not impersonating him. I explained it to him when when, when he mentioned at the table that he heard I was doing it. I explained to him exactly, in all detail I could, what happened, and that... There was no impersonation going on, that it had to do with a guy at the table who was from his same town in Katy, Texas. I thought it was him. I thought the other guy was him. And then the other guy was jokingly saying that I must be David Baker then. And that, that it was just like a joke. An inside joke that started with me believing the other guy really was him because they, they were from the same town and played Limit Hold'em. But I explained that uh, I was never impersonating him and everybody at the table knew we were just joking around. And he's like, oh, yeah. Like he, 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 I could tell he didn't believe me. And he just decided he was going to hate me. And we didn't know each other prior to this. And, and he's held a grudge ever since. So it's funny that he's mad at someone for holding a grudge against him over something minor in 2007 when that's exactly why he doesn't like me. And, and when we had it out on Twitter five years ago and I mentioned this, he tried to deny it. Oh, I don't remember anything about you impersonating me. I just don't like you. I, that's not true. It, all, it was all from that. I can tell you it was all from that. Well, Makul Pahuja got involved too. Makul Pahuja went and wrote a long thing that he, uh, I think he wrote it out on Notepad and then uh, in three parts and then tweeted out the screenshots of it about this whole situation. Now, he didn't mention David directly, but this is what... McCool, McCool wrote at the end. Lastly, to all you white knight fuckboys out there rushing to comment with a gentle rub on Kat's shoulder as you politely explain, maybe the video she put out wasn't in best taste, but it's okay because she didn't know better. LOL. Go quench your thirst somewhere else. You ain't helping one bit. You're adding to the toxic meltdown. Who do you think that's aimed at? Well, I looked. There's, there's only one, quote, white knight fuckboy that was, that was really uh, coming strong with trying to make excuses for her, and that was David Baker. I didn't see anybody else really jumping on that train. So that's clearly who McCool is referring to, especially because McCool went back and forth with David in that discussion. Now, when they were discussing it, they were being civil to one another, civil but in disagreement. And then McCool wrote this summary essay about the whole thing and clearly that was a jab at David. (laughs) Then Jesse Cohen posted that thing that I read to you guys about how he was at the table, how she took over her boyfriend's old seat that clearly she knew the whole time. So after Tim West saw that, he posted to David Baker, hey, hey David, let's see you devil's advocate that shit now. So instead of David saying, okay, now that this has come out, I guess I guess I was wrong. Because David did say, like, I'm just guessing here, I'm just assuming here. He tried to put in those qualifiers 
So you'd think at that point he'd say, okay, well, I guess I didn't have that information before, but now that I have this information from Jesse, yeah, it looks pretty bad. I think she was trying to cheat. Okay, sorry about what I said. No, he, he stuck to his guns. David wrote back, hate if you want to hate. I don't care. I don't even know her. Same people talking the most shit are best friends with a guy who has knowingly scummed many people repeatedly. I really don't care. I rest my head comfortably knowing my rep is clean, and I chose not to bully her. I don't know who he's referring to that scummed people repeatedly, but uh, he's trying to say that the people bashing Cat really hard, a lot of them have a good friend who's uh, repeatedly screwed people in poker. I don't know if it's Chino or probably someone like Chino. If it's not Chino, it's probably someone like him. So so he wrote that he chose not to bully her. I, I hate that. I hate when people refer to giving someone a hard time for doing something wrong. As being bullying. That's not bullying. And I, I have been accused of bullying people before. Because I have called out someone for not telling the truth, for cheating, for scamming, for doing something else reprehensible. And I'm being told I'm being a bully. And I go, no, I'm not. Being a bully is, is making fun of someone for their weight or for their sexual preference or for something else about them that they can't help. Some, some characteristic they have that they can't help. Where they haven't done anything wrong, you're just, you're just making fun of them for what they are. That's being a bully. Giving someone a hard time for something wrong they have done, something scummy they have done, is not bullying. It's not. It's being rightfully critical. So he's saying, I, don't, I, I rest my head comfortably knowing my rep is clean and I chose not to bully her. Well, his rep is clean, I'll give him that, but uh, you defending her is not you choosing not to bully, it's you taking the wrong side. It's you defending someone who tried to, to cheat, or at the very least take advantage of a situation where they were in a tournament for much less than the buy-in was and they knew it. So Tim West basically said that. He said back, how can one bully a cheat, Monsieur White Knight? (laughs) So David Baker said back, you hate me, I don't care about you. Let's just end this for good. I'll block you and end the charade that either of us truly wants to converse with the other. So is this great or what? this, This whole mess really is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, strangely enough, I don't even know who to root for in this side drama. You may think I'm rooting for Tim West because I don't like David Baker. But no! Tim West was the subject of a lot of accusations of impropriety himself back in the early 2010s. You can go find it on 2 Plus 2. So much that people actually questioned, and and seriously questioned, whether Tim West had enough integrity to be a lock poker pro. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine you're considered to perhaps not have enough integrity to be a lock poker pro. That's like being told you don't have enough education to go work at McDonald's, <laughs> not having enough integrity to be a lock poker pro. But there was seriously a thread on, t- on 2 Plus 2 discussing how Locke shouldn't be hiring him because of his past. And what about McCool Pahuja? Well, I don't have that much experience with him, but my one time playing with this guy was unpleasant. This was deep in a World Series of Poker No Limit event. This is at the uh, 50-50 DraftKings event, where I ultimately finished 40th. And I was at a really, really tough table, just getting horrible cards, horrible flops, horrible positions, where every time I, I got dealt a hand and I'd raise, 
like whenever someone would come over the top on me, I always had a hand I didn't want to go in with or put a lot of chips in with, like fours or jack eight suited or things like that, that you just don't want to run it out with that unless you're super short, which I wasn't yet. And uh, it was a tough table. I had a terrible image because I just kept raising, getting three bet and folding. And one of the people who was three betting me a lot was Makul Pahuja. Now, I don't know if he was really waking up with a lot of hands or if he was just uh, taking shots at me. The one time I did call him, I had ace-king, and he had ace-king, it turned out. So he really did have a real hand that time. And, you know, we chopped it. Uh, that's the only time I got to see, because the other times I folded, it just so happened every time I did that, then uh, I really didn't have a hand I could call with. And it's not, I wasn't, like, raising all the time. It was just, it was so weird, because, like, I'd, I'd raise with good hands, and then they'd fold. <laughs> when I'd have something marginal, that's when I'm getting three-bet. It was almost like they could see my cards. I think it's just the way it fell. I don't think any, I don't think I was giving off tells or anything. But uh, McCool did this a lot of times to me, and I was folding every time except that once with the ace-king. Again, just because I... With the way the chip stacks were, it was, it was either going to be all in or fold to a three bet, and these were hands I did not want to risk my tournament life on. So after I had folded a number of times straight to him, instead of him just being happy, he's getting my chips every time. He makes a snide comment about uh, why I'm folding every time. Something like, uh, "What? There's nothing in your range here that." Uh, that allows you to at least call this? He makes some comment like that. Like like a needle after he's he's taking my chips over and over and over on these uh, pre-flop three bets. I understand saying something to someone three betting you all the time and you want to make some comment about it, but when you're the one doing the three betting and winning, you keep quiet. So I thought that was rude. Not horrible, but I, th- I thought it was rude. He just kind of seemed like a jerk. He kind of seemed like an arrogant jerk to me. So I don't know who to root for. Like, ever since that experience there, I, uh, and what was funny is I was just getting killed at that table. And then I went to dinner break with a very short stack. And I'm like, okay, this is, I'm going to be done here. I come back and they say, uh, yeah, we need to move you to another table. And I'm like, oh, whew. Perfect. They moved me to another table. And sure enough, I started kicking ass at that new table. And then I had a good table image there. And I, I ran my stack up uh, a lot better. Ended up taking a bad beat for a lot of chips to go out on the river. But uh, actually, there was a turn. But it was all in pre-flop, though. And I was had the guy crushed, ace-king to king-queen for a very large pot. But... Uh, That uh, that was one of those cases where you you hope to be moved, and I was. But anyway, I didn't know who to root for in this. You have Tim West, who has some accusations of impropriety from earlier this decade. You have David Baker, who just has always been a jerk to me, and Makul Puja, who was also a jerk to me in the one encounter I had with the guy. So. I, I I don't even know who I was help, hoping was going to win these debates. In case you're wondering about Catrific, let me play you a few things from her channel. Again, it's not about this. She deleted the videos, but here's here, here's a video of her talking about uh, why girls hate her. Hello and welcome to this video, everyone. My name is Cat, and you probably already know that because you're subscribed. Because only a select few of subscribers are even going to see this video. <laughs> Hi, 
I hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I feel like I am on the verge of something awesome in my... Okay, let me stop this here. I don't know if you can tell listening to this, but there's a lot of cuts in the video. She's like, well, I'm just about to... On the verge of cutting... like On the verge of following my life. Like She keeps cutting, 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 cutting. You can see because the video jumps. And this is a style that a lot of these uh, female YouTube personalities have done for years. But it's really annoying. It's got, I, I kind of feel like I'm getting an epileptic seizure watching it from all the jumps it has. And Ralph Massey noticed this, too, because he was doing it on purpose in his parody of her video. He was making his own little cuts and jumps. But hers happened like, like, like every few seconds, it seems like. My life in terms of coming to a place of being happy and feeling good and letting the toxic there, people go one. and the things that make me feel like crap go and the thing and pursue things that make me feel better and are just there's good one. for me. Why do you think they do this? I know why they do this. It's, it's supposedly a style thing, but here's the truth. They do this because it's easier to do it this way. When you do a video... It's very easy to say the wrong thing, to stumble, to say um, to pause, to where it doesn't come out that well. So you go back in later, and instead of doing retakes, you just edit out the parts that that don't look good. Or you do retakes and just drop them in. And the funny thing is, I deal with this all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, but when I have to edit this show and and take little parts and put them back in the middle or whatever, if, if we had some kind of fail... I'm always really careful to where it flows perfectly, to where someone listening could never tell. Even if I listen to it later, I'll, I'll forget that I did this and I, I can never tell. But some of these YouTube personalities are so lazy, they don't even bother to make it look like it wasn't a cut. And they just stuff it together. But hers are really cutting every few seconds, and it's very, very distracting to watch. Which is refreshing to feel for the first time in a few years. But today, today I'm talking about a topic. I, have, I haven't shot a video in a while where I'm like, I'm just gonna rant and be super honest and transparent. Hopefully I don't say anything too politically incorrect or sexist or... Well, you, you did. You made one of those and it's gone. Or whatever. But right now, I'm a little annoyed at the female population. Uh-oh. That's hard for me to say because of how much I freaking love girls. I guess it's because, I'm not sure if it's just because I had the most amazing girlfriends when I was in LA, which I don't know if that's just like rare or what, but it was so rare that I ever encountered any kind of cattiness with any of my girlfriends. And it was just like, yeah, this is how girls are supposed to be. Like, we're supposed to be homies. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to be for each other. We're supposed to support each other. And I just had the most supportive friends ever and still do. And I think that whether it was when I moved to Long Beach or moved to Vegas, I just started to be randomly uh, immersed into new groups of people where I didn't know anyone or I knew very few people. And I've started to encounter like really catty, bitchy girls. And I, I feel bad saying that because I don't want to talk shit about girls because I think girls as a whole gender are amazing. And yeah. By the way, this is a very common theme in her videos where she just talks about loving girls, loving girls, loving girls. But she's not a lesbian and not bisexual from what I can tell. Um, it's almost like she protests too much. Like she is one of these girls who really doesn't like other girls. Like I'm not talking about sexually. I mean like in any way. And, uh, and she's trying to make it seem like she does. So she doesn't come off as one of those girls who hates other girls. And she doesn't want to be a lot of her audience is female. So she doesn't want to be seen as that. 
but she she always says these in her in the few videos of hers that I've watched. There's oh I love girls. Oh I think girls are great. Oh I think girls are beautiful. It's just over and over and over and over again. She also does something weird in titling her videos that a few of them do have this implication like she's lesbian or bisexual and then you go watch it and it turns out that's not it at all that the the title is very misleading like she puts something like uh, like i'm coming out or i'm finally coming out and you go oh wow she, i guess she's gay and then you watch it and it turns out that she's coming out about something totally unrelated to dating or sex and then you, you look at the comments and there's a lot of people go oh wow i thought you were gonna say you're a lesbian there's something weirder about her there's something really weird about her She's also always changing her hair color. In this video I'm watching here, she's got this weird dyed, like, silver and purple hair. But then in her main picture she uses, it's, it's all brown. She's, like, constantly changing her hair. And it's, to me, she, it kind of comes off like this is a girl who is kind of awkward and kind of not really... Uh, not really very socially inept, but wants to come off as the opposite. Wants to come off as really cool... And someone that you see as being really cool that you that you'd want to be like socially, but she really isn't. She kind of has that vibe to me that she's uh, a girl who who kind of doesn't fit in very well socially, but but tries to pretend that she really does. I think they're you know better than boys, right? Not biased at all. And so I started encountering this cattiness where like. Girls who I had never spoken to or had conversations with uh, didn't like me very much. And it, it was just this, and it's, it's not one situation. I'm not calling anybody out. This is several situations over the past year where I've just been shunned or talk, like people talking bad about me who don't know me, who haven't had conversations with me. And to me, that is like one of the most hurtful things anyone could ever do to me because I don't have... I'm not perfect, but I don't have this like ill will towards other females in a social group. And it's always an alarm to me when there are females who are like, you know, I just don't get along with girls and blah, blah, blah. And I just think that's bullshit because. Well, wait a minute. Your, your, your video is called Why Girls Hate Me. <laughs> oh, I think it's just bullshit when girls don't like other girls and they say, oh, I don't get along with girls. It's like, that's a red flag to me. Your video is called Why Girls Hate Me. <laughs> that's, that's... You're saying it too. Your 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 title of your video is saying that. You don't like girls who don't get along with other girls. Here's the video why girls hate you. Huh? Because there's no way you cannot get along with an entire gender. So sure, maybe you've had encounters in your life that you've had bad experiences with certain females or certain groups of certain females, so you've ignored uh, hanging out with them in the future and like things like that. I get that, but don't say you don't get along with girls like i've had scenarios where some of my guy friends girlfriends really don't like me like detest me and i'm not trying to be the victim here um i think you are <laughs> that's what you tried to do with the poker thing this is not a, a common occurrence in that it happens like everywhere i go it's just happened over the course of my very long life a few times and it's been very impactful and meaningful to me and something i just it's really hard to shake and uh when guy when my guy friends like close friends when their girlfriends don't like me it breaks my heart because i'm like look there's nothing going on here but it's like jealousy and insecurity take over and it just makes me sad that they're feeling that way and then they're having to react to me that way and then i'm just like sad for everybody because i'm an empath and i'm like i just want everybody to not hate each other and be insecure and jealous okay i've heard enough 
Um, she's talking about basic things here, especially younger women. They they often do have a problem when their boyfriends are have a close friendship with attractive other girls. And you know, the guy can say all he wants. Oh, I don't see her that way. We've never dated. You know, I, you know, she's like a sister to me. Blah blah blah. The girls are suspicious. The girls are suspicious that, uh, you know, here's a girl who's physically attractive, and here's a girl who the guy obviously likes her personality because they're friends and they they seem to be close friends. That there's there's all the ingredients for them to get together one day. For them to realize one day, oh wow, why weren't we together all this time? Wow, we you know we we have the physical attraction, we we have the personality clicking, we we uh, we know and trust each other for a long time. Why why aren't we dating? That's a good question. We should try. We've we've been overlooking each other the whole time. There, there's movies about this. There's there's all these romance uh, comedies and stuff like that out there. That you know, how many movies have we seen over the years with this exact plot? So of course these girls are a little bit concerned. And they, they don't love you for that reason. And I, I'm not saying that jealousy is, is the right thing or that, that the lack of trust of the person you're with is the right thing, but this, is, this goes on all the time. This is nothing that you should be shocked about or, or sad about. It's just kind of an awkward situation. It, it, it is an awkward situation when a guy you're friends with gets a girlfriend and, and he's got to explain why you're texting him all day. And why, despite the fact that there's all the ingredients for why you two should have an attraction to each other, that somehow you don't. Especially if it's a guy you've never dated before. It's, it's, it's one thing to say, well, like we already tried and it was a failure, so we said we're, we're never trying that again. Here, if you've never even tried, uh, yeah, the, the, the possibility is looming out there the whole time. I don't want to get on too much of a tangent, but I even had that happen to me as a teenager on the other side, where this is really weird. Um, I met a girl through a friend who uh, was younger than this girl by two years, and this girl was my age. So my friend was two, year, two years younger than me. And he, he really liked this girl, but she kind of just saw him as... Uh, yeah too young and just wasn't into him. So me and her started dating. We hit it off right away. We started dating. In fact, she was really my first real official girlfriend. It was when I was 17. And uh, we only lasted two and a half weeks. Well, a- after the two and a half weeks, after we broke up, um, you know, that was that. But then I found out through somebody else a few weeks later that my friend was dating her and I couldn't believe it. So I confronted him about it and said, what the fuck is this? And he said, and he said, look, I swear to you, I know how it looks. I swear to you, she approached me about it and I felt bad, but you two weren't together anymore. So I, I, and I've always liked her. So I finally said, okay. He said, I would have never tried to steal her, but, uh, but she approached me after the breakup and said that she liked me. And, uh, so we did still kind of annoying to me, but uh, he still shouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it to him, but nevertheless, that's what happened. Uh, so she, she, I was 17, she was 17, he was 15, and he got his, though. A short time later, she dumped him for a 14-year-old. <laughs> I wonder who she dumped the 14-year-old for, like a 10-year-old? Anyway, 
uh, I had convinced myself prior to this, though, that there was nothing to worry about because she knew him for quite some time before she knew me, and they never dated. He had expressed interest in her in the past, and she rejected him. And he was two years younger than she was. So, yeah, they were friends and they talked a lot, but it seemed there's no danger. It seemed like this would have happened before I was even in the picture if it was going to happen. And he even tried and she rejected him. So it looked totally safe and even there it wasn't. She didn't leave me for him, but shortly after our breakup, she went right to him. So, yeah, it can happen. I can't believe that's 30 years ago now. <laughs> it's kind of disturbing. Uh, let's see. Any other videos worth playing from her? Let's see here. I mean, probably nothing's worth playing, but uh, let's let's jump to something else here. Let me go to her main channel. Let's see. Here. Hello, and welcome to this video, everyone. Oh, wait, that's the same one. Hold on. That's the one that automatically comes up when you go to her channel. Oh, see, th- this is an example, okay? This is an example of a totally uh, misleading title. My Valentine's Day Threesome. And it, it, it actually shows a picture of her, like, all made up, and then like, kind of like a, a sexy look on her face, and it says, OMG, period. Okay. She had a threesome on Valentine's Day. Let's hear about that. That's exciting, right? Valentine's threesome lovers, and I am so okay, right, here fun. Uh, traditionally, every year, I have you guys be my Valentine because I don't ever have a Valentine. Well, By the way, this is this audio is terrible on this one. I have head, a headset on. The right side is just music, and the left side is like her voice sounded like it's over a speakerphone. So it's, it's really annoying. Like it's It's not done well at all from an audio standpoint I'm just getting music in one ear and like a not very clear voice in the other really annoying to listen to but I'll, I'll keep playing it this year is a special year for Valentine's Day for me because not only do I have one Valentine I have two Valentines but I'm holding up three fingers ignore that and I'm sure all of you are just dying to know who my two Valentines are and at this point, if you can't tell by the tone of my voice, if you haven't watched my channel long enough to know exactly who I'm going to say is my Valentine's this year, then you're a fake fan. Because obviously, they're these guys, Beta and Kappa. Oh, it's her dogs. Her Valentine's Day threesome is with her dogs. Gross. But like that's that's the video. It's a four minute video talking about how her her dogs are her valentines this year. But it's not even true. She has a boyfriend. <sighs> I mean, that's is it really that easy to get six hundred sixty six thousand followers? That's interesting. It went down to six sixty five. I wonder if she lost followers because of this whole thing. It's hard to believe though, because most people outside the poker community uh, thought she was okay. With this whole thing. But to show you how followers don't translate into views necessarily, she has 665,000 subscribers, and this Valentine's Day video, which is now two months old, so it's been there a while, has only 10,269 views. Still not bad. She got 10,000 views, but it's it's not like 665,000. I wonder if these followers are even real. She could even have fake followers she bought. You can do that. You can actually buy fake followers. And this, this is... You know what? I... 
I think Ralph Massey, who made a joke about that, might be onto something because I'm looking at her videos where it lists them all, showing how many views they have, and most of them have fewer than ten thousand views. There, there's a few with a lot of views, like there's one called "Why I'm Qu- Quitting YouTube," which, of course, she didn't really quit YouTube because there's several videos after that. That has 101,000 views, and then there's "So Things Didn't Work Out," and it said "Fired," so she must have been fired from some job that has 75,000. But then a lot of the other videos have like 4,400, 5,600, 6,600, 6,100. Uh, then there's some 11,000, 13,000, 13,000, 16,000, 12,000. Like this girl's hate me one is 12,000. So that doesn't seem like 666,000 f- subscribers. I think some of them probably are fake. Yeah, here's here's another fake video, a uh, fake title. I love women. See, I told you, like, yeah, I, I love women, something about coming out. Yeah, it, it's. I know people like these misleading titles on these videos to get people to click on them, but I don't know. It's kind of off-putting. And I kind of wonder why she has any kind of popularity to begin with. I don't find her personality very interesting. Um, she's okay looking. She's not ugly by any means. You know, she's she's okay looking. She's decent looking, but she's not really pretty. She's kind of maybe a little above average for her age. Like, she's, she's not a girl you'd see walking by and go, wow, she's so hot. Like, I, I guarantee you, if you saw her, you wouldn't just think she's super hot. You'd think she's you know, a decent-looking girl. That's about it. So it's not from her looks. It's not from her being particularly interesting, I would think. The videos don't have any kind of real production quality. So why why does she have this many followers? I don't get it. But I, I have to admit... This is not aimed at me. This is probably aimed at girls around her own age. Not middle-aged dudes. All right, enough about that. Let's let's move on. If you want to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also text that same number if you want to reach me on text during the show, before after, before the show, after the show, whenever. I may read your text on the air. Always be aware of that, unless you ask me not to. Let's see what texts we've received. Catrific and Boski should team up and do a YouTube series about angling card rooms from the 507. Yeah, <laughs> They should get together. Maybe that's her boyfriend. Wouldn't it be funny if her boyfriend was Boski? That would be That would be fitting. That would be fitting. All right, from the 505, I bet... ODB would say the same about you if you tried to scam your way into a tournament. LOL, Yeah, exactly. What if I did that? That's a great point. What if I did that and was caught? You think ODB would say, no, guys, guys, don't bully Todd. Don't bully him. We've got to be understanding. He, he may not have understood. Got to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Let's not all be mean, people. Let's, let's all be mean. Let's think about Todd's feelings here. <laughs> right. He'd, he'd probably be one of the first people just brutalizing me on Twitter. Uh, from the 734, all those food vouchers. Uh, from the 720, oh, interesting link. They said, just sent me a link. 
But the link says, this is really interesting. We've got to cover that tonight. Thank you for that link. I just saw it now, but thank you for it anyway. He sent it to me before the show. Caesars Entertainment. Caesars Entertainment. What do you think the story is about them? Caesars Entertainment may be for sale as early as this week. Oh, my goodness. That's a huge story if, if that actually happens. Wow. Hey, let's get back to the text. Uh, I was trying to play a video. I hate that. For the 206, did we ever get the update on the casino that mysteriously banned you? No, because it's, it's still ongoing. And I'm, I'm about to... We'll be getting closure soon. I just... Uh, I gave it a few months to cool down, and I'm going to try to write to a different department, and if the different department either ignores me or rejects me, then I'm just going to go public. That's what the delay has been. From the 716, hey, what's more impressive, cashing first place in an 800-man field and then a 500-man field back-to-back or making the final table in a 30,000-man field? Huh. Um... If you got first place in both back-to-back, then it's actually a little more impressive to have uh, done the... Uh, actually, it's a, you know what? It's actually a lot more impressive to do the 800 and then 500. Now, just making... Uh, in fact, forget the final table. Even winning, winning back-to-back 800 and 500 field tournaments is actually more impressive than a single win in a 30,000 field tournament. The reason for that is if uh, if you multiply 800 by 500, you come up with 400,000. And that's basically, if you are an average player, your chance of doing that back-to-back in those two tournaments, not back-to-back, if you just take those two tournaments alone, forget back-to-back, because then that would mean some tournaments before that you didn't cash, but just take these two tournaments and say, what are the chances I'm going to finish both first and both if I'm an average player? The chance is 1 in 400,000. Uh... It's basically 800 times 500. So that's that's like going back-to-back in those is like first place in a 400,000. But but with, with that said, it's not the same if you're playing like a whole string of tournaments and just happening to hit two back-to-back. Because that will happen. That's a different story. Because then you have a whole lot of tries to get that done. I'm just saying, if you pick these two tournaments beforehand, say, I'm going to go back-to-back on these and do it, then that's actually more impressive than just registering for a 30,000-man field and winning it. From the 519, I hear you talk about Mauritius once in a while. Interesting trivia. Mauritius was once the home of the last living dodo bird. LOL. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. Mauritius is a little bit east of Madagascar, and it is known as, well, not known by that many people, but it is the farthest place on Earth from both Los Angeles and Las Vegas. So if you're in LA or Vegas and you're thinking about what's the farthest place I could go to that is on land. I'm not talking about the middle of the ocean, but the farthest place you can go to on land from L.A. or Vegas, that would be Mauritius. In fact, it's even farther from Vegas because you have to actually pass over L.A. to get there. From Vegas, it's about uh, it's about 12,000 miles to get to Mauritius, which is said to be a very nice place to visit. Very uh, picturesque island with some nice beaches, but do you want to go 12,000 miles to it? I don't think so. That's the only reason Mauritius doesn't do that well, tourism-wise, is because they're just not close to many places that 
tourists would be coming from. They're east of Africa. So it's very tough to get to, very far from everything, especially the U.S., especially the western U.S. Benjamin is fascinated with Mauritius because of that reason. We were actually on a cruise ship one time, and, and the waiter is from Mauritius, and Ben says, oh, you know, that's that's the farthest place. You know, I think we were actually in Los Angeles at the time. He says, oh, that's the farthest place uh, from where we are right now. And I could tell the waiter, he had, it seemed like that kind of made him sad. They made him more homesick, thinking that he's as far as possible from home as he could possibly be. Okay. Let's move on here. Trader Risk, are you still with us? I am here. Okay. I, I'm, I know on these segments, I assume you can't hear the videos that I play. No, I've got it hooked up now, Jeff, so I can I click over to my browser and I can listen. Oh, to perfect, them perfect. So I, I, I got to feel bad when I'm doing it. Oh, poor Trader Ruski. He, he hears me talking about these videos and then he can't uh, follow along. Okay, perfect. One day Skype will improve that. But uh, we're going to do more of this. Mike Mattisau started a new podcast. And... When you hear about someone starting a new podcast, you go, oh, another podcast, you know, who really cares? There's going to be people rambling about stupid shit. I admit I wasn't that excited to hear Mike Mattis I was starting a podcast, especially because he does have the tendency to just kind of just go off and talk and not really get to any point sometimes. So I wasn't that excited about a Mike Mattis podcast, but I was pleasantly surprised by it because he really talked about some interesting stuff. At least in his first episode. He, he came out firing with something fascinating. Mike Mattisau started a podcast called The Mouthpiece. It uh, can be found at themouthpiece.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, themouthpiece.podbean.com. And he just released episode one where he talks about the full tilt situation basically about his time at Full Tilt, how they were compensating him. Because he's one of the red pros there. He was one of the faces of the site. And the eventual scandal where it turned out that they had spent all the player money. And he had an insider take on the whole thing and revealed some things we didn't know before. So I'm going to play this. And I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I'm going to play a good part of it and... I'll comment as necessary. Trader Risky, you can jump in since you can hear it now on your other browser. And uh, we will discuss this. I think it's very interesting, especially if you follow the whole full tilt thing that happened starting eight years ago. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This, you want, you want to be on the show? That's his cat. What do you would like to say, Flash? Would you like to tell everyone I'm a 17-year-old cat that's witnessed Mike the Mouth get rich, get wealthy, get poor. That's actually true. Get wealthy, get poor. <laughs> Whoa. Fuck Raz tournaments, man. I, I don't understand that part. <laughs> Every once in a while, like, a random sound effect comes through like that, and then he, then he just makes some weird comment, like... <laughs> 
Fuck Raps tournaments, man. What what does that have to do with his cat and him getting rich and poor? Anyway, going on here. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is episode one of our new podcast. Today we're gonna talk about my life the last eight years, everything I've been through, the ups, the downs, the pain, the suffering. We're also going to have a special guest today, tournament director Matt Savage will be on to discuss everything from the big blind Annie to the state of poker today. I hate to say this as much as I like Matt Savage, and I do like him. Uh, I'm not going to have that part on here. You, you can go find it, though, the, the mouthpiece at .podbean.com if you want to hear the Matt Savage part. And, of course, we're going to take your phone calls and answer all the questions you want to hear on the mouthpiece. Everybody swing dance now. Today we're going to talk about um, basically what's been going on in my life since Black Friday and the misunderstanding of why and how I ended up broke. (laughs) Misunderstanding? All living in the past does is get you nowhere. You have to go forward. You can't play the victim. Playing the victim will always get you in trouble. You got to play the victor. And uh, unfortunately for me, it's uh, been hard not playing the victim over the last seven, eight years. Um, But uh, I've worked hard to get myself reasonably out of pain enough where I could start hopefully at least playing uh, 20 hours a week. The days of me traveling the poker circuit is probably over. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, when I've seen Mike Manisau, he's been in one of those motorized wheelchairs around the World Series. hes I forgot what the problem was. He mentioned it when he was on the show with us. He has some kind of health issue, some kind of pretty serious health issue that has uh, confined him to this chair. So he's definitely not doing well. He's not that old. I think he's around 49 or something. But uh, that's probably a big reason why he's not going to be on the circuit. But I'm going to try and play as much as I can. So let's start off in 2010, October of 2010. I I, I like to bring this up because I want people to understand kind of what went on with full tilt a lot of people are looking for the backstory or what exactly happened what I know about it I go back to 2010 and I I go back to the day we were in Austria it was me and all the owners of full tilt by the way I was not an owner of Full Tilt, so let's get that straight. But I was with all the owners and all the so-called good friends of mine um, that kept me at Full Tilt when originally Poker Stars were begging me to join them in uh, 04, right before we launched. And uh, Howard Letterer and John Jawanda, Eric Seidel, uh, David Gray, all the 
people who are involved with Full Tilt said, no, you're staying with us and um, no matter what. And so as the person of me who's very, very loyal to my friends, I uh, decided to stay with uh, Full Tilt Poker. And um, as I look back on that, I will say mistake number one of all the mistakes I've made in my life. So That's interesting. So he claims that Poker Stars was courting him to be a, a pro and that he was talked into by Howard and the others to stay with Full Tilt, which hadn't launched yet. It was just about to launch in 2004. And now he regrets it, obviously, for everything that went down. And we will hear more. That's that's uh, so he's he jumped right into the full tilt story and right now it's the setting is October 2010 and he was at some dinner in some other country I forgot which one Poland or whatever I forgot what he said it was and was was talking with them going back to 2010 um, we were in this uh, restaurant underground kind of a dungeon it used to be used I guess as uh, underground place that imprisoned people back in the 14th century or in the year 1400, not 14th century. Maybe it is 14th century. Yeah, that's right. That's that's actually not right. (laughs) He corrected himself correctly and then it's like, wait, 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 no, no, no. It it actually was. No, the 14th century means the 1300s. Like right now it's the 21st century and we're in the 2000s. See, I'm so stupid. I don't even know. And I, I, I just remember this dinner, and I said, you know, and me and Daniel were always really close, really good friends. And uh, now, listen to this part. This, this is going to be interesting. Daniel apparently warned him about some things happening at Full Tilt. This is what he claims that Daniel warned him about stuff going on there that we found out later really did go on there that uh, you know came out as a result of the Black Friday bus, but this was in 2010. The Black Friday bus were in April 2011, so if this is true, someone was tipping off Daniel. So listen to this. Listen to what Daniel told him, and then he went to go repeat to Ray Batar and the others and question him about it. Um, we talked a lot, and even though Daniel was with Poker Stars and I was with Full Tilt, uh, we, we, we all got along, so it was basically all of us pulling for each other and everything. But I I brought up the fact that um, Daniel said to me, and I brought it up to Ray Batar at the time and all the higher-ups that were at the table, and I said, well, um, Daniel says that you guys take player pool money that were supposed to be in players' accounts and you've used it to advertise and build Full Tilt's brand into what it is. And uh, at the time, Ray Batar says, well, that is somewhat true and somewhat false and that we um, definitely, we use players' money at first because, you know, we never thought we were going to be, like, out of business and, like, they were going to close us down, so... So when they first opened, you know, everybody started putting their money on full tilt. They definitely used 
the money of uh, to advertise heavily to build Oldsville into what it is today, or what it was today at the time. And uh, but they said, but that money has already been replenished. It's already been put back in everybody's account. And uh, Daniel doesn't know what he's talking about. I said, okay, okay, that's that's interesting. I had thought that this practice started later. That they were digging into player money when they would uh, have immediate needs for things. That uh, later on, when they needed to advertise more to keep up with poker stars. Later on, when they uh, when they had issues with payment processors either screwing them or not being able to process for a while, that they would draw out of the player funds to both advertise and also pay out owners their profits, assuming that eventually the ship would right itself and they could replenish the money, which, of course, is stealing. But that's what I thought was happening. What Mattisau is saying here that Daniel told him, and this is before Black Friday, was that from the very beginning, this was part of the business model, that starting out, they just didn't have that much money to, for promotions to, to advertise the site in the mainstream media, and that the only way they could afford to do that was with the big rush of deposits that came into the site when it first opened to take a healthy percentage of that money and use it for marketing, even though it was player money. And the assumption was that not everybody is going to cash out at the same time, that those that win are not going to say, hey, well, I want to cash out now, that most of them are going to hold the money on the site for the most part because they just opened. So that that was actually part of the business model. That was part of the model of getting off the ground was we're going to use player money to promote. I believe that, too. How Daniel knows, I don't know, but uh, maybe someone told him. I, w- I don't know how much visibility the... You know, obviously, most of the pros didn't have visibility into it. Like, Mattisau didn't have visibility into it. He, he was told by Daniel, but somehow Daniel found this out and told Mattisau about it. And he confronted Ray, and Ray's like, yeah, we did it, but we're not doing it anymore. That part wasn't true. They were still doing it. They they had almost nothing left. Probably in late 2010, they had some left, but then they had those payment processor problems, which ate up the rest of the money. But they definitely hadn't made everybody whole by that point. Then I said, Daniel says that you guys are processing uh, money by under fictitious names like selling flowers, uh, selling garden equipment, selling whatever bullshit they used to process money. He told me the exact same thing. Daniel's a fucking liar, that he's full of shit, and that uh, he's making it up. I said, okay. Well, it's interesting because... Poker stars, which Daniel is representing, I, I think he was representing them back then in 2010. Not sure, but uh, Poker Stars was doing the same thing, and that's why actually the two sites got together, which they otherwise wouldn't have because they didn't like each other. These two sites, Poker Stars and Full Tilt, but they actually got together, and that's why they actually basically took over. That Sun First Bank in St. George, Utah, which became a bank which would be doing these payment processes. That, 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 the whole plan was they're going to buy a bank and then they'll have control of the bank to do this illegal payment processing and nobody will be the wiser. That was the plan, but that's what ended up bringing them down. 
because of that bank. So uh, Stars was doing the same thing. The Stars and Full Tilt were doing the same stuff with the payment processing. The only difference was that uh, Stars was actually keeping the money on deposit, and Full Tilt was not. Well, as it turns out, here we are. We all have now found out that they were doing illegal processing the exact same way Daniel said they were. They took players' money the exact same way Daniel said they were. And um, it was kind of a lot of lying going on. Now, I just want people to understand that I had a special deal with Full Tilt. Um, I had 5% of what's called a player's pool. I had the highest percentage of anybody in the player's pool. The player's pool was uh, basically uh, derived off of uh, how much money the company was taking in, divided by uh, what our operating costs were, divided by what, what whatever it all was. And then I would get 5% and different people would get 2% and 3%. And that was basically their pay for the month. Well, in 2010, or I'm sorry, in 2011, a month before Black Friday, I went to a meeting at uh, Howard's house with my agent and um, with a couple other people. And I basically said, I want my fucking money and the raise that I'm entitled to because the company had gone up 400%. I was basically getting fifty thousand a month, but should have been making two hundred thousand a month. See, I'm not understanding that part. This is where he's losing me. He was making. He wasn't an owner there. He, he admits that he wasn't an owner. He was just a red pro who was uh, fairly famous poker wise and was promoting the site. So he was getting fifty thousand a month just for that. For doing nothing, or I shouldn't say doing nothing. For do, for doing whatever little promotion he was doing of a full tilt, he was getting fifty k a month, which was six hundred thousand a year. Pretty damn good, right? Six hundred thousand dollars a year just to promote full tilt a little bit. So he went to Howard and he said, "Look, the, the company has grown by a factor of four since we made that deal. So so now you owe me uh, two hundred thousand a month. So I should be making two point four million a year." Which which is ridiculous. That's not the way it works. You just because a company grows doesn't mean that they have to pay you according to what they've grown. Similarly, if if they are not doing well, they then it's not expected you're going to take a cut and pay. So let's say instead of growing by a factor of four, let's say that they went down by twenty percent. So what if they went to Madison and said, "Yeah, remember the deal we had to pay you fifty thousand? Yeah, well, we, we've." We've gone down by twenty percent, so we're going to pay forty thousand a month now. How about that? He'd be screaming bloody murder, saying, "No, we agreed to fifty thousand. Now, if, whatever time period they agreed upon, if they had to renegotiate and say, well, all, we can, "All we can afford to pay you now is forty thousand, that's fine." But if they've agreed upon something for some period of time, I don't see why how stars or how, how full tilt was doing should change that. But it kind of seemed to me like. He was just jealous that some of these other people were getting paid more, and 
since they had grown, he thought he was deserving more money. This is this was kind of the delusion that was going on at the time by a lot of these red pros. They just thought they were worth worth more than they were. And I have no problems spilling out those numbers. They sound a little crazy, but I was working extremely hard, and so was everybody at Full Tilt. We were traveling the world at a whim's notice. Whenever they said jump, I said how high. Right, hold on, you're getting six hundred thousand a year, though. Like, okay, you were working and you, you were traveling around, but six hundred thousand a year—that's a pretty damn good salary. It's a—it's pretty hard to say that you're not getting compensated for working your ass off if you're getting six hundred thousand a year. It is. It's. It, I'm not saying that people don't deserve more than that for certain jobs. But I'm also saying that you can't say, I work my ass off so hard, only 600000 a year, how dare you? That's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to be making per year. And I guarantee you for how much you were working there, that was a tremendous overpayment. And uh, that was my job. And I worked hard to promote the company. I um, was then told that the beginning of next month that I will be getting double what I'm getting now and that the reason I have not gotten my raise up to 200000 a month that I was supposed to be getting is because the company was having processing problems and that they had put $500 million away in case they lose the U.S. market I'd never have to work again. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part. I don't understand what he means by I'd never have to work again. But what he was saying here was that he was told that the reason they hadn't given him a raise earlier is because they were starting to have problems processing payments, which was true. The, the beginning of 2011, they were having trouble actually processing deposits. And if you deposited on full tilt, then in most cases it would – credit your account, but then they would never take the money out of your bank account because they didn't have a process to actually do it. So that uh, was obviously a problem if it continued to go on that way. If they found a processor soon enough, then the processor could just uh, bill all the people's banks who had done this in the past and hope the money's still there. So even if it's a month or two behind, they can still justify doing it because the player really did deposit the money. But they were having a hard time finding a processor. And so what they were telling Mike supposedly is that they were bracing for the possibility, not that they'd get busted, but they were bracing for the possibility that they never would find a processor to do this and that they may have to just exit the U S market if they can't find a processor who will work with the U S market. And that in anticipation of this happening, that they have taken $500 million of company money that had been going out for distributions, and they put it aside so the company can basically survive if uh, they leave the U.S. market. Which all wasn't true, by the way. They didn't put anything aside. They were almost broke. And coming from friends that I've trusted and been good friends with my whole life for 14, 15 years in poker... There was no reason for me not to doubt that. So I said, okay, that's fine. I'll be getting double the first of the month. And uh, it makes sense to me with the processing problems. Well, lo and behold, Black Friday hits. 
in 2011. I had no idea what that meant when they shut down the sites. I was kind of oblivious to how bad it was. Howard was on a those tours, was it U, U, USO tours, I think they're called, you know, with the troops. I think he was there with Tom Dwan, a couple other people. And uh, what kind of USO show would that be? <laughs> Many years ago, they had Bob Hope, and now they have Howard Letterer and Tom Dwan. Would you like to see them for entertainment? If you're fighting abroad, this is the this is your one moment of, of entertainment there, and you, ladies and gentlemen, Howard Letterer and Tom Dwan. Yay! <laughs> what are they even doing there? That was a new one to me. The Tom Dwan and Howard Letterer were on the, the USO tour. What were they even doing? What, what was their talent for entertainment-wise? That's so weird. That is so weird. All right, let's let's go on with this here. Uh, I talked to him on the phone. He's like, "No, this is really bad for us," and uh, I didn't know how bad it really was. The day after. Uh, Black Friday hits. They asked me to go to London to film uh, a high-stakes cash game uh, tournaments. I filmed filmed three of them. But uh, during the filming of it, we had to have a pause and a wait. And I said, what's the problem? And they said, well, the check hasn't cleared and I said, uh, well, well, what's the check for? And they said, $1.1 million. And I said, well, how could the check not clear for $1.1 million? Because nobody understood, but the company was dropping in rake $2.5 million a day. So if they're dropping $2.5 million a day, how could they not have $1.1 million? Yeah, so that was uh, a big red flag, apparently, that they, Full Tilt, and this is the first I've heard of this, Full Tilt could not pay a $1.1 million production bill, and the company that they were working with didn't want to continue until they got paid. And Mike's wondering, well, if they're making $2.5 million in rake per day, how can they not come up with $1.1 million? And that was because they had been distributing funds to owners, while they were losing money hand over fist because they could not process deposits. So they had been taking player money for a while for promotions. Plus they were distributing player money to owners as profits. Plus they couldn't take in deposits to replenish uh, their funds there. So they were, they were broke. To pay for the filming of this episode. So, after about eight hours of bickering back and forth on the phone with the guys that were doing the filming and Ray Bittar, the criminal mastermind behind the thievery of all the money at Full Tilt, they then okayed, said they got a partial check and uh, for half and that they could start filming. So we go ahead, I film that. And my three segments were over, and I was heading home. It wasn't until I got home that uh, about two weeks later, 
I find out they did not film the other three segments because the check bounced and they had no money. Now, this is when I knew the company was really in trouble. I was completely in shock. I had no idea that this could even be possible. I look back at that day, and I look back at 2010 in that restaurant, in that dungeon, and I look back at the whole year prior when a lot of you out there who played poker with me would hear me saying a lot of bad things about Full Tilt and people would say, well, why are you saying so many bad things about Full Tilt? They pay you 50000 a month. Then I'm like, well, because they're greedy, they lie, and they, the almighty dollar is all that meant anything to them. And I look back at it and I say, all they had to do is stop taking disbursements for six months. Six months. They were taking $45 million in disbursements for six months, lining their pockets. And the company would be in business today, thriving in Europe, thriving in Brazil, thriving all over. And what would have been the truthful statement when I went and saw them of we put $500 million away so we don't lose the U.S. market. Well, if they would have done that and not lied to me, we'd be in business today and my life would be completely different. So I just want everybody to know a little bit on the full tilt backstory. I also know this for a fact. When Howard Letterer, came out and said, I am retired, it was all Ray Batar, blah, 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 blah. That's a bunch of bullshit. Everything, every time I went to Howard's house and every time a deal was discussed, it was always Ray and Howard making the decisions. Now that's interesting because if you remember two years ago, I was at the World Series of Poker 10k limit hold'em event and i got howard at the table and as promised as i promised the listeners here i talked trash to howard and after the trash talking kind of subsided which went on a while but after it finally subsided then we started talking more civilly and he started telling me that he wants the poker world to know that he's not uh, as guilty as they all say and that it, actually he was out of things as of 2008 and i said okay can you prove this and he's like, well, I don't know what proof I could provide. You know, no one would believe it. And I, so I was explaining him the type of proof you could provide. I said, you know, how about an email you sent in 2008 that people can acknowledge receiving that you're, you're no longer – they shouldn't come to you anymore with full tilt concerns, that you're no longer working. Whatever it is, show me some kind of paper trail that you were out of it in 2008. And he said, oh, yeah, maybe I can come up with something. And he actually gave me his number, which unfortunately I don't have anymore because my uh, – that phone crashed and lost everything. Uh, I meant to follow up on that and get him on the show, but I never did. Though I was a little afraid that he was trying to just use me to put out a false message, and I didn't want that either. But anyway, I didn't think I believed that, that he was really out of it by 2008. I think that's what he wanted people to believe, but I, I think he probably just 
technically changed titles there in 2008, maybe to avoid potential prosecution for just running an illegal poker site. But I didn't think he was out of it from the decision-making standpoint and that uh, Mattisau was saying exactly that here, that, that it was really Howard and Ray Bittar making these decisions the whole way. On the phone. So for him to say he had nothing to do with it, he's retired, it's a bunch of bullshit. But there was also other people involved that also had a say that never took the heat like Howard took. So was Howard responsible? 100%. Was Chris Ferguson responsible? Um, I seem to lean on the fact that Chris Ferguson's only guilty thing that he did was let a bunch of fucking ass clowns run his company. He was the biggest shareholder at 20%. He, um, he created the software for Full Tilt. And he let basically a criminal like Ray Bittar run his business and let a man like Howard also run it and some other people. I mean, there was big shareholders that never took heat. Before we get to that part, this is interesting. This is the first time I've heard from someone who might be credible that Chris Ferguson is not as deserving of scorn as he's been getting. Now, I still think he's deserving of some scorn. But what Mike is saying here is that Chris, despite owning the biggest share of the company at 20%, was was hands-off. That he entrusted those decisions to Ray and Howard, and that those two screwed up everything. And that Ray... Uh, that what Chris was really guilty of is just letting them handling handle everything and not really getting involved like he should have, given what he owned of the company. That's not always an excuse. Just something you should know that you don't put the effort to know doesn't excuse you for not knowing it. That's why CEOs are held responsible for whatever happened to their company even if uh, they can claim that they weren't aware. There are certain things that they should be aware of, and same with, uh, even though Ferguson was not a CEO, he was in a position there where he should have known, he was on the board there, he should have known everything that was happening. So if he, if he really didn't know, he should have. But Mike is saying that he just didn't know, that he just let them run it and let them make the decisions, and that was a big mistake. I mean, Ivy was a big shareholder, uh... Eric Seidel was a big shareholder. Jawander was a big shareholder. These are guys that made thirty, forty million in their pockets off full tilt, but they never got any heat because Howard was the name up front that basically, uh, you know, was a CEO. I understand that, but from what I've heard, they didn't have much knowledge of the business portion of it that they were not uh, really let in to these decision processes. And I heard that Juanda actually was one of the loud voices against Ray Bittar and he was trying to lead a coup along with Perry Friedman and a few others to get Ray Bittar out of there because he didn't trust Ray and he thought Ray was not running the company properly. So I don't think you can blame Juanda. Ivy, I don't know, but I can picture Ivy really just not paying attention and just 
taking his check every month and being happy that he can use it to gamble. You know, and even when he was uh, considered retired, he, uh, him and Ray's made all the decisions. So they can stay whatever they want. Those two were the key decision makers, including when there were other people on the board. There was like seven on the board that had major ownerships that also made kids key decision making. So I don't think Howard should take all the heat. You know, I, I think it was kind of unfair he did, but he did put himself to the front of the company and everybody else was kind of a silent partner. So, you know, that's kind of what happened. So I personally had uh, $279,000 on full tilt. Um, I uh, was somebody that uh, used to always blow all the money I made basically playing high stakes hooker online. I never won online. Uh, I probably lost $4 million playing online poker. I don't know how much I got cheated out of. I know I got cheated out of at least a million on UB before we got all the big cash games moved over to full tilt. I did get a $345,000 rebate from Ultimate Bet. Uh, that story is pretty funny in itself that... Um, I uh, lost 53 out of 54 sessions on Ultimate Bet playing 50 and 100 no limit and playing 300, 600 Omaha 8 or better. Russell Hamilton literally used to call me to play him 300, 600 Omaha 8 or better head up. This guy would beat me and beat me and beat me and nobody ever beat me playing head up Omaha 8 or better. So I can't even imagine how much he stole from me there. Um, it left a pretty sour taste in my mouth, but... You know, getting that 345 check, uh, I thought I was going to get a million back, and I thought I deserved that much back, but I guess it was kind of like found money. That kind of is the start of everything that kind of went bad for me. Fast forward to 2012. Now, the whole year of 2011, I was kind of in a cocoon in my house, like realizing, oh my God, I'm going to have to now start playing poker full-time for a living again. Now, I had basically put myself where I had quit playing online about six months before Black Friday uh, because it was just unhealthy for me. I was losing and losing and losing, and I just never lost playing live poker, and I could never win playing online, and... It's just I'm the type of person that needs to be in front of people. I'm a people person. I like to have fun when I'm playing. I like to talk to people. I like to focus on people. I basically play real poker, you know, like reading people, knowing if they have it, making big calls, making big folds. Online, I mean, it's just math-based calls and folds and it just wasn't my cup of tea, and that's why originally I told uh, Ray at the time that I no longer can play online, and that they're going to have to start, you know, paying me, and I'll do other things for the company. With but I can't play online anymore, and they agreed, and that's how I ended up uh, saving almost three hundred thousand online. Uh, which, by the way, I never got back, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. So we fast forward uh, to uh, 
2012. It was basically uh, right after I found out that Poker Stars was buying Full Tilt. And I then went out and I borrowed 100000 from somebody and uh, told him he'd get it back as soon as I uh, get my Full Tilt money back. Then we go into the end of 2012 and I find out that Poker Stars, even though they bought Full Tilt, that the government or whoever was in charge, whatever, basically said, if you're a red pro, you're not getting your money back. Everybody else does. Which they ended up stealing like $35 million from uh, the red pro players and that they never paid anybody. I then went into a panic mode because I had to pay back this guy this hundred, and uh, we can now kind of fast forward 2013. Now, let's let's pause for a second here. What he's talking about is that the government made the decision that in reimbursing players for the full tilt money that was that they had balances with, that anyone who was a red pro would not be getting any money that they did not win or deposit for poker. So if you deposited your own money and you're a red pro, you'll get it back. If you won your own money on there, you'd get it back. But anything in your balance that came from payments, either from the 100% or very high rate back that they were giving red pros, or from promotional payments for being uh, for promoting the site like Madison was getting, that you wouldn't get that back. And the way they would figure this out is they would calculate how much you had been given over time from full tilts, and if it exceeded the amount in your balance, you wouldn't get any. So there were some people who really got screwed, like like uh, Mike Schneider, for example. He's, he's a good one to point to. Mike Schneider, also known as Schneids from Minnesota, a uh, longtime limit hold'em grinder. He was a full tilt red pro towards the end because he was a card runner's instructor, and card runners instructors automatically became red pros on there. So when it, it came time to do the full tilt refunds, they, the government actually went back and subtracted everything that uh, he had been paid uh, as a red pro from you know, the breakback he was getting. They subtracted all of that from his balance, and it became below zero, so he got nothing back. And he was really angry about that. And the government's logic was that the reason they were doing this is because this was stolen money. This is money that uh, was being paid to people who, uh, you know, being paid to people from player funds that shouldn't have been. So therefore, they weren't entitled to it. So they were only interested in refunding players for money they either deposited or won playing poker and nothing else. And, he, and what they would do, they'd go retroactively back and whatever you made, they would subtract off your balance. So he got nothing. And he was mad about that because it was like they went back and reached into his wallet and, and took away money that he had already made for past work. It's not like they're going to say, well, going forward, you're not going to get any rate back. They're, they're saying, you got paid such and such for additional rate back all this time, so we're taking that away from your balance... And now you're getting nothing. 
So this happened to Mattisau as well. He was getting more than Rakeback. He was getting uh, 50k a month. So he had 279,000 in his full tilt account. When Black Friday happened, he, he heard he's going to get it back, and then he hears, actually, you're not going to get it back because this was uh, most or all that money came from payments from Full Tilt, not from something he wanted at the tables. Or at least when you take everything they paid him, it was far more than 279000 So that's uh, he didn't get it back, and he was saying, oh, crap, I owe someone 100 k and now I, I can't afford to pay that person the 100 I owe them. I was counting on that money. I just had a friend of mine named Kevin. He started staking me at the uh, about the middle of 2012 I win about 500000 for him in about, I don't know, about three months playing down in San Diego at the Palomar. At the time, you know, he started staking me. He says, don't worry, Mike. I got a million dollars behind you. I'll always have your back. You have nothing to worry about. So I walked into a BMW dealership. I saw a new car in the lot. Bought a new car for 100000 I figure, okay. And full tilt nightmares over. <laughs> that, that's so Mike doing that too. Here uh, he owes someone one hundred thousand dollars. You know he's he's just he's had a lot of problems with blowing his money over time. So you, you think when he finally thinks some uh, money is coming in, that the first thing he doesn't just go do is visit a BMW dealership and buy a hundred thousand dollar car. But nope, that, that's what he did. He bought a hundred thousand dollar car. Uh, I'm Kevin staking me. I'm crushing the games. And everything was uh, back to normal for me, except for the full tilt fiasco behind me and the bullshit that they said before they sold to poker stars. Some French guy wanted to buy the company, and then they start bringing up assets owed to them. Now, we can go into assets owed to them is people that owed the company money that didn't pay it back. Now we can go back to that. I was given quite a big sum of money by Full Tilt to get all the big games moved over from Ultimate Bet to Full Tilt, in which I did rather successfully. I mean, I was playing like 320 hours a month. I got all the high limit games moved over. There was no more high limit games at Ultimate Bet, and everything was over at Full Tilt. They ended up giving me like a million dollars, and uh, you know I had no money at the time. They knew that I would eventually win it back. They were having me play like two thousand, four thousand Omaha eight or better. This is this is really interesting. Listen to this. In case you missed it, what he was saying there is that he was broke. And Full Tilt wanted the big nosebleed games on their site. And they figured that uh, one way to do it was to get someone like Mattis out to encourage everybody to move the game over to Full Tilt. So they, he, Mattis out claims they gave him a million bucks to, as a bankroll to just play in these nosebleed games on Full Tilt, get them going there and encourage everybody to leave UB. And to play over at Full Tilt. So that's what he did. He claims he got everybody off UB. This is before the UB scandal of 2008. Must have been before that. But that he, he successfully got that done. But that he lost the million bucks in the process. 
because these were very high stakes games. He ran bad and and, and uh, he lost a million dollars. But that they they realized that this was part of the cost of doing business. Part of the cost of getting the games moved over is to stake him the million dollars, which they which he could possibly lose. Bunch of mixed games, and when you're playing two thousand, four thousand online, a million dollars just is not much. I mean, you could lose like. Two three hundred a day. No, he's not kidding about that. Two thousand four thousand, you really could lose a million very fast, even at limit. Easily. And uh, so when I got stuck a million, uh, out of nowhere they said uh, you're cut off and you owe us this money. And I'm like, owe us this money? I'm like, why would I owe you this money? I'm like, you know, I don't have this kind of money. And they're like, well, we'll take ten thousand dollars a month off of your check. At the time, I was like, really? I'm like, what was I going to say? I mean, I I needed the money. I needed the income. So I originally, at $10,000 a month, uh, basically for about 32 months, paid off like $320,000. So So that's interesting. He's claiming that the the million dollars was uh, not something they just gave him to get the games moved over, that it it was just a loan. And that it was expected if he lost that he would have to pay them back. And then when he lost it all, he's like, uh, hey, guys, can you give me some more money? And they're like, no, we can't give you any more money. And you owe us the million dollars back. And he's like, what? And they said, well, we're still paying you 50K a month. So now we're just going to pay you 40K a month until 100 months pass by. And then you can start getting 50K again. <laughs> so so he just accepted it. I Full Tilt is shady. They did a lot of crappy things. And it wouldn't surprise me if they portrayed it to him like it was not something he'd have to be paid back, and then when he lost it, they said it was. But I can also believe that he just assumed that they're just giving him a million bucks to play with, where if he loses it, oh well. And then when he lost it, he didn't understand that this was like a loan. So I, I don't know which one it was. He he, he probably believed it was a million-dollar loan, that uh, not a million-dollar stake, and they probably believed it was a million-dollar loan. Who knows the truth, but... Uh, he claimed for thirty. And did he say was he? Did they say like it was his original position that he'd keep all the money he made? I mean, there must have been some type of deal if they were going to back him for a million bucks. You'll, we'll give you twenty percent of the winnings or something. No, it seems like he get a hundred percent of the winnings. It seems like what they, what he was trying to say is that they wanted the high stakes game so badly that they were willing to sink a million dollars into getting them moved. Just, just right. But then they weren't expect. So they were expecting. If he ever, when they ever stopped it, he's up one point two. He'd keep two hundred thousand and give him the million back, or yeah, he'd get one point two million. Well, no, I think I think they were. Yeah, I think that uh, if if he won by the time the moving it was over, then at that point they they, they would take back the original million, but that he'd keep all the winnings. That, I think that's what, right. But clearly, there was no problem. I don't even. It would be interesting if there was even talk about that. We're going to do it till this time period. And at that point, we're evaluating where we're at. I mean, it just seems so irresponsible to throw money like this around yeah, but, without an agreement. But, of course, they, they were known to have done this. They gave uh, they not only gave $2 million to Eric Lindgren as a loan, which he, which he couldn't pay back, but they actually gave him the $2 million twice where the second loan was accidental. Jesus, for some reason, I had, thought it was 200000 No, it was $2 million. They, two mil- they, they, I remember the twice thing. Yeah, yeah they gave him $2 million twice, the second of which was a mistake. So that shows you how irresponsible they were. That's why I don't know who to believe here. I could, believe, I could totally believe Mattisau is the type who just totally misunderstand this 
and just believe they're giving him a million bucks to move the games over. Well, right, but I don't even think it's like on him to, you know, he's Jones to play high stakes poker. You know, they're like, oh, here's a million to go play on the full tilt and start the high high stakes games. Well, yeah, it's it's very possible that it's something like that. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's very possible it's like that. Like, like, hey, we, we, we really want these high stakes games over here. Here's a million dollars. Play the games here. Get people to move over. And they just like some, like never talked about what's going to happen if he loses. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put this on Madison at all. It's I, all on them. But I mean, he cer- certainly should have, yeah, at least gotten it in writing that it wasn't alone. For yeah. sure. <laughs> so that, so let's hear what happened to the rest of this. I talked to a lot of people. And even Daniel told me, hey, there's no way you should have to pay that money. What you've done for them, you've gotten all the high limit games over at full tilt. I mean, they gave you that money to play. They cut you off without even telling you. I mean, there's just no way I'm going to sit there and say, give me a million dollars to play these big games, move everybody over, and then just expect you to, like, cut me off and then say I owe you the money there's no way I would ever have played big games and borrowed that kind of money I was in no chance or understanding that this money was money that I had to pay them back now granted this company's dropping 2 million a day These they're putting them all these shareholders are putting a million dollars a month in their pocket now, let me stop there. When he keeps saying dropping, that may confuse some of you. He actually means that the amount they're raking. They're not dropping like losing it. They're raking it. Uh, and, and the million in their pocket, yeah, he's referring to – a few people got things like that. Like Ivy was getting a million in his pocket. Like a few people there were getting that type of money every month. Not many. Like Lindgren, for example, he was getting two fifty k a month. And so the grand scheme of things, when they were going to sell – to this French company, they basically said, well, uh, Jawanda owes $2 million and Lindgren owes $2 million and this guy owes $3 million and Mike Mattiso owes 680000 and uh, I got death threats. Basically, people were calling death threats saying, if I don't pay back this money, they're going to kill me and i got so many death threats on twitter you can't even imagine what he's referring to here is something shady that was done by a company called group bernard tappy that was going to buy full tilt before poker stars ended up doing it and this is before poker stars showed an interest in buying full tilt so it looked like uh full tilt was desperate to sell and group tappy which is a French company, came in and offered to buy it. But uh, during the negotiations, they said, ah, 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 look at this. We see that a bunch of pros owe money to Full Tilt. We see that Mattisau owes. We see that Barry Greenstein owes. We see that uh, Lindgren owes. So they had this big list of people. I didn't even know about Jawanda, but several pros owed large sums of money to Full Tilt. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to buy this unless these pros pay this back. And on the surface, that sounded like it made sense. And a lot of pros at the time who owed the money were vilified for basically holding up the deal, which supposedly was going to rescue the players who had money stuck on there. So people got very mad at people like Mattisau for not paying back what they owed and that it was ruining the deal. And that's when I stood up and said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Hang on. You guys aren't thinking of this the right way. 
This isn't a matter that Full Tilt owes money to these people, and that if Tappy takes over, that they're going to owe the money. It's the reverse. What Tappy found is a good thing. Tappy found that upon taking ownership of Full Tilt, this money will be owed to them, and maybe some of it will get paid back, and maybe they're going to get extra money they never thought they were going to get in the first place. Think of it this way. Think if there's a bunch of bad debts in poker. And let's let's say someone came to you and said, I'm going to list to you 10 very large bad debts in poker that may never get paid. You go, okay. They go, okay, how would you like to own all 10 of these debts? And you say, well, I I don't think it's worth very much money to buy these debts. Uh, I go, no, 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 you don't have to buy these debts. You can own all of these debts to where the debts will all be to you for the price of... Zero point zero. So, yes, you probably won't get most of these, but you can own all ten of these debts now for zero dollars. Would you say yes? Unless you were a total moron, of course you'd say yes, because it's found money. At the worst, you're going to break even. At the best, you'll get some money out of these people. Even if you accept five cents on the dollar, you'll get money that was never really owed to you. So this should be great news for a company that wants to buy full tilt and knows that they're broke, knows that they're just buying the brand and the software, that there are people out there that owe the company money that they might be able to get some of that from. So Tappy, instead of acting like they were happy about finding that, acted like this was bad and said, uh, well, unless we get these debts paid off, we're we're not doing the deal. Why? Because they wanted to see if these pros were willing to cough up the money to see how much Full Tilt was really worth. Because the more pros that were willing to cough up the money, the more it was worth it for them to buy the company. So this wasn't a bad thing they found. This was a good thing they found. And they exploited the players wanting it to be bought. And they put out a public statement that if these players don't pay, if if these pros didn't pay what they owed, that the deal was off. And they tricked people. A lot of people were stupid enough to fall for it. Said, yeah, you know, come on, guys, pay it back. You know, you're, you're holding up the deal. No. Had Tappy not discovered these things, they would have bought Full Tilt anyway. I don't think they were ever that serious about buying it, but I'm saying discovering this is a good thing for the reason I just stated. And a few people did pay back, I, I think pretty significant amounts, right, Trump? I seem to remember that. It was afterwards. Nothing was ever paid to Tappy. So Barry Greenstein was very much under fire for this, and Barry was saying, look, I I can't pay Tappy. They don't even own it yet. How can I pay Tappy 400000 that I owe Full Tilt if they don't even own Full Tilt yet? Which which is true. Nobody should pay Tappy until... Uh, but even if people wanted to commit to it, uh, which is what Tappy was looking for, is some kind of commitment to it, uh, there, there were other reasons not to commit because it wasn't clear that Tappy was going to pay everybody in full. There was some talk that Tappy may only pay them a portion of what they're owed, you know, 70 cents on the dollar or whatever. So um, these pros also should not pay Tappy back unless uh, if they were to buy Full Tilt, unless Full Tilt was really going to make everyone whole. But it never came to that. They never ended up buying it. The deal fell through, and uh, PokerStars bought it much later. Not much later, but somewhat later. So if you go to dandruffpoker.com, you can see I wrote a blog there back in 2012 called There's Something About Barry. You can read a blog I wrote seven years ago explaining that whole thing and why Greenstein was actually in the right. 
and why Tappy was being so stupid. Or not stupid, they were being manipulative. So that's what Mattis is talking about here, how he got a lot of threats from people because Tappy said he owed this money when, when, when he's like, well, yeah. but, but listen, he didn't use the same logic I did, that basically finding these debts, it's actually an asset that they'd be getting, not a liability. But listen to the reason Mattisau felt that he shouldn't have to pay it back. So, but this was a false statement. And I even had Howard Letter admit it in front of Elia Lezra, in front of a bunch of people when he decided to show up in the poker room and start playing 400-800 in Bobby's room. And I'm, I just said straight out, like, I want you to tell everybody, do I owe that money, Howard? He says, technically... Unless you're working for the company, no. I'm like, thank you. Okay, because I knew I didn't know this money. But they sure made it out to be like I was a bad guy and I was like this guy that was causing their merger with some French company to be delayed. And they just threw everybody under the bus. So many people that owed 50000 And they're like saying, oh, well, we don't have this money because Mike Mattis owes this much money and... Jawanda owes this much money, and this guy owes this much money. and But that was all, a, if you think about it, a, just a bunch of bullshit. Because if you're dropping two and a half million a day, what in the fuck are you saying, like, these minuscule amounts of money now in the real world? See, that's, that's not the point here. The point he's making, though, they're, they're making so much a day from Rake, so, so why are you worrying about this? Why is that ruining the deal? They weren't making that anymore after Black Friday. And no matter how much they're making, that's not the point here. The point is here that a company that wants to buy them should be happy to find out that people owe the, the company money and they might be able to collect. That's the point. Well, it's a lot of money, but minuscule amounts of money are causing them from selling the company. Whatever it is, to this day, after they sold uh, eventually to Poker Stars, and we're going back to where I borrowed 100 from somebody and uh, – I find out that uh, they're not going to be paying anybody who's a red pro back. Everybody else was getting paid back. And uh, I call this guy uh, and I said, hey, we got to grab some lunch tomorrow. He said, okay, no problem. And about 20 minutes later, he calls me back on the phone and says, uh, did you know that uh, they're not paying these red pros back? I said, that's why I want to have lunch with you tomorrow. I just found this out. So... Um, we forward back to 2013, uh, NBC head up. Uh, I uh, won that for 650000 um, It would have been seven fifty. Kind of Helmuth begged me to save a hundred, Even though I had a dream, I won the tournament before it even started. I said, this is like a free hundred I'm giving you, Phil, but you're my friend, so we'll, you know, we'll save a hundred. Whatever. I win it for six fifty. I then go ahead and... Uh, Get like three twenty for myself. I pay pretty much everybody that's kept me alive for two years back. Uh, I grab and pay the hundred I owed the person I borrowed from, and I uh, I kept myself fifty thousand. So I had fifty grand. I had just made one point one million in four about four months, and I I took. In the four months, ten thousand a month for bills, and I took fifty thousand for winning the uh, NBC head up, and uh, basically paid everybody I owed. And I then, uh, you know, fast forward to 
World Series 2013. I won the Stud Ada Better Tournament for 286000 I then, at that time, out of the 140 I got, kept 20 for myself and walked around the poker room handing out flags and $25,000 chips to people I owe. So um, even though Full Tilt was gone, my name had been dr- drugged through the mud by them, which to this day I really have a a lot of resentment for it. Uh, I have n- I don't hold grudges. I'm not the type of person who holds grudges against Howard or Ray or Seidel or Jawanda or Gray, David Gray or all, anybody who they're just my you know, I say hello to them. I always am respectful. Um but you know the the lie of we put five hundred million away so you don't have to work again was was such a deceitful lie that I look back at how I was protecting them the first couple of months after Black Friday, and I actually had even took a their side against Phil Ivy, which. I look back as one of the biggest mistakes I ever made because I didn't listen to Phil Ivey's side of the story. Uh, they were like saying that Phil Ivey had someone who's going to buy the company and and it was all scam and Ivy was a scammer and Ivy was this and Ivy was that and and uh, I, I, I my, one of my biggest mistakes I ever made was uh, not listening to Phil's side of the story. Now about a year later, me and Phil talked about it. And uh, we made amends. Uh, I apologize for not taking his to not listening to his side of the story. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing that came out that they were calling Ivy a scammer, Howard and uh, and and uh, Ray and all that. That uh, I knew there was some kind of problem, and remember Ivy wanted to get out of full tilt and do his own thing and there was some lawsuit involved and he wanted his name off of it and his face off of his likeness they, there, there was some of that but they, they apparently it was really bitter and there was even bashing of Ivy internally and that uh, Mattis South feels bad now because he said he believed it at first and went along with it and then later realized it wasn't true he says and then he made up with Ivy and just it was that all Ray Batar making up that story I don't know yeah, I don't know the whole thing about Ivy getting investors. Who knows? Maybe it's half true. Howard and them had to say. And uh, that basically covers the, the full tilt fiasco and how they destroyed the company from their greed. I don't blame Chris Ferguson. And I really want people out there to understand that Chris is a good guy. He basically told, you guys run it. And uh, if something big or any big decisions you need somebody to talk to, call me. But all he wanted to do is play poker. And um, I believe Chris Ferry is a good guy. I told him this last year at the World Series. He says, Mike, you got it spot on. And and he said it with a straight face to me. You know, when I said, you know, I know you're the only thing you're guilty of is letting a bunch of idiots run your company. 
And um, he looked me right in the eye and said, you're spot on, Mike, and I appreciate what you say, that, but you say good things about me. So, Well, of course he's going to say that. You know, Chris, uh, you, you, you know, this wasn't your fault. You let other people do this, and you didn't really notice that they were ripping everybody off, and you're getting blamed where you really don't deserve it, Chris. And I know you didn't really mean to do any of this because you weren't aware it was happening until it was too late, Chris, and people are unfairly saying you're a scammer and you're guilty of all this, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, that's exactly right. I'm I'm a great guy. Thanks. I agree. You, you got it spot on. I mean, of course he's gonna. What's he gonna say? No, no, I'm a scumbag. No, no, Mike, you're wrong. You got me all wrong. I was totally, I was totally screwing everybody. You, you're giving me too much credit here. I was a piece of shit, and I know it. No, he's not gonna say that. Of course, of, of course. Uh, you guys remember the the Chris Ferguson apology video? Hi. It's Chris Ferguson. I'd like to take this opportunity to address the poker community, which hates me and will probably heckle me this year at the World Series of Poker. So here's my attempt to read a totally insincere, prepared message in a monotone voice, which I somehow hope will improve the situation for me. I deeply regret not being able to keep Black Friday from happening. I thought we bribed all the right politicians, but apparently we must have missed a few. It is really a shame that Black Friday happened, because if it hadn't, we could have gone on longer stealing your money on deposit without anyone realizing it. After Black Friday, I worked relentlessly to make sure all players got paid back. You might wonder what I did to make that happen. If you remember, we surrendered Full Tilt to the government in exchange for not being prosecuted. Full Tilt was later bought by PokerStars for $750 million, and some of that was used to pay back the players. So had I not kept my own ass out of prison by surrendering Full Tilt, you wouldn't have been paid back, and therefore your refund was my doing. I also realize that it has taken me a long time to make any sort of public statement, and I appreciate my one remaining fan for his loyal support. One day the Full Tilt poker story will be told, and I look forward to that day. Keep in mind it's only been seven years, and we need time for the dust to settle. While I cannot make any promises, I hope to have that story for you in the year 2042. I hope to see all of you at the World Series of Poker this summer, but only if you were dumb enough to believe this apology was sincere and unscripted. Otherwise, if you say even one critical word to me at the table, I will call the floor man on you. Thank you, and good luck. Yeah. I don't know. Not a very good apology. But uh, anyway, that's that's about it. There's a second half to this show. I think more than the second half. Whatever. We're, we're done with the full tail portion, and that's enough. You can go listen to the rest if you want. Matt Savage and I believe most of what Mike had to say there. I found it pretty insightful and pretty interesting, and we found out some new things. It's always fascinating to hear about this, the behind-the-scenes scenarios that occurred at uh, Full Tilt, given all the controversy that existed there and the eventual theft of our funds. And who was really at fault, who really knew, etc. What a mismanaged pile of crap, though. Boy, was that mismanaged. That's why you don't task a group of poker players to run a business and you don't put some shady guy in charge that you don't know much about. That's why you don't do that. Well, speaking of shady things happening on sites... On America's Card Room, there's long been accusations about 
it being overrun with bots and them not doing anything about it. In fact, Chicago Joey did a series on that last year that got a lot of publicity and made them look pretty bad. But some of these streamers who play America's Card Room and stream it as they play have caught some of these bots in action. And sometimes these bots behave strangely for whatever reason, from uh, poor programming or some other malfunction that causes them to do things that don't make any sense at all. A Twitch streamer named Eric Collier was deep in a tournament and one of his opponents was a Latvian player named Fox Rocks. That's F-O-X-R-O-X. Fox Rocks is a pretty big winner on that network, on the America's Card Group network. The account is up about $35,000 entering low-stakes tournaments with an average stake of $28 that they're entering. They've won $35,000 with an average return of investment of 52%. That's excellent. It's, they've played uh, 4,500 tournaments. The average is about, uh, actually it was $27, not 28 $27 on average, the level of tournament they're playing. And from that, they were, they were averaging uh, $7.75. That's amazing. So almost $35,000 has been won by Fox Rock. So this is no fish, right? Fox Rocks and Eric Collier got heads up while he was streaming on Twitch in this tournament. And then something really weird happened. A little bit into the heads up match. So we're going to gonna fast forward. This is a very long video of six hours. I'm only going to play you two and a half hours of it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to play you a few minutes of it, uh, the, the relevant part. Starting around 557. Actually, I'm not going to bother playing. It's, it's not really worth uh, playing here. But if you go to the 557 mark of this video, which you can find on Poker Fraud Alert's Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum in the thread about uh, the Latvian bot, you can if you click on that link, you can fast, fast forward it to the 5 hour 57 minute mark and watch. And what ended up happening was the bot was folding every single hand pre-flop no matter what. Every time pre-flop, whether they were on the button or in the big blind, they were folding. The most ridiculous fold occurred on the second-to-last hand, where the bot had, in total, a tiny bit more than the big blind, and was on the big blind. So you would think at that point that uh, that's an automatic all-in. It doesn't matter what you're dealt. You could be dealt seven-deuce offsuit. It's an automatic all-in. There was a, a tiny bit left above the big blind of what they had behind to where they, they definitely be all in. I mean, anyone would know that you'd have to be a complete moron and know very, very little about poker to fold at that point, no matter what you're dealt, because you have almost all of your chips all in anyway. Well, sure enough, Eric Collier raised and Fox rocks folded. It was something like 
the big the, the blind was 180,000 and Fox Rocks had like 190,000 <laughs> and folded for the final 10 pre-flop. Then it was forced all in on the final hand. It couldn't fold. It ran out, and and Collier won. So good result for Eric Collier, right? He he basically the tournament was basically just thrown to him by the bot that was malfunctioning. The bot was also folding with a weird timing. It was timing down to about around eight seconds every time when it would fold. Sometimes six, but it was timing down to kind of near the end of it and then folding. But clearly that was a bot operating it. And there has been suspicion about Fox Rocks before that it was colluding with other bots. I'm going to play you a short clip. This one I will play to you. A short clip uh, from back in, uh, was it in June? Yeah, June 2018. A final table, eight people left. Fox Rocks was in it with another suspected bot. And this other streamer was in the tournament uh, and had jacks. And Fox Rocks and the other bot both went all in on a flop that totally missed them both. One had Queen Deuce. Let me get to it itself. So listen to this. Ace King hits a king. Yes! We got something going on in the hyper. He's got 10 high? Yeah, so... so the, the hyper is what they're talking about. So eight people left. This streamer had jacks. The board was 9-3-4, and they got it all in three ways. 9-3-4 rainbow. 9-3-4 rainbow. Got it all in three ways. Fox Rocks had 10-7, and the other bot had Queen Deuce. <laughs> they both got it all in. 10-7, Queen Deuce. 934 board. It's an obvious collusion there between the bots. They were trying to force out uh, the streamer here, not realizing he had Jack's overpair and was going to call. So he couldn't believe this. So he said, we've got something going on. He had two tables going. So he was paying attention to the one on the right because he just put a bad beat on someone. And then he looks over, we got something going on in the hyper where he had the Jack's and there was the all-in and he called it. And then listen to his reaction. It's a king. Yes. Okay, listen here. we got something going on in the hyper. He's got 10 high? And he has queen high? What? What was that? <laughs> the guy's just sitting in check. What? What was that? <laughs> well, that was collusion between bots. That's what it was. See, he has to make the call with the Jacks overpair and the nine three four board at the final table with two two all ins. And one has ten high, and one has queen high, no draw. One of them was Fox Rocks. Fox Rocks is the ten high. This this is not a fish. This is a, a big winner. And they were both from Latvia. At the time when that occurred in June. This was reported, and America's Crime Group did nothing. They told the streamer they're going to look into it. They did nothing. Now, supposedly, Fox Rocks has been suspended while they're looking into this. But only after the, the huge stink about this. The, this. This thing that just happened with the folding to Eric Collier, that was so indefensible that they had to suspend the account. 
otherwise, how could you explain that? The guy wasn't timing out. He was knowingly pressing the fold button, including almost all in on the big blind. How could one explain that other than it's a bot malfunctioning? Now, you may say, great, you know, let, let these accounts be this stupid. But they're obviously not that stupid. Obviously, Fox Rocks, with, with this uh, great ROI, with $35,000 profit playing low-stakes tournaments, is crushing people. It just occasionally screws up. And I think with that 10 high thing in June, that probably wasn't a screw-up. It was probably an attempt between bots to force someone out. They just happened to run into jacks. So, in fact, these bot networks can be particularly dangerous because they it's one thing to play against a bot that just is programmed to play very well. It's another thing when there's networks of bots that can collude with each other. That can be especially deadly. So this Latvian bot has taken 35000 out of the game. So we'll see what America's Cardroom does about this, but this just shows the fact that this account did this weird thing back in June and nothing happened to it. Shows you how little they care over there. And this is this really validates Chicago Joey's complaint that the site really is full of bots and they just don't give a crap. And those who operate bots know this, and that's why they unleash the bots like this knowing that there's no enforcement. So that's pretty bad. So watch out on America's card room in these tournaments. Is they're full of bots. And apparently very little is done. I don't know if anything's ever going to get done. There just are not many viable options for U.S. online poker these days. You may say, well, what about Bovada? What about Bovada Ignition? What, What about that network? Well, that'll bring us to our next topic. Bovada Ignition just did an update of their poker software. They are not known for good updates. They, their updates are about as good as Skype's updates, where it seems like every update makes it worse. You, you dread an update because you just wonder what's going to change, what's gonna, what bugs are going to be introduced, what features are going to be taken away, what's going to get crappier. But people couldn't believe how bad this client was. And that includes my co-host, Trader Ruski. Are you still here? I am, Jeff, but I'm fading fast. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's before you fall asleep, uh, have you had the tea yet? The tea is, yes, I have. Okay. I'm on the second cup. Very, very quickly before the tea gets you. Tell, tell us uh, what your reaction was when you downloaded the new Bovada client. So I know you I mean, play on their Yeah, I mean, it was horrible. There's just so many... And I just play tournaments on there. But there were just so many standard things that they didn't include. They called them three times and spoke to people. You know, who knows? I, I would hate to I'm work sure there right now. Have, but but. Th- they've apparently got hundreds of phone calls from people, maybe more than that. They've gotten just tons of phone calls from people, including ones who rarely call there to ever complain to complain about how awful this new client is. So let me count the ways of how bad this client is. If you want to see a screenshot of the client, you can go to the Poker Community Discussion Forum on Poker Fraud Alert and look at the thread I started called Worst Online Poker Software Ever. And you can see some screenshots I did. So here's the problems. 
first of all, the chips being bet are absolutely tiny. That was the first thing that jumped out at me. I'm like, what? How come I can't see the chips? They're tiny. So there's like like in this screenshot, there's a tiny, tiny thing of chips in front of the cards that you have to really squint and look closely to see that it's thirty dollars. I mean, it's it's so tiny you wouldn't believe. It's like they're trying to make you not see it. It almost requires a magnifying glass to see. The player balances how much money each person has on the table is also very tiny and almost requires a magnifying glass to see. And that can be very important to know. In a tournament, in a cash game where someone's almost all in, in fact, I was playing it and I didn't notice someone was almost all in. They had like, it was like a 30-60 game. They had $27 left coming into the turn. And I didn't realize it. I actually checked to them with with the, like a middle pair, not realizing they're going to go all in. And then they bet. I go, oh crap, they're all in. Like uh, otherwise, you, you totally bet that. You you never let someone check behind if they don't even have a bet left. So the player balances are also tiny. You may say, well, maybe they're tiny because they're trying to conserve space. Maybe they're trying to make the client uh, smaller so it doesn't take up much room. Nope. There's tons of empty space all over the screen. The background is almost all empty. Like, it's almost empty space. It's like empty space with some tiny things in the middle that are the game. They couldn't make a worse use of space than they did. They have empty space where it shouldn't be, and the important stuff is tiny. And it, like, looks so weird. And I play on a Mac, and I thought that could be it, but I guess, you know, seeing your screenshots on the PC... But it's almost like, right, somebody bets. Sometimes you don't even notice, like, you know, in tournaments, somebody goes all in. Sometimes you don't even notice there's a second person all in because it's like a tiny dock. Yes. You know? <laughs> I had that, too. I had that where I had that where I, I would enter pots where, where I thought it's just me. And it's like, like someone raises someone else three bets and limit hold them. It gets back to me in the big blind with some hand, like. I don't know, queen six offsuit. I'm like, okay, some guy's raising late position. I'll call it. And like, oh shit, someone three bet this. Oh no, now like I, I've called already, and now like, fuck, what do I do now? Now I'm stuck with queen six offsuit against a, a three better. Uh, and then it's very hard to play at that point. Like, like that that was happening to me too. Okay, then on the right side, there's tons of useless crap taking up space. So first, you have the casino in the upper right. You can you can play a blackjack, roulette, uh, slots. Baccarat, that for some reason that's important to have up in the upper right. And then the lower right is the box where it shows how people have done with each hand. You know, who won each hand, what the pot was, and then any chat, which isn't real chat. It's like pre-selected things you can make yourself say. But, but that's taking up a lot of space on the bottom right. So the whole client is very wide and it's very tall. And the space is just being wasted. And the important poker stuff is crammed into the middle of the tiny. This is especially hard, by the way, for older guys like us who are losing our close vision. Because starting from the early 40s, you start to slowly lose your ability to see small print. And that happens to just about everybody. Trader Ruski, if you noticed that uh, 10 years ago, you could see small print a lot better. Yeah, I mean, over the last year, it's certainly a couple of years. Probably, it's starting to fade a little bit. You're fortunate then. For at your age, it should have been you know, 
really gotten worse a long time ago. My, mine started at age 44. I read that it's 42 is the average age it starts. So mine started at 44. I didn't even notice at first. At first, I'm like, I'm 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 like pulling off my glasses to like look at my phone, and I'm just subconsciously doing it without even thinking why. And then I go, oh crap! I know why I'm taking off my glasses to look at my phone. It's because I'm nearsighted. I've been nearsighted since I was 10, and now that I've gotten older, and now that there's some farsightedness going on, where I can't see small print anymore, the correction that my glasses provide me for the seeing distance uh, makes it now to where I can't see close anymore. So I have to take the glasses off to see close. And over the last few years, it's worsened and worsened. In the last one year, in fact, it's significantly worse. So if I have my glasses off, I can see close just fine, but then I can't see far. If I have my glasses on, then I can see far, but not close. And there are those glasses which are, like, gradual from top to bottom, where it goes from distance to close. But I decided not to get those because it's kind of bothersome to have that. Because if you want to look down and see something that isn't close, then it's, it's weird. Or if you want to look up and see something that is close, it doesn't work. So it just assumes that when you're looking up, that you're looking far. And when you're looking down, you're looking close. That's not always the way it is. So, uh, but this this makes it tough. Because why I do wear my glasses when I'm on the computer. Because I have to, the computer's far enough away from my head to where I, I can't see that well. At that point, it becomes a distance thing. But then, like when there's tiny print like that, then I actually need to take them off. It's a, it's a huge pain in the ass. The hand history and the hand replayer have been separated. You can no longer see whole cards on the hand replayer. Now, what's the difference? The hand replayer is a little thing you can use to actually have it run through the full hand in, in graphic format to watch how it goes down. And the old hand replayer was great. It would start off showing you the whole cards, and then you could actually play the whole hand to see it play out to the end, and then you'd see the whole cards whoever got to showdown. So you'd see the whole cards at the beginning, you'd also see them at the end. Uh, for whatever reason, in the new hand replayer, uh, there is no way to see the whole cards. It's been <laughs> taken away. You may say, well, maybe they've decided not to show whole cards to anyone on Showdown, which is terrible because that allows you to discover collusion or anything funny going on. But no, you can see your whole cards. You can yeah, you can see the whole cards of the people who went to Showdown. But only in the hand history, not the hand replayer. So there's a hand history button you have to press, and then it brings up the main client screen, and after a pause, it shows you just the whole card. I'll show you there, but there's no player you can do. There you can see people's whole cards, but you can't do the players. Why they took it away from the replayer, I don't know. And some people don't even realize there's that separate hand history button, so they which uh, which I certainly did not re- know that, Jeff. So thank you. Yeah, most people don't know this. Yeah, it's a, it's a button. If you read that thread I did on Poker Fraudler, you can see I, I pointed out. But it's a yeah. Now I got to read that. Yeah, it's it's on it's it's on the top left. There's these buttons you can press. The one that's the, the second to rightmost button on the top left that looks like two cards. That's the hand history button. But yeah, most people push the hand replayer and they just can't find the hand history, and it's very frustrating. It says they can't find the uh, the whole cards. More problems. You think that's it? You're wrong. The colors are super bright. So before the colors were more muted, some people really like the green screen. What 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 color background did you before this update? What color background did you have on Bovada? Um, I think like a reddish burgundy. I think. Yeah, yeah. That's what I had. That's the default one. That's one I still have. 
Uh, a lot of people like the green, but at least these were kind of darker colors that didn't just hurt your eyes. For whatever reason, on the new update, they said, you know what? You know what we didn't do enough of on the last client? Hurt people's eyes. So going forward, we're going to make sure to make the colors as bright as possible to make it unpleasant to stare at for a long period of time as possible. <laughs> that, that's what the designer must have said, because that's, that's what they did. They, the colors on all of them are now super bright. And they said, you know what? The, here, here's the problem with green, they said. They were in a meeting discussing the new design here. And someone said, you know what a problem I heard was? That green, which a lot of people are using, it's not bright enough. It's not, it's not just, it's not hard on the eyes. It's not hard to look at. It's, it's a pleasant green color. It's kind of darker green. Why don't we change it to like a teal color that's just really, really bright and offensive? Yeah, that's a good idea. That's what they did. So all the colors now are super bright. It's like you're looking at a neon screen. <laughs> so people are hating this. People who who have been used to spend hours and hours and hours on there have just quit and said they can't stand it. It's it's hurting their eyes too much. I actually have been dimming my monitor to uh, prevent some of this. The red is the least bothersome. I'll give you that tip too if you're using other colors. The red is the least bothersome, but it it is still brighter than the other red on the other one. Why they brighten the colors, I don't know, but not a good thing. There's animations on there, which now you have no way to turn off. There's one particular animation which gets kind of annoying, and that is this one with... uh, When it's somebody's turn, it does this circle thing around them. This this constant moving circle uh, that that brightens and, and lessens around the person to act. And it's just kind of bothersome to watch after a while. You just want this off. You just don't want to stare at this anymore. Because you're just constantly... It's kind of almost like hypnotizing. It's this spinning circle sort of thing that's moving around the table. You just want it off. No way to turn it off. Here's a big problem. The fold and call buttons are in the same place, depending on whether it's your action or somebody else's, which leads to inevitable misclicks. Well, I think with that, though, Drop, doesn't it go up? I think it goes up. Right? So when did the ma- when your mouse is on kind of the button before it's your turn, like even if you tried to pass like auto-check or auto-check fold, you wouldn't misclick if it, auto- if it all of a sudden appeared. No, but, but the thing is you're used to it being there. So, so if you're just a little bit behind and then it comes to you, you can just cl- – when it changes, you end up, end up clicking without really thinking. It, it happened to me. I ended oh, up- right. You have to physically get it. Yeah. So, so, so I'm about to press uh, fold. And it, it, it moved, and, and then when it puts this, this uh, I, I was, I was pr- about to press fold for the auto action, and then it, it, it ended up in the place where the call button is. So it became my action, and I accidentally called a 4-bet with, like, 9-4 offsuit. I really did. And it's not just me. Like, p- tons of people are complaining about this on 2 plus 2, that they've misclicked all, all over okay, the place. Okay, yeah, no, on the Mac, what it does is, like, if I had tried to do that... The buttons that appear when it's my turn are above where my where the mouse is, where the pointer is. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So if I had accidentally tried to click and it just appeared that split second, it would have been above, and I would have had to move the mouse. Oh, okay. Above okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, PC. I, I, I made some misclicks there. Uh, then some people are experiencing far more disconnects and freezes than before. When I made the post, I said, not me. Well, no, but me too. I, not that often, but I was getting some freezes. I definitely noticed others. Like, I definitely noticed a lot of people timing out of the game a lot more than before. 
And then it, it also did happen to me where the whole thing just froze up and and kicked me out. Yeah, and that's and you have sorry to have to cut you off, but do you have like in tournaments, like sometimes if you have like multiple tournaments you're playing, one of the tables will like freeze and you have to like close the table and then take your seat again because it's like stuck. But the other three are working. Have you had that happen at all? On the new client? Uh, yeah. I, well, on the old client, it was becoming an issue. And then on this one, it happened for the first time today. I don't multi-table that much because the games don't go enough. I, I, but uh, I just had the problems of just of just disconnects where, where I just it would just stop working and, and shut me out. Uh, so people are saying this is happening a lot more than before the update. Then there's the rabbit feature. The rabbit feature, for those of you who don't know, is an optional feature on there, which is enabled by default, to where if the hand is over before the turn or river, it will show the next card that would have been dealt, and then it kind of peels up the side and you see a little picture of a rabbit. That's called rabbiting. It's a, that's a real thing in poker where people say, I, I want to see the rabbit card, meaning the card that would have been dealt. They usually don't allow that in live card rooms. Uh, so they show the rabbit. There's always been some debate whether the rabbit is real or if they're just showing it to you. They're just showing you a random card. But uh, regardless of whether the rabbit is real or not, the rabbit before didn't take a lot of time. The rabbit now takes a lot of time. So if you do have the rabbit feature on or somebody else at the table does, the whole game has to wait until it slowly puts out that last card and slowly picks up the edge of it to show you the rabbit. So the rabbit thing's really slowing down the game. Yes, you can turn it off, but unless everybody at the table has it off, it's going to slow down the game. There's no pot in the center anymore. There's no mound of chips in the center with a, with a value under it. No, it, it's, the center always has nothing. It's always hard to see what the pot actually is at the moment. Uh... They will have, uh, it'll say their total pot, whatever, but that's all you can see. And in some cases, it's just missing. Sometimes it says the total pot, sometimes it's totally missing. Uh, sometimes there will be, like, when it's when it's over, what it'll do is it will make like one chip and then put the the amount next to it and then kind of move slide that over to your stack. So I have a screenshot of that where I've won $419 and it's going to slide that 419 to my hand but it's like one chip with 419 next to it. So there's no main pot in the middle. And you can see that actually in a game where uh I have two screenshots of, of funny hands that I had played. Uh one where I won with king high, the other one with queen high, and the other both of them I had to fade all three streets. I actually faded bets all three streets with king high and queen high and won both of them. Shows you what kind of variance I have to deal with here. Can you imagine that, where you're having to call queen high sometimes? But uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really do. I, when I play live, I, I rarely call queen high. But on here, you you got to consider it. On this queen high hand, it was I had queen jack, and the board was nine two four ten two. There were even three diamonds. Nine two four ten two, and I actually check called it down. And I was right. The guy had uh, the guy had six eight. I think I bet the flop. He raised me, and then I check called it down. 
even though the flush would have gotten there, and even though any pair beats me, and even ace higher king high beats me, I, I check all of that. He yeah, he had six eight, he had nothing. So um, that was the queen, the queen high, and you can see the four nineteen being pushed to me. But you can see in the other hand with the king high, where the guy also had a missed, uh, the guy had a missed straight draw. My king high won. There's just no pot there. You can see in that screenshot. So right, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's a, that's another problem. Uh, then there's also the missing card bug, which thankfully I haven't experienced that, but someone sent me their screenshot of the missing card bug, which several on 2 plus 2 complained about, so it wasn't just this guy, where instead of a card, it's just a black spot. <laughs> so on this guy, fortunately he's only playing a 2 cent, 5 cent, no limit, but still, he had ace 10, and the board was 10, black spot, jack, jack, 8. Hmm. So what? And, and there are three hearts, so... What if the black spot's a fourth heart? That makes a pretty big difference, right? <laughs> what if it's a nine? That also makes a pretty big difference. What if it's a queen? That also makes a big difference. What if it's an ace? That, that, that'd make a difference. What if it's another ten? That also could make a difference. Nope. It's, uh, you just can't see. It's a black spot. They should make a new form of that, a new form of poker called black spot poker. Wait, but what drop? It's not showing the turn card? It, 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 it just doesn't show, uh, I think in this it looks like it's, it's not showing the second flop card. There's just a black spot. Oh, and this is one of the... Okay, but you posted that screenshot? Yeah, this is uh, Austin, that thread. And this is this is not my screenshot. This is somebody else who's playing two, five, two cent, five cent, no limit. But several on two plus two have complained about this. So it wasn't just oh this guy. Oh my God, that is unreal. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean... <laughs> What? <laughs> For, fortunately, this hasn't happened to me. Like, I'd be so infuriated playing thirty. I've 36. never seen this. Imagine playing I mean, thirty-six. It? It's like it's like Indian poker yeah. with the card on your head. Yeah, I like uh, imagine playing thirty-sixty limit hold'em and then having this happen. That would be super infuriating. Oh, yeah. At least this guy's only playing two cent, five cent. But uh, fortunately, that did not happen to me. Now, I'll give you guys some tips here as far as uh, some things you can do to improve your experience with this client, which. They've got a ton of complaints about. They're, they're not going to roll it back. Some people are like, oh, maybe we complain enough, they'll roll it back. No, they're never. They're never going to roll it back. Uh, what they might do, though, is do some work on this and improve some things. Because they, they have, they've been inundated with complaints. Inundated. Uh, so here's some things you can do, or t- two things you can do to improve your experience. First of all, you can get rid of that crappy sidebar with the casino games and with the list of hands. It's nice to have the list of hands going on, but it's you'll understand why to delete it. So if there's a a square on the top right with a little X. It's like a square and an X. Not the X that's a part of the regular window, but like right below that, there's like a little button with looks like a square, then a rectangle, then an X. If you click that, then it closes that sidebar. And not only does it close the sidebar, it makes everything bigger on the main screen. So then the print's a little bit bigger, the chips are a little bit bigger. Still too small, but but an improvement. So now the bad news is you have to do this every time. It doesn't remember it. So every every table you open has a sidebar again, no matter what. You have to manually close it each time. But that closed. Yeah, the it took me a minute to figure that out. Actually, a phone call. But then finally, uh, yeah, that was a huge improvement. That is a huge improvement. And the second thing is that, uh, as I mentioned, to see the hand history, press those two cards near the top left. Yeah, the, the, the drawing of two cards, it's a very crude drawing, but it looks like uh, two rectangles together. If you click that, it'll show you the hands at Showdown, all the whole cards that made it to Showdown. 
So still, this this client's a huge fail. Everybody hates it. Oh wait, but where, sorry, Jeff. Where is that now? If it, is that it's it's near the top left. It's one of those top left buttons, except it's the right, the second to most right button there. Oh, so it's, it's the fourth okay. button over. Beautiful. So, yep, I see it right now. The fourth button over. Yeah, and and it's it's also kind of obnoxious when you press it. It brings up the main client screen, and then waits a second while it loads it. Oh Jesus! So it's it's really crappy. I don't know why they redid the hand history with the the old hand player, which also functioned as the hand history, which was, which was fine. And now they they made it this crappy thing, which is separated. So I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, it's it's like the people who I mean the, the weirdest thing to me. I, I think about all this and I go, okay, what parts of this are the most inexcusable? And I think what's most inexcusable is the massive amount of empty space and the tiny print and chips. Like, how could that possibly be a decision? Who would ever say, let's make a lot of blank space on the client, but make the chips and the, and the amount of money that everybody has really small? What would ever be the reason to do that? What do they accomplish? They want to market to younger players that can see. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Get all the old people off. Like we, we've done some studies here that the fish are all younger and the pros are older. So what if we made it so hard to see that the people over 40 will quit? Ah, genius. Uh, what they're going for here is to make this more mobile-friendly. That, but unfortunately, the people on mobile say it looks terrible too. So that didn't accomplish. They, they didn't accomplish that either. But they're they're trying to make a simpler, cleaner look. That's to make it more mobile-friendly and app-looking. I'll go back and compare it to Skype. That's what Skype has been doing. Skype has been they they took away features in order to make the interface simpler and cleaner, which was a mistake because you need those features they took away. A lot of people need those features. They, they downgraded the product, basically. And they've removed a lot of good features. Yeah, and I, th- I do have a different, most appalling one. Yeah. You know, I think just not having that box on the right, on the left side... So you can, like, click on, like, what position you're in in the tournament, how many are left. It makes you open the lobby to find that out. So if you're playing, like, six tournaments going simultaneously, you know, you want to know how many players are left, where you're at. You can't open up the lobby every time. But wait a minute. So you're saying... As you do. Wow. So you're saying at tournaments there's no way on that screen to find out what your what position you're in or any of that stuff? Correct. You have to basically oh, click on lobby and then it opens the lobby. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you remember on the left where it had the chat and then it had kind of the little uh, tabs above it. So you go, you know, I think it was chat, notes, and then game info. And then so you'd be able to see, oh, I'm, you know, 10th out of 32. Oh, so that's just gone. That's great. That's hard. So, so it's like impossible to play six tournaments now because yeah, yeah. Or, or you're just like guessing. Yeah, you're, you're just blind. You're, you're playing blind. In some ways, that could be good. You like you won't psych yourself out about the bubble. You'll just uh, you just right, go, yeah. You just go, oh wow, no, I can't. That said, I did have my biggest cash last night. Yeah, you'll like you go five hundred. Oh really? Congratulations! So. You're like, oh wow, I had no idea. It was kind of like when they brought the anonymous tables on years ago. And I, I hated that. Mm-hmm. And I did say, you know what the one good thing is about the anonymous tables is that I can't psych myself out anymore about certain players who just always seem to beat me. That now, now like I, I don't have to 
be nervous about. Like I, I don't. I'm not like, oh, I'm against this guy. He always bad beats me. I'm not, I know it's going to go badly and get all negative, and then and then he does bad beat me, and I get really frustrated. Like like here, I don't know who I'm against, so it's actually better I don't know. Sometimes it's better you don't know. But but I agree here that that's a ridiculous decision they made. So yeah, th- this this client is universally hated, and not just like. It's it's not just a matter of people being afraid of change. Oh, this is funny. People who who wrote to them, who wrote email to them, of course they get back form letters. But one of the form letters that they got back said that they understand that some people have a hard time adjusting to change. It's like no, no, that's what they told me on the phone too. Yeah, that was like the third time I said, listen. <laughs> and actually, I have it has you know it has been workable as far as whatever. Some of the other things. But the simple thing of not having the fucking game info on the screen is a joke. Yeah. It's like, who does the person not even play poker that did this? Yeah, well, that's what's so stupid. It's not about change. It's it's about basic things that they did wrong. It's not about getting used to something different that, that can be better in some ways. It's like, what is the advantage of making the chips so tiny you can't see them? What's the, what's the advantage of making the stacks people have on the table so tiny you can't see them? What's the advantage of, of just wasting so much space on the screen with just blank area. These aren't just changes that are introducing something different you're not used to. This is like saying, let's say someone says, I don't want to switch to Windows 10 because I'm used to Windows 7. And I like Windows, I I want to be on Windows 7. Why? Why? I just don't want to switch. Well, that's being afraid of change. But not wanting to switch to something that's screwed up or very poorly designed is not being afraid of change. That's, that's, there really is such a thing of breaking something that already is working. I, and it's such a fucking insulting thing. Oh, you're just not used to change. Yeah. You know, fuck <laughs> you. I mean, you know, really? That's funny they said it's that like, to you no, on the phone. Dummy, I'm talking about things we need to play the game. I don't give a fuck what it looks like. <laughs> That must have been something, since they were all saying this, there must have been something they came up with in a meeting. Okay, you're going to get a lot of calls from people unhappy about the client. You need to convince them that it's just their fear of change. Put it I, on I, them. I know. Could you imagine? And I feel so <laughs> Put it on them. It's their, make them feel like it's their fault. Make them hate exactly. themselves because they hate our client. Tell them it's, the problem is not our client. The problem is your inability to adapt. Wow, I never thought of it that way. Thank you, Bovada. Ask them when the last time they changed jobs or moved. <laughs> See, they're afraid to change. Oh, this is uh, th- th- so stupid. So we'll see where it goes. There, there are people who are saying that they've just quit for now. That they're just not going to continue playing. And you may say, "Oh, good, you know, we're, we're losing some of these pros that post on two plus two. The problem is, I'm afraid that fish are not going to like this either. A lot of this stuff is going to bother the fish too. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the tournaments, I normally play. I don't play any cash. I just normally play like tournaments between like 30 and a couple hundred bucks. And there's clearly for like the nightlies, they like have a nightly 51 that's good, 150. It's down a minimum of 20 to 25%. That's interesting. See, I, I yeah. the limit games are kind of dead, so it's hard for me to tell that. Like they they they're like they've gone the last few nights, but that's hard to tell. But uh, that's interesting with the tournament. I think that's that says a whole lot. Yeah, especially the nightly fifty that I think is the biggest tournament. I mean, it. I forgot the exact number it gets, but it always pays a minimum of a hundred and eight up to like a hundred and thirty-five, and then like last since they changed it, I don't think it's gone over a hundred. Wow. 
I, I got a text here about this. Looking at the Bovada screenshot, I didn't even notice the chips there. Yeah, that pretty much says it all. <laughs> if you don't even notice the chips, that's a problem. But I, I really, ha- I, I, I played a long time last night and the night before with this awful client, and I, I really did have it where I think it's checked to me, and then I think I'm betting and I'm really raising and it just, stuff like that kept happening. And like, I, I'd feel stupid for the moment, like, oh, idiot, why am I not paying attention? And I go, well, you know. This is understandable why this is happening. Like I actually hate myself less for doing things like that because it's it's just so hard to see. And, and then it's extra steaming because the lobby and everything else looks exactly the same. Right, right. So, the, so it's like you have the fucking thing there. Why are you changing well, the one thing important? Well, like I guess so, the lobby looks screwed up. Well, someone said on, on 2 Plus 2 that the lobby is so awful that that would have been the one thing they would have been happy to see changed. And that's, that's the one thing they leave alone. Like, let's see, we have a crappy lobby and a client that's okay. Ah, I know. Let's keep the lobby and make the client worse. So this, this way this way it all matches. This way everything sucks. Good idea. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're talking about with the crappy lobbies. I don't really have a problem with the lobby. But it is kind of looks like the structure of the table. And they did get 108 in the 50 tonight. I just looked. So 519 players. 14. We'll we'll see what they do. We'll see if, how much they fix. The the only good thing I can say is that they did fix a really really tilting annoying bug that isn't bad for tournament players, but for cash players is brutal. And that is the rebuy bug. The rebuy bug was something that has existed for a very long time, where sometimes you press the button to reload, and instead of popping up the screen to reload, it just gives you an error message like it couldn't connect to the server, and then it grays out the reload button where you can't reload anymore. And think of how tilting that is when you're down to an amount that you want to reload and you can't. And and it can be really wow. frustrating because like let's say you're at a full game, there's no waiting list, but you know, people can uh find your seat. You're at a full game and then you bust against like a few fish there, and then what you have to do is leave the table and try to come back and then you 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 try to do that to get back in and reload, and in the meantime someone's grabbed your seat. And I had that happen and it's so frustrating. It's or I've had it before. Oh, sure. You know where this really has gotten me is where I'm playing a fish. There's no way to tell a fish like "be right back" or "hold on." There's, there's no of all the pre-selected chat things like you can say "wow" and "nice hand" and "ha ha ha," but for some reason you can't say "be right back." So uh, it really sucks. I, I've been playing fish heads up sometimes, and the fish are running well, and they bust me because of the reload bug. And then I try to leave and come back, and the fish perceives my leaving that. I'm just done, and then they leave. I'm like, ah, come back! No, I didn't want you to go. There's, there's no way to communicate it to them. There's no way to tell them stay here. I'm just, you know, leaving, coming back. So I've had that happen a number of times. Uh, and you can say, well, you know, just why don't you slap a lot of money on the table? I'm sometimes I don't want to do that with the fish there because I don't want to make them intimidated that there's like someone with a ton of money that must win all the time. So I, I actually want the money I have on the table to not look like it's a whole lot. So it's, it, that seems to have been fixed. It seems like in the whole redesign that that has gone away, not because they fixed it, but just because the, the new client just does not have that particular issue. They didn't make that same mistake twice. So congrats, guys. The, the rebuy bug is gone, but everything else sucks. Yeah, and one, and one other thing, too, the, the new beep. Oh yeah! You barely hear the fucking right, thing. right. It's it's it's, it's the and weakest little beep, and, and what, this is to give you a notification that it, the action's on you. It's like beep, 
Yeah, you can barely, you can barely hear it, you know. And it's like, uh, horrible. Yeah, you, you want that thing to get your attention. Say, hey, get your ass back to the table. You're going to get folded. It says, like, beep. Right. Oh, and drop one other thing. You're not going to believe. I might have put some in the post. If it's all into you in a tournament, or if you have to commit all your chips to um, to to call the bet, then the time, then your extra time thing doesn't pop up. <laughs> it only does like if you call off less. You know, if you have to call for less than all that you have. You know, and then the thing pops up and moves over. You know, the hell that happens. That's another flaw, but whatever. What but can you imagine? <laughs> you can't have your extra time if if you're calling off all your chips. Yeah, if we're all in for some reason, you can't. Uh, you you, don't, you can't do the time bank. It's lovely. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not important in that situation. Yeah, who who needs extra time for for all your chips? Who needs all your? That's the time no one needs extra for an all in. All in, it's always obvious what to do. All right. I wonder if they had a change of management. I mean, they still have the final four add up on the client. <laughs> that, that that is concerning. Maybe, maybe maybe they mean the final four for twenty twenty. Oh, true. They could be trying to book some futures. Okay, so that's that's uh, the disastrous client there. Uh, now I'm all steamed. I can't get to sleep. <laughs> That's right. I've never. Boy, you do sound energetic now. It's true. You you were like just about to fall asleep, and then I, I mentioned this topic, and not only were you very very active in discussing this, but now you you sound like it's in the middle of the afternoon. This guy, exactly. You're not. He's not, he's not even kidding here. He really did. Uh, this really did frustrate him into being awake again. Well, good. I was good. Well timed. Charlie Carroll. By the way, if if you do get tired again, you can drop off. But uh, yeah, and I'll probably drop off doing this. But great show tonight, Jeff, and I'll definitely listen from whenever I, whenever okay, I well, take so off. Thank, thank you for being here, Trader Ruski. So, Charlie Carroll. I want to talk about him and his his latest uh, project, if you can call it that. Charlie Carroll is a poker player, and he's known for wearing colorful clothes at the poker table. A younger guy. We discussed him previously on this show when he was dating a girl named Hannah who claimed to have disassociative identity disorder, also known as DID, which is like multiple personalities, except these personalities all have like their own identity, their own name, sometimes their own gender, their own age. It seemed like she stole her whole routine from some movies and TV shows that dealt with this disorder. These were fictional accounts, but uh, it seemed to me that she was making this up for attention. She was a, The way Charlie met her was kind of interesting, too. She was a cam girl, I think, on Chatterbait, and he gave her a $1,000 tip on there <laughs> and uh, because she claimed that she needed to get away from her abusive boyfriend. And obviously a, a cam girl, a young cam girl who's taken off her clothes on camera for not that much money gets a $1,000 tip. Obviously, she's going to want to find out who's who that is behind the tip, and when it, it's it's a guy kind of close to her age who's decent looking and a poker player and has a lot of money. That's a pretty good person to hook up with at that point. It's one thing if she has to decide to do this with a dude who's like fifty five years old, but you know he's close to her age, looks decent, got money. What more can a girl who takes her clothes on webcam want? So they they hooked up. They were together. At some point, uh, Charlie 
broke up with her and, and sent her back home. He, he lives in uh, London, so he sent her back to the U.S., but somehow they got back together again. But we're not here to talk about Hannah, as weird as she is. We're here to talk about Charlie this time. Charlie this time has brought his own craziness to the table. And he's made some YouTube videos this week, which I think are rather interesting and I think are worth playing here. We're playing a lot of stuff on this show. We played uh, some clips from that girl, a catrific girl. Then we played the Mike Mattisau podcast and that now we're playing the Charlie Carroll video. We definitely are not short on other people's material tonight. It's good though. It's helping me rest my voice. Actually not my, my voice is already kind of fading. It's kind of weird because I haven't talked as much tonight because these videos have done the talking for me. Anyway, I'm going to get over to this video that Charlie Carroll put out. I'll let it speak for itself. The title of this video already speaks for itself. It's called, I Need Your Help, Abundance, My Charity Enterprise. Uh Uh-oh. When someone says they need your help, and it has to do with charity, that is an immediate red flag. So let's listen to Charlie Carroll tell us about abundance. What it is, what help he needs. What's going on with Charlie Carroll? Hey guys, a bit more of a serious video this time, and I mean this with absolute sincerity. I need your help. And the reason I need your help is because I've hit a point in abundance, my, my charity, my social enterprise, my baby, my project, the reason I retired from poker, where we're now reaching out and going a tiny bit more public. Not completely public. We're not launching. We're not launching our app. Now, hang on. He retired from poker. So this abundance is so big that, that he has quit his successful poker career, and he's Spending full-time on abundance. I, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if he just went busto. If he engaged in poor bankroll management and is out of poker for that reason. But for whatever reason, he claims to be retired from poker is now throwing himself head and feet first into abundance. Not launching the, uh, the indoor farms yet. Not launching indoor the farms. retail store yet. But we are going public and looking for the second round of investment. The first round came from myself. And the second round is going to come from a very specific, hopefully just one, two, or three people. So I've already reached out to a few people as of today, and it's it's really exciting. But the thing is that you can't reach out to enough people because, you know, if we did get 10 offers, and then we'll be able to choose one or two or three, and depending on the different circumstances and the different people. So he's reaching out to all of you. He wants to get a whole lot of offers so he can pick the very best offers since everybody can't wait to open their wallets for abundance. So do you out there, do you know any rich people? And I mean that not jesting, not jocular in my tone. I genuinely, it's, it's, it's a shame that the people who can help the most are also the people that have the most. Yeah, that's a shame. Do you know any rich people? Any of you know rich people? Might you be a rich person? Well, do I have an offer for you? Do I have a deal for you? It's a shame. It's a shame that you're rich and we have to count on you for help. It's a shame that we have to come to someone like you. You scumbag rich person. 
who I resent, but you're the only one who can help. So even though I hate you and everything you stand for, uh, can you help me, please, please? I know I've had a lot of people reach out and be like, oh, I really want to do a lot for abundance. I really, like people have said they, they want to dedicate their life to it, like things that extreme. Like, I appreciate it so much, like so much. And it's something I'm dedicating my life towards as well. But at this moment in time, the resources that we need will be through money. <laughs> People are saying, Charlie, please let me be part of abundance. Let me dedicate my life to it. It sounds great. Let me just, I'm going to spend every waking moment on abundance. Um, no, 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 no. We, we don't need that. Um, we don't need your time. Uh, I want all the money. It's money. That's what I want. It needs to go to me. Just to me, not to you, not to anybody else, but... Um, we need money. We do not need help. I'm all the help we need. And uh, please, rich people, come forward. Those who are not wealthy but willing to put out the effort, um, off with you. We don't need you anymore. Go away. And uh, I, I think the, the, the best way to put it is, is this. to make abundance work but if you don't have money then you're quite a jerk I need money that's what I want that's what I want yes that's what I want money oh yes But I want all the money that comes from you. I need money. Yes, money. That's what I want. That's what I want. Not your effort, not your help, your money. That's what I want. That's what I want. You get that? Money. Wow! You hear that, people? You may want to dedicate your life to this charity. We don't need your life. We need your money. Only your money, not your life. Not your time, not your dedication. You know, what we need here is your bucks. And if you have nothing to give, then we'll tell you, go get fucked. That's what I want. That's what I want. You got that, you bloke? You give me all your money. None of your time... No. None of your support. No. None. None of your help. I want your money. Every little bit. No. I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. 
In addition to that, guys, if you do feel like helping, but you don't happen to know any rich people that might be interested, something you could do, and I would really greatly appreciate it if you do, and I never ask people to do this, would be to share this video on your social media, just to share it with a friend who might know someone, and just getting getting the message out that it, it's time and we, we need to start finding the, the second round of funding. But what happened to the first Eventually round? Eventually, past that, there'll be a third round and maybe a. Fourth wait, wait, hold on! Whoa, 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 whoa! Stop, stop, Charlie! Hang on, hang on, hang on! Hold on. So you already had your first round of funding. Where did the money go there? What happened? Where has it been spent? What happened to it? So you had a first round of funding. Apparently, that's gone. You need a second round. Uh, you need only people with money, and the people with money need to give it to you for abundance. And we're still not understanding what that is yet, but we'll get to that. So he needs to not only get money from any rich people you know, but he wants you to share this video with any people who might receive it and be able to recruit other rich people. This needs to be spread so the maximum number of rich people can be reached. And and even after that happens and the rich people open their wallets and give it to Charlie, then... That's still not going to be enough. We're going to need a third round, a fourth round, maybe even a fifth round. We're going to be going public so people can invest in abundance. And let me get this straight. It's not just an investment. It's creating a duality between investment and donating. Hmm. Investing in philanthropy, if you are. And that duality, I think, is going to be extremely important at bringing back people into philanthropy and doing charitable things. A second thing to note is that every single penny that goes towards this will be going towards the cause that it is intended to, either directly or indirectly. Directly meaning, you know, you give money and we feed someone with it. You give money or, you know, we pay someone good wages who's working in a, a clothes shop, for instance. Or indirectly meaning we spend it on marketing, we spend it on, you know, business growth, things like that. You know um, what? What we've been looking to do at Abundance, we we went into clothing stores, and the reason we went to clothing stores is because, as you know, when I appeared at the poker table, when when I was not retired, of course, when I was playing poker and not retired, um, I was constantly having to buy new clothing that was more and more increasing the colorful. And and you know, I I would be sitting there looking like a human rainbow, and I say, you know, this is not quite colorful enough. I need to go to the store after this tournament's over, and for the next tournament, I need to look even brighter. So I kept going to stores, and something that always upset me was that the people who worked at these stores were underpaid. And I said, one day I'm going to start a charity to make sure that clothing store workers are paid well. It may may seem like a silly charity to you, but to me, it's near and dear to my heart that those who sell me my brightly colored clothing, that they are compensated properly, which right now I feel they are being taken advantage of. Not a single penny is going to be going towards myself. And nobody at the top of abundance in the inner circle is going to be getting rid of the inner of the circle. Project. I believe that's extremely important if you're going, if we're going to bring back that level of trust that's been lost through a lack of transparency within philanthropy. Yes, I've, so, I, as you can tell, I've been quite uh, transparent in this video. I've, I've told you how Abundance has sped the money that we got from the first round. I've told you exactly uh, how Abundance is going to work, who's going to get the money, aside from uh, clothing store employees, of course. And uh, I've told you everything you need to know. I've been completely transparent. In fact, I've been more transparent than Saran Wrap. And uh, we're changing everything. Transparency is the name of the game. You, you can call me uh, Charlie Transparent Carol. That's what you can call me from now on. 
If you want to explain this to any of your rich friends, first of all, I may ask, please make your sure rich they friends. do good things with their money. They don't have to be, you know, Bill Gates giving away billions. They don't have to be Azim Prentice. They don't have to be anyone that's particularly dedicating their life towards. But I don't want someone, I don't want to make someone rich if the first thing they're going to do is, you know, build a sweatshop in India or build a casino in Vegas. So make sure they're a good person. At least you feel like they're a good person. And, you know, if, if you do feel like they might be interested, then please do reach out. And here's... Yeah, see, so I don't just want rich people. It needs to be rich people with a big heart, you know? It, it can't be one of these... You know, remember those rich people in Titanic? They're on the ship. They, they were they're making the poor people stay at the bottom of the ship. And uh, um, the, the rich people, they were, they're just haughty assholes who are selfish and only uh, look down on it, people who... We're not quite as wealthy as they are. I don't want those type of people's money. So if it's a rich person who's got a bad attitude, then I don't want his money. Well, actually, I, I kind of do, but I'm, I'm just saying I don't want his money. What, what, what I'm going to do is um, when you bring a rich person to me, I'm going to act like he's the best person in the world if, as long as he's got a fat checkbook. That's, that, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I'm not going to turn down money that's going to be thrown at me. Yeah? But, but I've got to at least put on the appearances that I'm going to. So that's the important thing is that I have to put on the appearances that I'm only going to be taking money from those that are wealthy. But there's a reason I'm saying this. There's a reason I'm putting on this appearance and going through this whole song and dance. The reason I'm putting on this appearance is because the key portion is that I'm not going to open sweatshops sweatshops in India. I'm not going to open up casinos in Vegas. In fact, I'm not going to do anything tangible with the money that you'll be able to say, oh, well, this will make me an immediate return on investment. No, it'll go into some sort of nebulous fund, which can be spent in a variety of ways, which are not particularly, uh, shall I use again, the world transparent. So they're not quite transparent. And uh, so if you're expecting a return on your money, maybe you should go elsewhere. If you're expecting me to just put it away somewhere and... Um, somehow frivol it away then please let's talk the let's say elevator pitch the five minute pitch that you might be able to tell them or even shorter if you if you want to about how about what abundance is here we go okay here so here we go four minutes into the video we're going to find out what the quote elevator pitch is i think he's talking about like if you're standing in an elevator with someone the five minute pitch and i don't know how many five minute elevator rides he's been taking i don't think i've ever taken one except when the elevator's gotten stuck but Here's the pitch. Here, now we can understand what is abundance. Go ahead, Charlie. Like you get involved. So, so abundance is, I would say, the quickest way to describe it is we're aiming to take a hold of capitalistic structures oh. and manipulate the incentives in ways that what? incentivize people to do very good things and businesses to do very good things. That is a very strong statement, and let me back that up. That, go ahead, back that up. Back it up. How you're gonna you're gonna change. The way capitalism has always been. Capitalism has always been about making the maximum amount of money you can. He's going to change that structure to where it's no longer about that. It's going to be capitalism with caring. Let's hear about how that works. We are aiming to compete with Amazon. We have a really? very good system. A very-, a very good system to compete with Amazon. The, what is it, like the largest company in the world? Or if not, very close? He's got, he's got a good system from... Begging people on YouTube for money to competing with Amazon. All right. That makes sense. Totally where I thought this would go. Totally a realistic goal. Go from nothing to competing with Amazon. Okay. Let's hear it. Very good team around us, and we're a very big company, and we're planning to grow extremely well. The concept behind abundance is beautiful. It is Mm -hmm. using a mixture of 
uh, an e-commerce platform, so something like Amazon, but it's only for more ethically based products. We're, um, <laughs> we're going to be doing e-commerce. No one's thought of that except Amazon. We're going to we're going to get into the e-commerce business, which is is rather untapped at this moment. No, no one's been doing e-commerce except Amazon. And we're like, why can't somebody else do e-commerce? So we're going to do that. We're going to we're going to have a website. There's going to be ability to buy things on the website, just like on Amazon. Except we're not going to be unethical. Be selling anything that's come from sweatshops and no factory farm meat, things like that. Um, and then also indoor farming, vertical farms are going to be erecting a lot of vertical farms around London and then the UK. And then vertical the farms? World, essentially. How do you do vertical farms without everything falling? Both of these things are very uh, net profit entities by themselves. And then we're going to have a retail side of it, which I won't go into too much detail, it's not super important. And then also a cryptocurrency aspect of this ah. is going to be circulating around. Now, the-, the cryptocurrency aspect of this, yeah, there's something I've noticed over the last few years and that whenever a cryptocurrency is involved in an investment scheme, that's a sign that it's never a scam. The cryptocurrency isn't necessary for the, for the company abundance to be able to be successful. Then why it's do it? It's not a necessity. Okay. But it is a potential bonus if this cryptocurrency, which we have developed extremely intelligently, I believe, and with a lot of care working around the laws and making sure it can still 10x, 100x, maybe even 1,000x in the future in value while still supporting our system, we've thought about it so deeply. So deeply. Okay, so there's a cryptocurrency involved, a new coin. They're not investing in Bitcoin. There's a new coin they've developed, and it, it may rise in value by a 1,000 times. Just get in on the ground floor. This can be the next Bitcoin. You don't want to miss out on that. And they've, they've thought about it very, very deeply. So you know it's going to work. And this is something no one's come up with. Alternative coins to Bitcoin. Alternative cryptocurrencies that are developed and that they talk up so people will buy and hope that will drive up the value to many, many times its original value. Nobody's thought of that yet. Good job, Charlie. Good job. Nobody's thought of this, and 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 when it's been tried recently, it's worked out great. All right, a, a new cryptocurrency. We we definitely need another one of those. The, the the thousands out there, the thousands of different types of cryptocurrencies. I think we need one more. I think we just need one more where there's deeper thought put into it. Good job. Uh, by the way, when you hear him sometimes fade, that's not him having sound problems that's actually he has a white cat walking around the room and he keeps having to pick up the cat and move it from being out of the way he, he can't even do his his pitch without having to deal with a cat walking on him that i do believe it is going to be an incredible but where'd the music go i know it's a very difficult sell for a lot of people i'm not going to try and change everyone's mind about cryptocurrency but that is what we're going to do i believe charlie bring the music wait, 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 what that, that. That music was so relaxing. Now it's gone. Listen, I'm going to bring it back to where the music was there. And I'll fast forward back to where we are now. Listen to this. Capitalistic structures that manipulate the incentives. I feel like I'm in like a 1976 disco. To do very good things and business. Just relax in there. Having a drink with John Travolta. And let me back that up. And now listen. what we're going to do. I believe that using this no cryptocurrency, we can take something, let's say it's usually two oh, pounds good. in a store, back. and we can give a discount to it if we should so choose, if it's a very good ethical product, and there's a reason for that. And 
I will go into more detail if someone wants more detail about how you t- how you can do that. It's it's definitely a very big thing that you can say. Oh, we can just add, take money off and we'll be fine. But it, it, we really have thought this through for a very long time, over a year now. The concept development stage has been going on, and I'm very certain that this is a good concept. We're not the only people doing stuff like this, although we are the only people, as I'm aware of, that are doing something of this scale, of this nature, of an e-commerce platform plus an actual retail platform. Okay, so. There's an e-commerce platform and a retail platform, and so, somehow that's unique. No company has ever done e-commerce and retail at the same time. Can't think of one. That's going to be distributing basically anything you can think of that isn't going to be messing the world up. Oh, so I, see, it's just like Amazon. It's going to be Amazon minus things that mess the world up. Amazon except we don't mess the world up. dot com is the site. And people are going to go, oh, I I was going to shop at Amazon, but wait, 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 what about Charlie's site? His is just like Amazon, has the exact same selection as Amazon, exact same customer service as Amazon, exact same two-day shipping option as Amazon, and the Prime thing you can sign up for to always get two-day free shipping. It has all that. It has has all the video, everything that you would get at Amazon, except they have eliminated the products that hurt the world. Well, why do we need Amazon anymore? We don't. Jeff Bezos, you shouldn't have gotten that divorce because you're going to lose so much money because Charlie's going to beat you. You're going to wish you had the divorce money back, Jeff. So we're then going to be ranking in some way, non-arbitrary way, things of how ethical they are and how unethical they are. And we're going to be incentivizing people by making the most ethical things the cheapest things in any given market. Ah. Now, not everything's going to be black and white like this. There's a lot of nuance behind this, but this is the general outset towards it. I see. So the ethical things will be cheapest, and the unethical things will be most expensive. I see. So let's see over here. If, if you wish to buy something to... Um, let, let's say you wish to buy a basket, which you're going to fill with gifts for orphan children then this basket will cost you only two cents because it's ethical. It's meant to do something good. But let's say you're going to buy a double-sided dildo. Well, that's not particularly ethical because you're... um, Well, we won't get into why, but I think we know why. For that reason, the double-sided dildo is now going to be uh, $1,000 if you wish to have that. So that's the way our pricing model will work. It's it's not about how, how much the good costs to make... It's not about the profit that uh, margin that we need to continue as a business as being viable. It is not about the market forces of where people can get the same product cheaper. It's about how ethical it is. So if we if we say that um, if if we say that this um, let's just say a toilet brush that you were to buy on Amazon, let's say that toilet brush could be bought, the same toilet brush could be bought for $11 in the store and maybe on Amazon, that um, we would charge um, $100 for it if we deemed the toilet brush to be unethical because, for example, it was uh, manufactured in China under slave labor. But uh, if it was um, manufactured under good circumstances where people were paid properly, then we would sell the toilet brush, which, which wholesales for um, for $6.50, uh, we would be selling it for $1 and taking a $5.50 loss. That's our, that's our business model. It's going to be uh, a smashing success. 
this meaning that we've been, we're incentivizing people to buy the more ethical things, meaning that the companies that are the most ethical are going to be making the, more, making the most money. There are other things we have to do to make sure that's the case as well. Again, this is just an elevator pitch. And then we're going to be expanding the platform, expanding the platform to the point where hopefully we have a big enough market share of you know, any market that we choose to penetrate and penetrate. we can actually manipulate and incentivize businesses and individuals to make good decisions for their health, for the planet, for animals, and for everyone. Um, little problem here. Little problem here, Charlie. I, I think all the deep-thoughtedness that went on here, the all the talk in your inner circle, somehow you missed that if you sell a product for more than other retailers are carrying it, they're not going to buy it from you. And if you sell the product for less to where you can't turn a profit on selling it, then your company will lose money and go out of business. You can't just decide how much things are going to cost based upon your uh, your ethics. You can't do that. There's no way. If you charge too much, people won't buy it. If you charge too little, your company's going to lose money. That that is capitalism. That's uh, there unless you have a monopoly where nobody else is selling these products, where you're the only distributor of it, then you have no way to control those prices. I don't think Charlie understands how market forces work. But but give him your money, rich people. It sounds idealistic, but we have a very oh, it sounds very idealistic. That's that's a surprise. Competent team behind us doing all of the logistics. Oh, they're they're competent. Okay, right. so trust them. They're 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 so, a competent team. It first, sounds it sounds idealistic, but they're a competent team. So that's that's all you need to hear. Of this money is going to be going towards the people who have fallen the furthest within society, because hmm. I believe very strongly that if you want to pick up a society by its bootstraps, you have to start with the people that have fallen the furthest. And within the UK, which is the place that we're starting for a very particular reason, which I won't go into now, the people that have fallen the furthest out of society's grasp are rough sleepers, the homeless population. They're the people we're going to be helping first. Also, a lot of other people, you know, people with mental health, people, elderly people who can't afford. We're also going to be making a lot of stuff cheaper for everyone to have available to them. Apologies to my cat. She's too beautiful to be and so distracting. Um... She's a little kid. She's very neat. So, we're going to be putting a lot of money and a lot Whoa, of effort Whoa, how'd it get so loud? He, he was bending down to get the cat away. He's speaking too loud to the microphone. <laughs> Here, here's a hint, Charlie. When you're trying to beg people for money, you you got to put the cat out of the room. It, it's only a 14-minute video. You don't, you don't have to abandon the cat out in the cold for hours or days. You, it's just 14 minutes. Your cat can do without you. Sorry. A lot of money and a lot of effort towards helping the homeless population. We have some really, really cool ideas. Uh, I'll give you one now, and then the rest of them you can. If you're more interested, and you can you can learn about it. I'll, I'll speak about it. I'll, I'll speak to people about it. I'm willing to meet people. Um, but I really, I really do believe this is so so many good ideas just packed into one bundle. So the one one of the ideas that I think is really, really going to be effective is the idea that instead of you know when you're Walking past someone that's sleeping rough and the homeless person, they ask you for change. And you, you have a couple, if you have a few options, you could either give them change, and then often you feel kind of bad, it's like oh, they can spend it on drugs, I don't really know. And you walk past, and maybe you don't give them change, you feel bad, it's like, oh, no, imagine if they're going to starve. Or I just spent like five pounds on a smoothie, what am I doing? There's always some kind of dissonance, emotional dissonance, when you walk past and have these kind of interactions because you just don't know what to do. 
some and what I would recommend doing by the way for anyone out there at the moment is to go into a store and say hey do you want do you want anything from this store and then obviously they can't spend money on other things but even that has its downsides because you're allowing them to continue in a, in a, in a cycle that uh, is is generally quite detrimental oh yeah that's all true for once I agree Charlie this, this is all correct now now let's hear your solution to people and that incentivizes people to not take it upon themselves to move out the street obviously i'm not saying that everyone could if they should so choose but that is unfortunately how the statistics pan out what we're planning on doing is creating a part of the app that we're making that would allow people to walk up to a homeless person and give them a gift (laughs) in the form of hey would you like to spend a week say in the nearest hospice or in an abundance hospice depending on what stage of the project we're on and they would say, yes, I would love to. And you give them a code or there's a bunch of different ways you can do it to make it logistically work. And then they'll be able to have a week out. Maybe you want to buy the meals in a, you know, an abundance store. Or maybe you'd want to, I'm so sorry for this. Maybe you'd want to help them out with some clothing, an abundance clothes store. Something along those lines. And- you know, it's, it's funny. This actually, this is the first thing he said, which makes a little bit of sense. But, but it's, it's, it's all centered around them having stores, which they're not going to have. Like, you can't just have stores everywhere from nothing there, there's no way to do that that would be prohibitively expensive uh where he may actually have something is for people to be able to use an app to donate to the homeless for with participating businesses that are willing to, and that's the problem a lot of times the businesses don't even want to deal with these people because a lot of times they're mentally ill or they they they're disheveled or smell bad or a lot of times they just don't even want the homeless around even if the homeless are willing to pay money uh, that would be one of the problems, but but you know, if if they could get businesses on board to where if the homeless say they're hungry, okay, you you go on the app, see the participating restaurants or stores in the area that that uh, are willing to let them prepay for the homeless person to go, you know, take a code there and then pick up, you know, the certain amount of food that they want, and then. Uh, you, know, you could donate that way, or if you can give them a hotel for a night, or something like that, where uh, this can all be prepaid through a code. Maybe that could work. Uh, again, I think businesses may have a hard time getting aboard, just not wanting to deal with these people. And even in cases like like giving them a place to stay for the night, you know, what if the homeless damage it? What happens then? Who pays for that? And as far as the food, what if the homeless decide, you know, they really do want drugs, so they, they sell these codes to somebody else? What if, what, what if you say to a homeless person, okay, here, here's a code for $20 worth of groceries, and then the homeless guy who, who really wants to buy some drugs goes to the front and goes, hey, hey, anyone buy this $20 code for groceries for 15 bucks? Give me 15 bucks. I'll give you this $20 code. I'll even go in with you to make sure, you know, so you can see it really works. And someone will go, okay, yeah, sure, I'll save five bucks. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, here's your 15 bucks. <laughs> then the guy run off and buy crack. Like, that that's another potential problem is uh, something that could be maybe sold or transferred. But even if you found a way around that, um, the yeah, getting businesses to comply here would be maybe tough. But he's not even saying that. He's saying that uh, it would be an abundant store, an abundant restaurant, an abundant hospice. No, no. You're not going to have these things. They're, they're not going to just be there. This is like something way down the line if you guys are successful, which is not going to happen. And what this is going to do, apart from give people the ability to gift in ways that is going to be positive, in ways that is going to be happy for and uh, helpful for people's lives, it's also going to restore this emotional connection between 
the people who aren't homeless and the people who are homeless. And I think this is so crucial for building momentum behind a movement. You need to bring back that emotional connection that has just been severed through people having to walk every day past so much suffering. The only thing that they can possibly do in in those scenarios to stop themselves from going crazy is to emotionally disconnect is to completely turn off from the suffering that's around them every day. And what we're doing is we're going to offer people the chance to bring back that connection and to be able to say, actually, I can help and I know exactly what to do. This is just one of many, many, many ideas that we're going to have. And what I I believe will happen is that we'll be able to fill up all of the hospices in not much time because I think there are so many beautiful people out there that genuinely want to help. And then I think the next thing that's going to happen after that is that we'll say there'll be newspaper tabloids saying, okay, they filled up all these hospices or all these all these shelters. What to do next? And people are going to be like, oh, we just need to build more. And that is how that's one of the ways that we're going to be doing. We also have a lot of other ways of, uh, that we're going to be tackling homelessness. It's an extremely nuanced and difficult topic, but that's just one cool idea that I thought I'd share with you. So. Just to be clear, this is something that I'm not going to make any personal money on myself, so you know I'm being absolutely sincere that this is something that I'm putting all of my love and time to. Okay, so and who's going to monitor that? Where, where are we going to have an accounting? We're going to have an independent accounting of all the money that comes in and where it goes out and who spends it? Because you just saying you're not going to take it is not going to reassure anybody. I'm not going to spend any myself, so no, no worry about that. Rich people, just, just dump your money here in this trash can. I, I guarantee... That um, all the money you're dumping in here, I'm going to spend on the homeless and whatnot. I mean, I'm not, it's not going to go to me. I promise that. It's not going to go to me. Not going to go to um, fancy feast for my cat. Uh, my, my cat. Uh, my cat. Uh, I do love the cat, but I, I do understand we have to be economical when we have to. And uh, you know, I'm not going to take your money. Uh, I'm not going to buy the fancy feast or the other uh, expensive. Uh, cat food. I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to force my my cat to eat me- meow mix. Listen to this. Yeah, I prove it to you. See, that's my, my that's my cat saying she eats meow mix. See, I just proved it. My cat is is singing the meow mix song, which she wouldn't do if she didn't eat meow mix. So if she eats meow mix, I'm not going to waste your money on cat food. Right, let's finish this thing. <laughs> oh boy. Someone wrote in the chat, he missed Econ 101. Exactly. (laughs) And I'm not saying this is a a brag, but I have quit my dream job, something that I was extremely successful. I was making seven figures a year over the, the last three years that I was playing poker, and I quit. I was traveling around, meeting beautiful people, doing beautiful things in beautiful countries, and I've decided to stay in London behind my computer for a very long period of time, although I'm lucky to be blessed with a girlfriend and two cats. And I am dedicating my life to this, so I hope you can feel my passion, my sincerity, and the fact that I'm not doing this for personal gain. I genuinely just feel like we, we just need to make a difference. It's so stupid that there are people out there that don't have a home when there are so many empty houses on the streets. It's just so stupid. I- okay, let's stop this for a second. What do you think this is? Like, like, really, what do you think this is? Do you think this is just him being an idealistic weirdo who doesn't understand basic economics? Or you, you think it's a scam? You think it's a combination of both? I mean, what is this? Does he really just think he's going to change the world and not make a penny from it? That he's... Did he really give up a poker career where he was making a fortune to do this? Or, or is it that his poker career wasn't going well anymore? 
or that he went busto because he uh, he spent money in stupid ways, and that now he's turning to something else where other people will find him. Well, often the Hendon mob will tell the story. So Charlie Carroll, taking a look at the Hendon mob here, he has cashed for $6.46 million, which is pretty good. He His best finish cash-wise was $1.2 million, which is also pretty damn good. Uh, he is the fifth highest casher all time in England. But let's look at the more important stuff here. Let's look how he's been doing. Now, in 2017, he had a very, very good year. At least so it appears. He was entering a lot, entering a lot of expensive events, including some that were over 25 k Like, for example, he entered the uh, the PCA... Or not the PCA, the Poker Stars Championship at the at Monte Carlo. I don't mean Las Vegas' Monte Carlo. I mean real Monte Carlo. And he finished sixth there to win 235,000 euros, which is worth about uh, $257,000. That was in May 2017, so we're talking about two years ago. Uh, He even entered the 111K one-drop event that year and finished 15th for 187,000, meaning he made about 60 or 70-something thousand on it. But looking at 2017, you see a lot of five-figure caches, a few six-figure caches. He did hit uh, $343,000 cash in November. He had a $1.2 million cash in January. So a lot of big stuff happened for him in 2017. And uh, 2016, he had, at the, in December, he had a $565,000 cash. So in, in a period of less than a month, from December to January 2016 to 17. He, he cashed, uh, it looks like, uh, almost $2 million from a number of things together. That's pretty damn good. Um, but then, if you look after that, let's go after that last big cash of 343000 in November 2017. Uh, we're looking at now 17 months since then. He has... Three caches, all in December 2018. The 1,100 euro EPT Prague event for where he cashed for 8,900 euro, so that's not huge. The 50,000 euro EPT Super High Roller in December 2018, where he finished sixth and cashed for 134,000 euro. So uh, he, he didn't. He only made 84,000 euro there. So it's still not as good as it sounds. And then the 10,300 euro no limit event where he finished 17th and cashed for 30,900 euro. Those are his three caches. In dollars, the total amount cashed since November 2017 was less than $200,000. I don't know if he also plays cash, but from what I had heard, he was a tournament player. So I don't know what he was doing. These, these are the only three caches. They were all in a short period of time, in a week, span, a week span between uh, December sixth or sorry, December eighth and December sixteenth in two thousand eighteen. So for over a year, he had no caches after that. Uh, that one drop event at the WSOP Europe. 
since then, he did not cash for 13 straight months, then had those three caches, then nothing again for the last four months. So is it possible that he was on some brutal downswing? Because there's zero caches in that time. And you would think in November t- uh, 2017, if he had just uh, cashed you know, ninth in the 111K one drop in Europe, you would think that he would be inspired to keep playing. You would think he wouldn't be taking a break at that point. He also had no caches between July and November 2017. But he had done so well in the first half of 2017, that was fine. But but is it possible that that one drop that he hit in November was his one cash and that he'd been just bricking big event after big event after big event basically for the last almost two years? With basically like two exceptions. So is it possible he chunked off all his money and now is is doing this other thing which counts on other people's money? It's got to be something like that. Also notice in the video, he hasn't talked about the amount of funding he's put in himself. Which, if he was really making, quote, seven figures a year, he should have a lot of money to put into this himself. He hasn't said that. He hasn't said, oh, yes, I've put in uh, five million to myself. I've put in ten million myself. He hasn't said that. He hasn't said at all what he's put in himself. So that's very suspicious. And usually when these people quit poker and move on to something else, unless it's immediately following a period where you can definitely see they've been doing well and they just like want to leave on a high note. Sometimes someone will win the main event and say, okay, I'm done. Or sometimes uh, someone will go on a big run and just kind of say, you know, I'm just kind of bored with poker now. I'm going to move on to something else. And then they usually have something pretty specific they're moving on to. But when you, you kind of don't hear much from them for a while, and you don't know exactly know what they're doing. You can't see many tournament caches. You, you're, you're not hearing of them crushing the cash game scene. And then just one day, oh, I'm done with poker. I'm moving on to something else. Usually it's because they're losing. I mentioned that with Vanessa Selps. Oh, there's a Vanessa Selps story. I forgot. We got to do the Vanessa Selps story tonight. I forgot about that. But the topics keep presenting themselves. There's a Vanessa Selps story to bring up here. Totally forgot about that. I'm glad I thought of that. Maybe we'll do that next. But but anyway, this really looks like someone who didn't quit poker voluntarily. This looks like someone who mostly went broke and now is trying to do this. It may not be a scam. He may he may be delusional enough to think this is going to work. But this this isn't him quitting a seven-figure poker job as he's called it to do this. That's not what was happening. I understand why it's happening. I'm not idealistic in the sense like, oh, we could just put them in all the homes and then everything will be done. We need to make a good business. We need to attack it from the top up. And we need to make a grassroots movement in another sense that everyone can get behind and everyone can start making a difference themselves. And I really do believe that abundance is going to be a huge part of the difference that's going to come to society. So if you have any rich friends out there Please do let them know if they if they might be interested. Please do give them out my email. I'll leave my email in the link last time in the description below. Last time I did this, I did get spam. Please, I don't want to have to answer people if they ask for coaching or if they ask to be in my poker group or if they're asking for money. I'm probably not going to reply to any of those messages. Um, so please don't abuse my email. Um, but I'm going to put it in the, in the link in the description below. And then if people have a genuine... Uh, 
offer that they might be able to help with or want to connect me with someone, that would be greatly appreciated. I'm sorry that the lighting's really bad today, by the way. I, a lot of lights have just kind of gone out in my house and I, I, I don't want to set up like loads of synthetic lights, so I'm, I'm waiting for a, a good setup. So I hope this wasn't too annoying to watch. Anyway, much love, guys. This is, uh, I really do believe this is going to be a beautiful thing. We're at the next stage of abundance and it's just going to continue growing, continue growing. I believe that we can launch publicly within about eight months, maybe 10. And <laughs> I believe very strongly that we can genuinely change the world beyond comprehension. Beyond so, comprehension. See you. See ya. <laughs> That's, that's the summary. But wait, there's more. You thought we're done. No. Listen to this. Yo, 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 guys. Quick video. And uh, I'm, I'm a bit emotional right now, so apologies if I'm not particularly articulate. Um, but I'm, I really want to just respond to this, get it off my chest and just leave it. My chest and just leave it. So I got into a bit of a Twitter thing uh, with Doug Polk. And it stemmed from me asking questions to Twitter. What's an unpopular opinion you hold? I listed off a few of myself. One being no topic is beyond humor, which I truly believe. And another one saying the best ways, the best way to prevent molestation, child molestation is to have more empathy and love for child molesters. (laughs) How could anyone respond badly to that? This video, by the way, is from April 6th. This one I'm playing right now. So he he and Doug Polk had an argument. How dare Polk think that you can't have love for child molesters? Let's hear from Charlie Carroll why we should have love for child molesters. I understand it. It seems like a very hard-hitting statement. You think Uh, so? That's kind of the point of when you're saying an unpopular opinion, creating a space where you can say hard-hitting statements and leave room in case those hard-hitting statements can actually make some really good changes in society if you have start having these type of conversations. So the reason that I believe, let me just qualify my opinion, that it is the best way to prevent child molestation is to have more empathy and love for child molesters is because... If you put yourself in the head of a child molester, they are so terrified of literally everyone in the world. There's nothing nothing worse you can be. I honestly, I, I think they might rank worse than murderers in terms of what they've done to people. Being someone who has experienced child molestation myself um, when I was extremely young and someone who, my, my partner, my love of my life, she was molested dozens and dozens and dozens of times by a lot of different people throughout her whole life until maybe a year ago. It's a very personal topic for me. So in response, Doug Polk just decides to put W-A-T, what? And it's the second time he's done that. And I know he has a lot of animosity towards me. And here's the thing. When someone kind of like lays belly up, leaving themselves vulnerable by putting an opinion that, you know, I'm, I'm sure he didn't know exactly how vulnerable it would make me. But it is, a, it is a topic that a lot of people can be vulnerable about. I'm being vulnerable. I'm saying just um, let's be nice to child molesters. Let's understand them. Let's be sweet with them. And uh, how dare you write W-A-T what to, um, to mock me? I- I'm-, I'm opening up my heart to you and my love for child molesters and you're-, you're having the nerve to mock it. How dare you? How dare you? 
the one thing you don't do is just like make mocking and bad intention jokes. I don't mind making a joke about anything. I don't mind just being like, haha, yeah, troll my solution, this is my joke. But if you're doing it with bad intentions, and I know he is because he's always got that little troll energy with a mixture of like he wants to he wants to really make you feel bad about yourself because that's what he does. He always brings people down, whether it be Alec Torelli or Daniel Negroni. He just hammers them and he genuinely bullies them. And yep, there's the bullying word again. Place of deep, deep there's the bullying there's word again. There's one place that these things ever come from, and that is insecurity and a lack of self-love. And so I'm not saying, yo, fuck you, dog. But I'm saying have some fucking grace, lose the arrogance, and just try and dig deep in yourself and find out where these things are coming from. So just quickly, I responded, I'll put a link to it. I said, yeah, one word mocking of someone who's been sexually molested, making themselves vulnerable by giving them opinion they spent years coming to through immense trauma a beacon of morality as always doug i was a bit salty gotta be honest i just instantly replied um i said you know that you know nothing about the topic and felt this was a good spot for a cheap shot to stroke your own ego your whole shtick is to put other people down to make yourself feel better or come someplace deep in security and, and you're too arrogant to begin to admit it please be kind to people about these topics this really shook me and it did it really really hurt me i've this isn't his fault this isn't anything to do with him but you you should be aware that when you're speaking about these topics, these can be extremely traumatic for people. Don't come at it from an angry perspective. Talk about it. Don't need to trigger warning anything. Don't need to hide your opinions. But if you're going to say something that has that cruel intention behind it, try and maybe try to reconsider how yeah, you be say more, it, man. Be more polite about child molesters. Cool. You know? and he said, when, I, when I'm on the child molesters' side and telling them that we should need to understand them more, be, be kind. Be, just be nice, all right? Just, just, um, just be understanding. You're not understanding about child molesters. That's, that's a problem with the world these days. They just don't understand child molesters the way they should. No, it's one word. Mocking, we should love empathy for chil- for people who molest children. This is absolutely ridiculous, but you already know that's because it's why you tweeted it. If Charlie really wants to have a discussion, he could have said something like, we should have love and empathy for those who are attracted to children, but seek out help so they don't act on those impulses. But no, he had to go with the extreme version to be sensationalist. Whew. <laughs> child molesters are right up there with the top of the scum of the earth fuck those people good take man that's a real philosopher there and no I will not have any love or empathy for committing such horrid crimes for people's children to people's children I mean for fuck's sake how is this even a debate well Doug if you look in the world of like spirituality of people that actually want to do good for the world and actually want to dedicate their lives to helping other people you'll see people who love literally every single human on earth whether that be Hitler or whether it be Gandhi anyone in between because the reason that we we can do that is because we're putting ourselves in their shoes realizing that they've had a shitty life to get themselves to that point whether it's through trauma or whether it's through getting lost in nihilism all of these different things they are still a human being and loving them isn't going to be doing anyone any harm but it's going to be doing you good and it might make things better for them as well and for the people around them all right i mean i've heard enough how much more of this should we hear with the we should admire people who love everyone the ones who love Hitler, love child molesters, love murderers and terrorists. We should love them all because you don't know their story. They, they may have had a bad life, which justifies it. Don't, don't judge them on their actions. Don't judge them on the horrible things they do. Because there's always a reason. There's always a good reason behind everything. Always a valid reason to murder people, to molest people. Commit genocide. Maybe you had a bad life. Okay, maybe you had a rough life, so it's okay to want to kill millions of people. You can't judge that person. You haven't been in their shoes. I mean, that's... 
I don't know. <laughs> the fact that he's actually making a video calling out someone who thought this was ridiculous and he doesn't understand how stupid he looks. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, Charlie. I've given enough time to you. Good luck with your cam, girl. I'm sure that's going to be a fruitful relationship long term. Let's move on to talk about the hidden topic, the topic, I, I should say the forgotten topic, not the hidden topic. Vanessa Selbst. Vanessa Selbst, and this, is, this might piss off some people, some of the uh, social justice warriors out there who listen to this show. Some of you might not like this topic because of who it's about. And because it's about, well, you'll hear what it's about. Vanessa Selbst made this announcement on uh, Twitter, which I think was the first anyone heard of this situation. She tweeted, Can't believe this little guy is already six months old. Happy half-birthday to my main squeeze. And that she posted four pictures of an infant. So on April 6th, 2019, she basically announced the six-month birthday of her child. So in case you haven't put it together yet, in case you're one of the slow kids, or in case it just hasn't sunk in yet, as it still hasn't for me, Vanessa Selfs is a mother. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your mother being Vanessa Selfs? Now, to be fair, the kid has another mother, because it's a, it's a lesbian couple. Vanessa Selfs is probably more of the father, because she's the butch one. The, the, her wife is a, is a feminine girl. I've seen her. So, when I saw this, I, w- I was pretty taken aback. She just doesn't seem like the nurturing type at all. In fact, I, I feel bad for any kid that would have her as a parent. But not for the reasons you think. Not because she's a lesbian. See, some people just jumped on me when I criticized this because they thought I was trying to make commentary about a lesbian having a child. But that, that's not what this is about. It really isn't. Now, it does bring up some interesting questions. Who provided the sperm? If two lesbians can't have a natural child together, the sperm had to come from somewhere. So who, who gave the sperm? Was it from a male poker friend? Did she get it from a sperm donation service? Did she let her wife bang a guy for one night? I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a little boy, so I bet you can count on this kid eventually getting tons of lectures in the coming decades about his toxic masculinity. But I, I posted this on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, and some people jumped on me giving me a hard time for making fun of this. In fact, some people even tried to say that I was a bad father, which is weird. I don't know where they're getting that idea. Not at all. But they they jumped on that. (laughs) Just pulling that out of the air. Uh, Some people really got angry. Even when I clarified, I said, I don't care about Vanessa being gay and having a kid. That's not a big deal. It happens all the time nowadays. The big deal is the fact that Vanessa has a bad temper, is selfish, and I don't think it would make a good mother. Um, you may wonder what I mean by that. Why, why do I have an issue 
with her having a child. Again, it's not about her being a lesbian. My problem is from observing Vanessa and how she has behaved, not just in poker, but also outside of poker. So let's, let's look at what we've seen of Vanessa. She has major anger issues. She has a complete lack of self-control. That's not a, those are not good traits to have when you have kids. When you have kids and you have anger issues, then what you end up doing is, is terrorizing the kids. You end up yelling at them and, 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 and scaring them and traumatizing them. So it's, it's not good to have anger issues if, and have kids. Not good to lack self-control. You need a lot of self-control around your kids. Kids will frustrate you a lot. You've got to have that self-control. Let's look at her behavior in poker. For years, I mean many years now, all the way up until the last time she played, she berates people constantly at the poker table, even amateurs and even other women and even other amateur women. Like at the WSOP ladies event, Ray Henson, who, who never starts drama, you know, Ray Henson is a pretty uh, non-dramatic guy. Uh, he reported that his wife, who is not a pro poker player like he is. She's a big-time amateur. She was, in fact, nervous to play the World Series of Poker Ladies event because she just felt it would be intimidating. But he, he convinced her that this event is very gentle and the women are very supportive of each other and it's you know it's not hyper-competitive at all. And so he talked her into playing it. And of all things, he, he, she gets Vanessa's table. And when she three-bet three Vanessa once, Vanessa says to her, do you know who I am? And it wasn't like a joke. She was actually like insulted that this amateur would dare three-bet her. And then the whole time at the table, she's criticizing uh, Ray's wife's play. Oh, you should have played this hand this way. I would have done it this way. This, this is why what you did was wrong. Like, like she's, and she's doing this other women at the table, too. She was acting like the big shot, talking down to everybody, criticizing everybody's hands, even when she wasn't in. Uh just being very, very unpleasant. And so Ray's wife came back and said, you were wrong. There was this one awful woman at the table who uh, who was making all of her lives hell. And Ray said, oh, I'm sorry. This is unusual. You know, I'm surprised you got that, but uh, that's not the way it usually is at this event. And then they, I think Ray was reading some World Series coverage, and on his phone there was a picture of Vanessa. She said, wait, 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 that's her. That was the one who was talking down to me. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's Vanessa's self, so that makes sense now. And so um, anyway, when, when Vanessa, last year, you may remember, we, we did a big segment on this. When she blew up at the main event and made this stupid bluff and shot off all her ships against someone who definitely wasn't laying down their hand, people were mocking her on Twitter about it, about her play, and she made this post about how this is what she hates about poker players, how they, they always have to criticize everybody else, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, are you kidding me? You're the one who criticizes people the most. You do this constantly at the table. And then all these stories came out from all these people who had kept it bottled in, some from a long time ago, some from pretty damn recently. In fact, you'd say, oh, that was 10 years ago. And then someone would say, well, what about this thing from 2016? What about this from 2017? <laughs> All these people came forward with their own stories of Vanessa being abusive at the table, including recent ones. So she, she eventually just escaped the conversation because she there was a, a major public shaming of her on Twitter for just being nasty to everybody at the table, talking down to people, criticizing them, berating them, yelling at them. And it just doesn't stop. It's not even like she did this when she was in her early 20s and learned. She still does it today when she plays. 
Now, let's, let's take outside of poker. She luckboxed into this Wall Street job that she wasn't qualified to have. She just got it because she, she knew someone there, and they wanted to hire her as a professional poker player to schmooze potential investors who, who might know who she was and like poker. I, I thought that was a stupid decision because she, she's not a people person. She's not likable. You, you want to bring – like if they hired John, uh, John Robert Balland for that position, that would be great. I, I can understand how you can bring him in and he could talk investors into investing with this firm. How having someone like him on board could be useful from a, a sales perspective, from a new customer perspective. But not Vanessa. She's, she's not an outgoing or fun person whatsoever. So that was kind of a weird hire to begin with. She was very lucky to get that job. And she didn't quit poker because she was uh, just ready for something else. She was, she was not getting Poker Stars money anymore. She was no longer a sponsored pro, and she'd been losing for a while. So she was lucky to get that job. And so you'd think she'd be careful. You'd think she wouldn't screw it up, especially because she wasn't really qualified to get it. It's not like she could just go quit and get another Wall Street job. Well, shortly after getting the job, she ended up having to deal with an HR complaint against her because she created a major altercation at the company Christmas party, of all things. Yeah. And apparently she was in the wrong, too. It wasn't like someone did something to her and she, and she reacted. She she took some perceived slight there, or maybe it was over, over politics. I don't know what it was. But something got her really mad and aggressive and nasty to people at the Christmas party to where they went as far to report it to HR. Which, yeah, it's more than just a few words. Obviously, she was she really created an altercation there. And how do I know this? Because she stupidly mentioned it on Twitter. <laughs> she stupidly publicized that this happened. And people are like, oh, Vanessa, this probably isn't a good thing to be talking about publicly. She's like, no, 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 no. We, we all got together and we all talked about it. And, you know, and I, 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 I learned from it and, and, and everybody's okay now and everybody's cool now. So I, it's okay to put out there. It's a positive experience. No, no, it's not. You just got out of it. But it's not... You didn't get fired, but it was close. You you don't brag about this. She created some kind of altercation at the Christmas party for her office at this job that she was lucky to get. So she, she can't even go to a freaking Christmas party without creating uh, trouble there. She also is known to be incredibly ideologically intolerant, where if you don't agree with her politics or social views, she will berate you, insult you, and block you. And say terrible things about you simply because you disagree with her. She's known for that too. I'm blocked for that reason. Plus, she hates men. She's made that very clear. She doesn't say directly, I hate men, but it's very clear she hates men. And I'm not saying all lesbians hate men. There's some lesbians who have no problem with men. But she is a lesbian who hates men. And now she has a son. So if you can't see the problem with someone like this, Having a kid, I don't know what to tell you. This is nothing about her being a lesbian. It's about what she is. It's about the type of person she is. It's about her lack of self-control, her bad temper. Her inability to be introspective. Her entire world revolving around her. These are not good traits to have as a parent. Now, maybe her wife would be a good mother. I don't know her wife. I can't say if she would be or wouldn't be. 
So it's possible her wife can kind of cancel some of that out, but I would never want her as a parent. I think that would be hell. And, you know, she claims to love the kids so much. The kid's a little baby. But when it, it you, and you know you can't discipline a baby. You can't discipline a six-month-old. A six-month-old can't learn. So you can't, uh, you just have to take care of the six-month-old. You, they can't understand when you're telling them not to do something. But as the kid gets older, I, it's going to be tough. Unfortunately, some people on the forum, all they can see is their identity politics. All they can see is I'm criticizing a lesbian with a kid. They go, oh, okay, look at Dandruff. He's, he's so intolerant. He doesn't want gays to have kids. And, you know, he's looking down on them for that. No, forget what she is. Forget, forget her sexual preference. And think about everything that's happened with her. Think about all the major personality flaws she has. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to be a parent or you can't have any kind of personality flaws or you can't have any kind of faults. I'm saying that if there are these major problems where you have a lack of self-control and major anger issues, you can't even go to a Christmas party at your company without creating a major altercation for no reason, then you're probably not going to be a good parent. Most normal people can go to their office Christmas party and not create an altercation. Most people can do that. I've never been at an office party. You know, back when I worked, I worked for a number of years before I, I became a poker player. When I went to office parties, I, I never came close to creating an altercation. It, it, it never even crossed my mind to start up with people there and give people such a hard time and be so nasty to people that they report me to HR. Like, <laughs> that, that, that would never happen. I could go to a thousand office parties. I can guarantee that would never happen. But she did it in one office party. So that that's just not a good person to have a kid. So that's uh it's happened though. She has a six month old baby, baby boy of all things. Lord help him. That's all I can say. Don't envy that kid. Moving on here. I almost forgot that topic, too. I, I totally meant to do it. Like, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about this on the radio. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I forgot it until that came up when I was talking about Charlie Carroll. Thank you, Charlie. All right, moving on. Saw24 said in chat, LOL, the projection libtards do. The problem is that there's so many people these days who are focused on identity politics that that if, if the person being criticized is one that's in what they believe to be a victim class, then they just tune it out. They don't listen. They don't listen to the content of the criticism. They just focus on the person's race or their sexual preference or their gender, whatever it is, their religion in some cases, as long as it's not Christian. And they, they assume it's about that. And no, it, it's, it's possible to criticize people of those supposed victim classes if they've really done something wrong. 
That's different than criticizing an entire race or sexual preference or, or religion or whatever it may be. And I, I find that some people have a hard time understanding that, unbelievably. They, they want to put people in categories. If, if you're of this type of identity, then you can't be criticized. Of course you can. They don't say that, but that's, that's the way they treat it when they hear criticism. Someone just told me to check my Facebook messages. I hope this is important. Let me see. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I should believe this because there's there's a lot of these like Vegas Twitters, Vital Vegas, Las Vegas locally. The problem is a lot of times they uh They put out rumors that are not true. So it says, source, the Rio is in the process of being sold and will soon be demolished. Let me tell you why I don't believe that. They're going to hold the World Series of Poker there. But it's it's April 10th right now. Now April 11th, actually, because it's after midnight. They are not on April 11th going to decide to demolish a casino that is set to hold the World Series of Poker. They're not going to say, oh, hold on, guys, we're demolishing it. So, um, yeah, this has moved somewhere else. It would create tremendous confusion. And it would piss people off who have reservations there for this. It would be a tremendous headache. What might be happening is what I've been saying all along. And people doubted me when I said this, by the way. What I said all along, what's going to happen is that when the new Caesars Convention Center opens, possibly in 2020, that they will sell the Rio. That the only reason they're holding on to the Rio right now is because it's their only real convention space. Only place for the World Series of Poker, only place to have large conventions, that they, they really don't have that at their other properties. So that's the reason they're holding on to the Rio. And that's the reason the Rio's kind of been in a holding pattern with... with uh, substandard maintenance and all that. They don't want to put money into it. And they've 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 basically pared the Rio down to not have a lot of the features it originally had when it opened. They're they're basically just leaving it in a holding pattern to where it can operate, but it's not very appealing. And the long term plan is to sell it and be done with it. But they have to have a place to move the conventions in the World Series of Poker, and they have one that will probably be done in twenty twenty. So what I might believe is that it can be sold and then either the sale will be for a future date in 2020 or that there will be an agreement that uh, it'll be sold but uh, it will remain in operation until after the World Series of Poker or until the convention center on the Strip opens. Let's go to the more credible maybe, but it's on the New York Post, so <laughs> I mean it's not the Post is also known to put up stories that aren't true, but a little better than these Twitter accounts like Las Vegas locally. Another topic that wasn't on the agenda. Caesar's Entertainment is supposedly for sale 
according to the New York Post. The article, which was posted on the evening of April 10th, I mean, just a few hours ago, says Caesars Entertainment, which owns Harrah's and Bally's Hotel and Casinos, is getting ready to put itself up for sale as soon as this week. The $24 billion company plans to announce within days that its board has approved a sales process amid amid pressure from billionaire investor Kyle Icahn. The move comes as Caesars has finally approved a second potential suitor into its data room to review its financials, sources close to the situation said. Only one other suitor had checked out Caesars' books previously. Billionaire Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Houston Rockets, was recently invited to conduct due diligence using the casino's this casino company's records after his merger off- offer was rebuffed last November. Uh, Caesars has already given El Dorado Resorts, which owns the Tropicana in Atlantic City, access to its financial records. Caesars is valued at $5.6 billion on the NASDAQ stock market, but carries a whopping $18 billion in debt, giving it a valuation of $23.6 billion. That's funny. So it's only valued at $5.6 billion, but it's actually like $24 billion almost because uh, of all the debt it has. We have talked about on the show recently that Carl Icahn had been pushing for a sale, thinking that was the best thing for the company's stock. Basically saying that the existing leadership's incompetent and someone else could run it better, <laughs> which he's probably right. Uh, we also mentioned recently that Carl Icahn got his lackeys on as board members. He currently has three board seats, and he's uh, going to get a fourth board seat soon. If uh, they don't j- name a permanent CEO by April 15th, which is very soon. So he has a lot of power on the board, having even more after April 15th, unless a new CEO is there within a few days. Uh, Icon has also demanded that they cut corporate expenses. They spent $332 million in 2018 for corporate expenses and $202 million in 2017. I don't know why it's such a difference. So we will see. Now, again, there's no buyer yet, but that supposedly they are really going to be for sale, according to this article from The Post. What will this mean for the World Series of Poker? Well, not that much initially unless it gets sold to a large company like MGM. If MGM buys it and then rolls it into their properties, then a lot will change. Because I think though it doesn't have to go this way, that the total rewards program will be rolled into MGM M-Life, that there will be no more total rewards. There will be some conversion of what your status currently is, but uh, everything will operate according to more of the MGM system rather than the Caesar system. And uh, I don't even know if they'll put in their own people to manage the World Series. They may actually get rid of the current World Series of Poker management team. There may be no more Ty Stewart or Jack Effel or Seth Polanski. 
Though I have to think if there's, if there's going to be any replacement there, I think probably Ty Stewart would be the most likely one to be replaced. He's the highest one uh, because Polanski and Ethel are more on the operational side. Then I think it's more likely they would stay, but who knows? They could be replaced too. Uh, but uh, it wouldn't be that different. But but there might be some changes. They wouldn't cease to exist. It's a cash cow. No, they're not going to. Whoever buys it's not going to throw away the World Series. That's a that would be a moronic thing to do. That's it's a very valuable piece of Caesars at this point. So don't worry about the World Series of Poker vanishing. What about your rewards credits? Do you, if you have a lot of rewards credits, should you, should you quickly turn them in in case there's a sale? No, there's there's no way they're going to throw away people's rewards credits. There would be uh, outrage about this. What they would be looking to do, anyone who were to buy Caesars, they, they would want to welcome the existing customers, whether it's a merger with a large company like MGM or whether it's uh, a separate company buying them and just having a different owner. Wh- whatever it is, everything's going to be left in place with the rewards credits, and even if it's merged with another program, there will be some kind of conversion. They're, they're not going to just take away your rewards credits. That would, that's one sure way to drive away their existing customers who will feel cheated. So don't worry about that. But still interesting to see if it'll be sold. One other implication for those who are advantage players or who might have had other issues at other properties, if you're in good standing at Caesars, but a property buys Caesars or an owner buys Caesars who has existing properties where you are banned, you may find yourself banned at Caesars. And that might be a problem. That's why this consolidation is, is... That's one of many reasons why the consolidations are not good for advantage players. There's many other reasons, but that's just one of them. So, If you are banned anywhere, you better hope that wherever you're banned does not buy Caesars, or you may find yourself banned from Caesars. I am banned right now from a certain Vegas casino. I still won't say who it is, but it's not Caesars. And I will say that it's, uh, it is one that could conceivably buy Caesars or merge with them. So it does concern me a little bit. It is possible I could get it overturned, especially because my ban is for basically a non-reason. I don't even understand it, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I definitely don't want that to happen. We will see. Okay, so back to our schedule topics. There's so many topics keep popping up. and This is a pretty heavy schedule tonight because we skipped a week. I moved my... I lost my agenda already. I just say already. I went, I went a number of hours without losing my agenda. You know what else I didn't lose? I, I didn't lose the connection tonight. The radio server didn't crash tonight. It's, it's, I don't understand that. It used to be on Wednesdays all the time. Now it didn't happen. Weird. Not that I'm complaining, but I, I got to figure this out. I got to figure out what's happening here. We still have a few topics left, though. And it's already 2.20 in the morning. It's a very long show. Thank goodness I didn't use my voice the whole time. But I'm, I'm done with playing things. I'm done with playing recordings. 
I want to talk about uh, Bruce Dayfick. I think that's how you say his name. The former owner of Atlantic City's Ocean Resort. That Ocean Resort was the resort that took over in the location of the Revel. The Revel was the amazingly expensive multi-billion dollar failure that sold for basically pennies on the dollar eventually and eventually reopened as Ocean Resort. Ocean Resort was unable to make it with its first ownership even though it was bought for far far cheaper than what the revel cost to build the revel cost i think was like 2.6 billion 2.4 billion to build it was sold just a few years later for 229 million uh, actually it was sold for cheap i think it was sold for like like 80 million and then eventually resold for 229 billion so so bruce dafick Bought it for two twenty nine million and reopened it as Ocean Resort last year. Ocean Resort had lots of problems. It was not run well. It had lots of operational issues. I, I know some people who went there and told me it was a disaster. People were also abusing their status matching program and finding ways to get the top tier card with, <laughs> through like double like through status matching for another property and then going back to Ocean and getting the top card. There are a lot of tricks being done there. Uh, the the place was totally mismanaged and wasn't doing well. So the cash flow was an issue. Even though he got a good deal on the property itself, it still wasn't making money. And pretty soon he noticed he was going to run out of money. Dafik. So he was a real estate developer from Colorado. He was not from New Jersey. And after noticing the thing could not turn a profit, I think part of it is the thing's just so huge that it's it's just expensive operationally, this thing. It's a monster. It's very expensive operationally, and it's laid out very poorly, and it's just very hard to make this thing turn a profit. And people are lured in because they can get the property so cheap compared to what it costs to build, and it's a beautiful property, but it just can't make money. So he he sold the majority stake of Ocean to a company called Luxor, which is not the same as Luxor in Las Vegas. That's actually an MGM property. This is a separate company called Luxor based in New York. He sold the majority of it to them in early 2019. And then Luxor also put another $70 million into the property to open a buffet and some additional suites and rooms. And uh, also just to be used for... Uh, Operational expenses. So they put another $70 million into it. However, Bruce Dafick still had a minority stake in Ocean Resort. He wasn't completely out of it. However, this month, April 2019, he was going to go back to Atlantic City and had to face a hearing with New Jersey Gaming in response to sexual harassment allegations, not against him personally, but that uh, female employees claimed that at the property sexual harassment was going on against them and that uh, nothing was being done about it. So there was some concern that 
Bruce Dafick was going to lose his gaming license, which would have uh, excluded him from being an owner. He would have had to uh, get rid of his stake at that point without a gaming license, even though he wasn't majority owner anymore. So they were going to possibly take away his gaming license over the sexual harassment allegations from the female employees of the property. Again, not against him, but but uh, but uh, that had occurred under his watch. I don't know if these were valid or not. Well, he's not going back to Atlantic City. He's not going to have that hearing. I guess the only good news here is that uh, Bruce Dafick uh, is not going to lose his license and not going to have to go through a sexual harassment hearing. That is because Bruce Dafick has died. Bruce Dafick, 64 years old, did not die of a heart attack, did not die of a stroke, did not die of any health issue. He died in a car crash. He was uh, going back from a Colorado Rockies game. The Rockies have been terrible this year so far. So he was at a Colorado Rockies game. And on the way home, there was a car accident. And Dafick died at the age of 64. Uh, For whatever reason, someone was driving the car who shouldn't have been. Someone who had a lot of health problems. It's it's never a good idea to have someone driving a car who has health issues. It should always be the healthier person driving. In fact, I'm a believer that for long drives, it actually is important if there's a younger person in the car that the younger person drive. I don't mean if someone's 20, someone's 40. I mean, like, if, if there's someone in their 70s in the car and someone who's in their 40s, have the person in their 40s drive because you never know what's going to happen to the person in their 70s. They could have a heart attack. They give a lot of things that are much more likely to happen to someone who's much older than someone who's younger. Even a person in good health who's in their 70s, they're still in their 70s. And they still could, unfortunately, die at any time or, or just go unconscious. It's a lot safer to have the younger person drive. Also, the younger person is going to have better reflexes. There's a lot of reasons to have the younger pe- person drive. So I don't know how old this person was who was driving. And Bruce Dafick's 64, so he's, he's not a youngster himself. But I haven't heard of him having any health problems. And this uh, person who was driving apparently did. And uh, that caused the accident. I think they, they passed out or something. It said that the driver had an apparent medical condition and swerved across two lanes and then crashed into a light pole. And that was that for Bruce Dafick. I don't know if the driver died or not, but Bruce Dafick did die. So that's unfortunate. I feel very bad. What? Oh, no. That's not appropriate. That's not an appropriate sound effect here. He was actually pretty well-liked. I shouldn't play things like... That's not appropriate. Sorry about that. Uh, The Denver police... No, no, I already said that they they released that it was uh, about the driver having a medical condition. The owner of the showboat casino in Atlantic City said it's a terrible tragedy... I knew him as, as a nice man. He put his heart and wallet into Atlantic City. It's a sad time. That sucks. It sucks to die 
in a car crash when you're not even the driver and it's not your fault, like that's the worst. If if you caused it yourself, if you know if you were drunk or you just were careless or whatever and you get in a fatal accident, that obviously sucks too, but at least it was your own doing. When when it's someone hits you through no fault of your own or when someone else is driving and has an accident, then that's that's the worst. Now, the, the police said the person dry, who was driving had an apparent medical condition, but maybe they mean that they had a medical incident, not a condition. A condition makes it sound like that they had an existing problem, in which case they shouldn't have been driving. Maybe what they mean is that they had like a heart attack out of nowhere. So if someone otherwise is healthy, like let's say he had a, a 50-year-old driver who had no known medical issues, and the guy just has a heart attack and dies, and that just sucks. You know, that's just the way it can happen. Um. That's actually what happened to my elementary school principal, by the way. When I, I was, uh, I, I, I wasn't in the school anymore. I think my brother was at that point. But um, he was like in his early 50s, and he just abruptly had a heart attack when driving and died. I don't know if he died from the resulting accident or if the heart attack killed him, but uh, he wasn't known to have heart problems. He just had a heart attack and died. I wasn't very sad about it because the guy was a total jerk, but... Uh, <laughs> That's what happened. Um, I remember I went to a radio survey for a station I listened to all the time. I only went because I really liked the station. It was a sports talk station in L.A. And the program director who put on the survey, he was 49 years old, looked very fit and healthy. Um, About two months after I did the survey there, he was driving to Vegas. And... He had a heart attack and just died on the way there. They found his car on the side of the road and he was just dead of a heart attack. Just driving on the way to Vegas, driving the 15 north and just somewhere in the desert. Has a heart attack and dies right there on the side of the road in his car. Not someone you'd picture to die that way either. He looked very healthy. He was only 49. So, uh, I don't know, maybe... Maybe this wasn't something they could have predicted. But if it was someone who was known to have heart issues or other kind of major medical issues that could have made this more likely, then that person shouldn't have been driving. I've mentioned before on this show, I almost had an accident like that, not my fault, but uh, where someone made an unprotected left turn and was going to have a head-on collision with me because they didn't see me coming. Totally their fault, but that wouldn't have mattered if I was dead. And I had super fast reflexes and moved out of the way, and then I was headed for a light pole. When I read about the light pole that they hit here, it reminds me of of mine, because I was headed straight for a light pole after avoiding that person, and I slammed on the brakes, and I my car came to rest, I'm not kidding, six inches from the light pole. So after all that, like nothing got hit. There was no damage. <laughs> First, I, I missed the car by what a witness on the sidewalk described as inches. It looked like the cars went through each other. And then I stopped six inches from the light pole. Talk about running well. I mean, and I was in a crappy old 1976 Honda Civic. I mean, that that, that whole thing would have crushed. I probably would have been dead. Had no airbag. I would have been dead or like severely injured. There's a girl in the car with me too. She probably would have been even worse off because the passenger usually gets it worse. 
but uh, I, I could have been dead at age 20. That was real lucky. Lucky and, and also I, I did a good job avoiding it. But I see that light pole thing. Like what happened here was the person swerved and they slammed into the light pole. That, that's what ended up uh, killing Bruce Dafick. So I would have slammed into that light pole. Now, yes, if, if, if the six inches, you know, if I had hit it, at a, obviously I came to a stop six inches. So if I, if I lightly hit it at the end, then nothing would have happened. But, uh, you know, let's take a few more feet. Then I would have hit it pretty hard. So I I don't know. I don't think it's going to affect Ocean much because the majority owner is not him now. All right. Let's see what else we got here. In case somebody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text the number. Um, nothing really worth reading here. All right, let's get back to the agenda to get this show done. Sorry, two thirty-five a.m. I think what I'm going to do, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. And we got three topics left. Not long topics, but three topics. So I feel like it's going to be a little bit till the show's over. I think what I'm going to do is play the Eric Benzamokin ad. Take my usual little two and a half minute break. Get back just on time, as I always do. And then we'll finish the last three topics here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. 
If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, let's move on here. Next topic is the Pac-Man Jones cheating, which you may say, wait a minute, we covered that already. That was a recent topic. But I've got a little bit more of an update, and I'm going to play you a news story about uh, the video that they had him. They actually, There's a video they have of him actually cheating that was released, which you can find on the Casino and Las Vegas forum of Poker Fraud Alert. And then you'll hear about the consequences he eventually faced for what he did. Former Bengals player Adam Pacman Jones is arrested. Good evening, I'm Rob Williams. And I'm Sharice Gibson and Patricia. Jones appeared in court today. Stefano D.P. Trantonio is live with that new video. Hey there, Sharice and Rob. And let me tell you, this video is pretty gripping. And we have several different parts of this video to show you, starting at the gaming table where Pac-Man Jones was initially caught cheating. You actually see in the video about 20 seconds in where his hand will drop an extra chip on the table. Then there's a really long stretch of video where you'll see the police are trying to arrest him and then taking him all the way through the casino back into a room where they try to calm him down, but Pac-Man will not be placated. So take a look right here. We've got his brand new mugshot for you. He's already in jail right now. Take a look at some of the scuffles he had with the gaming agents. Lock me up! Let's go! Former Cincinnati Bengals player Adam Pacman Jones accused of several felonies and misdemeanors in a February incident at Rising Star Casino Resort in Rising Sun, Indiana. He's in jail tonight. He reported right after the guilty plea. According to the Indiana Gaming Commission, they were called to investigate a patron for possible cheating at a game table. As you can tell from the video, it was already apparent that he was aware that he had the winning hand. 20 seconds into the videos we obtained, you see Jones drops an extra chip as the dealer reveals the cards. It's called bet capping, and it's illegal. Yeah, so they actually showed the video here, and what he did, it's very stupid, too. Um, it wasn't 100% he was going to win, but it was likely he was going to win. He saw he had a 20, and... Uh, so, as he turned the this is what was known as a pitch game where they pitch you the they, they deal you the cards face down and then you pick them up with one hand and then you uh, look at them and then you you either put them just back face down if you want to stand or you can even turn a face up I guess if you want. Uh, he chose to turn them up, but as he was moving his cards back to where they were so he could turn them up and show he had the 20. The dealer's showing a 6. So he had a 20 against a 6. He figured his chances were very good. So as he was moving his cards, he just dropped a chip 
into the betting area, which is stupid because it wasn't even on top of his existing stack. It was just kind of uh, on the other side of the betting circle. So like, it wouldn't even make sense that the bet would look like that if it was made originally. So he, he purposely dropped the chip in there. And it wasn't an accident. He purposely dropped a chip in surreptitiously as he was uh, moving his hand over to turn over to show the 20. He ended up winning the hand. And so that's uh, that's what they just showed there. We had never seen that video before. Take your hands off me because my hands hurt. Jones police say... That's him saying, take, take your hands off me because my hands hurt. Came verbally... Com- take your handcuffs off me because my hands hurt. ...combative once he was confronted. Seen here giving gaming commission agents the middle finger, then being disorderly. What, what did I do? Who face I got to? Even cuffed in the elevator, Jones appears to resist the arresting officers. Let me go. Let me go. Stop, He's also accused of threatening to kill an Indiana Gaming Commission officer and striking or grabbing a public safety official, among other allegations. But in Jones' plea deal, he agreed to plead guilty to cheating at gambling, which is... Now, now, these videos you can't see from the radio, obviously, but you see several things. You watch this video where he's jerking his body away, making kind of threatening motions towards the officers of the gaming agents there, flipping them off, just being very aggressive in the elevator. He's jerking his body away from them. And you can see being very difficult and trying to be physically intimidating. Is a felony and resisting law enforcement, which is a misdemeanor. The sentence was 545 days, I believe with 531 days suspended. Yeah, so so that sounds good, 545 days. Okay, he gets over a year in prison for, for the cheating and the resisting arrest, and apparently even threatened to kill a gaming officer. Uh, you think all that would get you more than a year in prison, right? But then she said 531 days suspended. Hmm. So in essence, it's a two-week jail sentence, but in Indiana... Because it's a level six felony for every day he serves, he gets two days credit. So he's actually going to do one full week of jail. Jones's felony. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? So he cheated. He was caught on video cheating at Blackjack. Uh, got aggressive with gaming agents, flipped them off, threatened one, threatened to kill one of them, resisted arrest the entire way was aggressive constantly with officers physically. All that. One week in jail. Isn't it great to be rich and famous? Isn't it great how easy you get off? Action could be lowered to a misdemeanor if he gets through his probation without any further incidents. He's taken acceptance as to what occurred, and we'll take it. All right, so Jones last played for the Denver Broncos. The Bengals declined to pick him up for $5.5 million. The contract option was a couple of years ago. He'll be in the Dearborn County lockup till about midweek next week. Stefano DiPietro Antonio, Fox 19 Now. Steph, thank you very much. Right now, Okay. Can you believe that? That's, that's an incredible slap on the wrist there. An incredible slap on the wrist. The rest of us, if we were caught doing all that on video... There's no way we'd only get a week in jail. Cheating, threatening a gaming officer to kill him, resisting arrest, and you get a week? You get a week? And he has previous incidents, too. I'm like, this is not his first thing. This is not the, the first time he, he's ever had problems with the law. So, yet another celebrity getting off light for their crimes.
I was sure he'd get more than that. It's a week in prison. He gets 545 days in prison. You go, okay, that's not bad. Everybody actually serves a week. <laughs> what kind of justice is that? Wow. So that's the end of the Pac-Man saga. For now, I'm sure he'll get in trouble again. Someone else who was in court that we know, we didn't really know Pac-Man, but someone we do know, Mike Dentali was in court. Not criminal court, not even civil court, but he was at the People's Court. Uh. Mike Dentali is not a professional poker player. Mike Dentali is a business owner who plays poker recreationally. He actually owns a window company. And his company was hired to replace 500 windows in a co-op building. So one of the tenants um, claimed that he did not finish the window. That he didn't finish the caulking around uh, the bathroom window there. And this actually went to the people's court. The judge, Marilyn Millian, agreed with the plaintiff and ruled that Dentali had to pay a whopping $350 for the incomplete job. The way these end up on the people's court, by the way, is that they scour court cases that are filed in small claims court, and they try to pick the most interesting ones that they think would make good TV, and then they offer both people to come on the show with the agreement that no one will actually have to pay any losses. So uh, you may think, well, what does... uh, what does the plaintiff get out of it? First of all, they get they each get some kind of like five hundred dollars fund or something like that. They get they get a small amount of money for appearing in the first place, and second, uh, they're they're always guaranteed the the defendant is guaranteed that whatever they lose, the the show will pay, and the plaintiff is guaranteed that they will get paid. They don't they won't have to collect. I don't know why Mike went on this. I think he just likes attention. He definitely didn't need the $350. I don't know how much the lawsuit was for, but he, he has enough money to where whatever they were offering to cover was not going to be. He was the defendant, so I, I don't think that was the motivation. I think he just likes attention. As you've seen, he's not a stranger to controversy. So he lost, but when someone brought this up on Twitter, he responded with his own explanation. He said... You got the story wrong. My company replaced 500 windows in this co-op three years, and three years later, this nut job was complaining about the, the, the caulk around her bathroom window that wasn't renovated in 50 years. My guys didn't even want to go into the apartment because of the cobwebs. Um, I, I think he's, what he's trying to say here is that uh, the place was in such bad condition that the workers didn't even want to go in there. It's hard to believe the cobwebs are so bad that these guys who install windows for a living were afraid to go in. Like, what were they afraid of? A ghost was going to come out? <laughs> well, well, I mean, cobwebs, they're unpleasant, but it's not like there were live snakes living there uh, uncaged. Like, they're cobwebs, so what? So I, 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 I think that's what he's trying to say that his employees wouldn't go in because the that particular apartment was in such bad shape that they didn't want to go in there at all. 
I I don't even know if that's true. It's possible that the, the apartment was unpleasant because it was in bad shape and they just rushed through the job and didn't do it right. That's probably more likely to me. But that's Mike's story. This was on the the 22nd season episode of The People's Court, number 101. So if you're going to try to look for that online in some way, that episode, look for season 22, episode 101. I looked for it, and it was on YouTube, but it was then deleted from YouTube before I could get to it. So I could not find a copy online, but possibly by the time you listen, it may be online in some way. So if you do want to look for it, that's episode... 101 in season 22 and you'll see Mike Dentali defending this accusation against him that they didn't do the caulking properly. I, it doesn't really sound like a very interesting case. I'm actually surprised they picked it. They like roommate versus roommate cases. They, they, like, they like that sort of thing where there's some especially if it has some kind of salacious allegation. They, they like anything that'll make interesting TV, you know, battles between friends um, anything that's really attention grabbing, they they don't tend to like boring stuff like a a person suing their landlord because their security deposit was withheld when they moved out. That usually doesn't make the show because it's pretty boring. Uh, they usually like things that the viewer can relate to in some way and enjoy. Also, they like lawsuits where there was some kind of real damage to property of the plaintiffs, like, you know, some kind of plumbing thing where there was some kind of major pipe explosion after bad plumbing work that, that ruined a room, and then they can show pictures of the room that got ruined. They, they like things like that. But just kind of in mundane cases they don't seem to like. I would think that uh, caulking on a bathroom window not being done right would not be a very good case for the people's court, but somehow they uh, they thought it was. And it can't be based upon Dentali's personality because they, unless the person recognized his name from poker, which probably isn't that likely, they, they wouldn't have known his personality just from looking at the court filings. Last topic. Sports better James Holzhauer has become very, very successful on Jeopardy. You may remember Alex Jacob went on Jeopardy and did very well. He was a poker player. By the way, apparently Alex Jacob still plays. He's just not doing very well these days. He's not a professional poker player now, but he he does still play poker, and he just isn't really doing very much, which surprised me. I thought he just quit poker. He used to be very successful. And... Going and looking at his Hendon mob, he has two small caches since the middle of 2016. But he's played a lot. He's been at the World Series of Poker every summer. He did cash, kind of like a min cash at the Monster Stack in June 2018. I think he did. He may have quit poker for a while, but I know he's been coming back in the last few years at least. 
he hasn't had a score in poker above uh, $31,000 in the 2010s. But anyway, getting back to James Holzhauer. He appeared on Jeopardy and he ended up setting a single day record on Jeopardy. He he's from Las Vegas. He's a sports better, a professional sports better. He won uh, $110,914 on a single episode of Jeopardy. Including over 38,000 on Final Jeopardy, where the answer was, what is Quantum Leap? Which is the TV show. He bet a weird amount of money on the Final Jeopardy of 38314 because he wanted to finish with exactly 110914 because his daughter was born on November 9th, 2014. So he wanted 110914. So that's what he was trying to do, and he was successful at it. He actually wrote under what is Quantum Leap, knowing that he knew the answer. You know, he knew he'd get it right. He knew he'd finish with that amount. He wrote, what is Quantum Leap? Happy birthday, Booger, I guess is his nickname for her. He put a little heart. Uh, in the four days he was on Jeopardy, he won two hundred forty-four thousand three sixty-five. But the big thing was the one hundred ten thousand nine fourteen on that one day. The single-day record was set by a man named Roger Craig. Not the same one from baseball, but Roger Craig won seventy-seven thousand in two thousand ten. Alex Jacob, despite the success he had, did not have the single-day record, but he did win the Tournament of Champions for 250000 later on. Uh, James Holzhauer has also been on other game shows. He was on The Chase back in 2014 and was called one of the toughest competitors in the show's history. His wife, his name is Melissa Sasson, is also someone who's been on game shows. She won 28 thousand eight hundred dollars on who wants to be a millionaire back in 2012 and by the way that that version of who wants to be a millionaire in 2012 that was the lesser version where it's a lot harder to win the million dollars when it was on abc every night for like four nights a week in the year 2000 uh there it was easier to win the, win the bigger money Twenty eight thousand then was nothing but uh they, they made the show a lot harder to win in syndication because they couldn't afford to give away that much money in syndication you may wonder you know, how is that? How is it that two, how is that a married couple? They're both on game shows and both doing well in game shows. How, how does that happen? I think there's a decent chance they met that way. They may have met either trying out for a game show or on a game show. They may have met in some sort of trivia circle. I know that uh, Alex Jacob does that. He does. He take he does a trivia contest recreationally. So that may have been where James Holzhauer met his wife and uh 
that would explain why they both have an interest in this. And it makes sense. You know, people who are really into trivia and very knowledgeable in trivia would be good at game shows, especially Jeopardy, but, but even some others. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire would be another one where you'd be good to know if you knew trivia. So now James Holzhauer is not only the all-time single-day Jeopardy champion, but uh, he's also now the best gambler to have played that game. And Alex Jacob falls to second-best gambler at Jeopardy. I thought he'd always hold the title of best gambler at Jeopardy. Because, yeah, there were guys like uh, Ken Jennings who won like 74 straight episodes at Jeopardy, but he wasn't a gambler. He was just some guy from Utah. So James Holzhauer has uh, stolen a bit of the spotlight from Alex Jacob. I'd like to know what kind of sports betting he does. I always wonder what the professional sports gamblers, what their deal really is. Like, are they really winning in that? Do they just like to say they are? What type of things are they betting on? Um, Are they betting on traditional type of picks, just picks on money lines and sides, or, or are they uh, doing this through shenanigans with uh, prop bets and stuff like that, where you can sometimes get a big edge, but it's hard to get money down. So I'd love to know the answer to that. I, I've seen us in sports betting forums, people were asking, like, who is this, and do we know him, and you know, is he part of the sports betting community online, but I haven't really seen an answer to that. Before we shut the show down, I think there's a question from a listener that was uh, posted on the forum. And... Let me see if I can find it. There's a question posted on the forum. Yeah, this is from Dice Pops, who's a listener to this show and uh, also invests in my World Series the last few years. So even though I'm kind of worn out at this point from the long show, which has now been over six hours, our longest one for quite some time. And even though he posted this in the wrong forum, so I'm going to move it to the right forum, I'm going to read his question and give you the answer. He asked, he said, didn't you say on a radio show that Nevada gaming ruled that earned players benefits belong to the player forever? I love my player points and comp dollars. When I asked at a club desk, she said the points expire every January and comp dollars expire one year after earned. I said, I thought that, the Nevada gaming ruled in a player's favor and she's quoted their club rules. Any help? Well, I didn't say that. Uh, what I said is that if they ban you, you have a right to get the club points cashed out. And the reason for that is so properties can't be incentivized to ban you in order to avoid paying you the club points you've earned. So let's say you've earned five thousand dollars worth of club points and they know and then let's say you're broke. Let's say you've lost all your money gambling and you reveal to them you're broke and you're probably never coming back. But you in the t- 
time of losing all your money gambling, you did earn about $5,000 worth of club points. So then the casino says, aha, well, he's never coming back anyway, so let's just ban him, and then we don't have to pay the club points. So in order to prevent that from happening, they require that club points are cashed out if the player is banned from the property. However, if the player voluntarily does not return to the property and the points expire, then you cannot take action. Because you had every opportunity to go back there and you just chose not to. So yes, you should always be aware of when your club points expire. And you should also try to see if there are ways to prevent it from expiring, even if you're not going to be at the casino. For example, at Caesars and MGM properties, if you get their credit cards, for every point, for every dollar you charge on their credit cards, that will give you a point at their club. And what that does is it resets the clock. So let's look at Caesars. Caesars actually kills your RCs after six months of inactivity. And it's very easy to go six months without going to a casino. Unless you go to them a lot, you can easily go through a stretch where you don't go for six months and your points will expire. So a way to prevent that, get the total rewards credit card. It has no fee. Every once in a while, charge a dollar on it. (laughs) Charge a few dollars. When you charge some very small thing on it, pay it off immediately, and then you'll earn a few RCs, and that'll start the clock over again for six months. So do that every six months. You won't have to ever set foot in the casino and your your points will, will stay. So that's something you can do both at Caesars and MGM. And maybe some other properties that have credit cards. And you, you should also check, you know, do they have other ways? You can even ask them at the rewards desk, are there any ways I can earn points off property? Such as through partners or anything else. And then your points will stay. So it's something you should be aware of, and you should never let your points expire unless there's very few of them and it's not worth going through the hassles. Let's say you have $2 worth of points, you shouldn't knock yourself out to keep them. If you have $2,000 worth of points, you should. I still have a lot of RCs at Caesars, and I'm careful not to let them go. Now, I'm usually there enough to where that's not a concern, but I have had it where there's been a period I haven't been there for almost six months. And I've had to use the credit card just to play it safe. Even if I know I'm coming, I'm like, you know, what if I cancel the trip? You know what? I'll just use the credit card for a dollar. And I do it and it resets the clock. But yeah, you don't have uh, a right to the return of comp points. Now, are you totally screwed if you lose your comp points? Usually, but not always. If you have a good history in the casino... You can go to a host, and sometimes they can get them reinstated. For example, I know somebody who was a good customer, dropped a lot of money in the casino. Not a huge whale, but someone who regularly went there and lost money. Who had uh, a major health issue come up. Needed major surgery. Major enough to where it's possible they weren't going to make it through. They did make it. But uh, there was no way they could make a trip to Vegas. By the time they discovered they needed this surgery, there's no way they would be able to be recovered enough to make that trip to Vegas in time for the six months to have not passed. So this person contacted their host and said, what, what do I do? I don't want to lose all my IRCs, but I, I can't come back to Vegas. I'm about to go into a major surgery. I have a recovery period. I'm just not going to be able to come for a few more months. 
and the host was able to stave that off. Now, this is actually before it expired. But, uh, you know, the hosts have some power there because they just have to go to their boss and say, hey, look, this person's a a regular who comes here and loses money, and uh, they don't want to lose this, and they've got a health condition. Just, you know, let's just, you know, uh, add one, one reward credit to his account to reset the clock for another six months. And the boss would probably say fine. Uh, if they've already expired, I think it's a little bit harder, but you know, they can always add points back. Uh, Nevada Gaming actually does have a lot of rules regarding messing with your Players Club account. Like, they can't add play on there that doesn't... like that. I, I actually had this come up where, where they gave me the wrong person's card and I ran the play on that other person's card by the time I realized it. And I said, well, can you transfer it over? No, we can't do that. It's against the law. And they're, they're right. You actually, like, they can't remove play from a card, even if it was from the wrong person. They can't uh, put play on your card that they're not 100% sure existed. Um, there's a lot of things they can't do. They can't just take someone as, they, can, they can't just, uh, arbitrarily take someone's points. Sometimes they've tried, but you, you can actually make a gaming complaint about that. There's certain r- laws that uh, forbid these things, but as far as expiration of points, as long as this is clearly stated in the club rules, and as long as they follow those rules, then they have a right to do it. I lost $200 worth of points. This is not my fault. There's no way to know it was coming. But the Bellagio made an abrupt change, which I feel should have been illegal. But they made an abrupt change to their poker points to where anything you've earned more than a year prior just goes away. And they just abruptly changed it one day. From It went from just your points never expire to anything earned more than a year ago is just gone. That actually might not have been legal. But I, I never made the complaint about it. It is possible they did have a year expiration thing, but there's no. The, the worst thing with the Bellagio is there. There's not even a, a renewal of the clock. It's just a constant rolling year. That any point you've earned for more than a year ago, it's just gone always. So like today at the Bellagio, all your points you would have at the, from the poker room will have been earned between. April 12th, 2018, and today, April 11th, 2019. Anything earned before April 12th, 2018 is gone. Doesn't matter how regularly you play there. It's gone. Anything before then is gone. That's why anything you earned like a, like a year ago, like close to a year ago, you better spend it because it's going to be gone. In fact, I should have asked them that. I actually did spend some when I was just there. But I, I should have asked them if I had some points that were about to expire. Hopefully I spent it all, but I, I may have left a little on the table. I didn't even think of that. I spent like $18, but I was there like about it exactly a year beforehand. And provided I played more than $18 worth, like I think just nine hours, then I, I may have uh, those maybe falling off. Which is annoying. Well, too late now. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, we're going to be back a week from today, probably. There's a chance I can't make it. I'm going to warn you of that, but probably a week from today. Check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter, which is poker, twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for the update regarding our next show. There's been some questions. Do I have any pieces left for the World Series of Poker? The answer is yes, but it's going fast and we're going to be sold out pretty soon. So if you want to buy pieces of me for the World Series of Poker, I'm going to update the thread tonight. I haven't updated the recent purchases. Uh, but the especially package number one, which is the smaller events, it's going to be gone very soon. The uh, the package two, that's still available, but that's uh, also getting bought up qu- pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't feel like taking a call now. Sorry, too late. I get to hear this lovely sound. I don't even know what this is. Hear that in the background? It's something Skype does when you deny a call, and there's no way to turn it off. I don't understand what it is. Why? Like, why should they do this when you deny a call? Look at this. And what's weird is it makes... It's actually making... The browser do that. It's not even... Skype doing it. It's Skype making the browser make that sound. According to my sound mixer. Oh wait, hold on. I got something I want to talk about. Hold on here. Hold on. Gotta turn off this music. Where is the music? It's in some window I can't even find. Stop! See, this, this stupid Skype confused me with everything. I can't, I can't find it. I can't find where I started this song. I have a million windows open. Oh, here we are. Here we are. I can't believe I forgot to mention this. I, I pulled a great prank for April Fool's. A great prank. Um, so it was March 31st, and... What I was thinking was, I haven't done a good April Fool's prank in a while. And I I had done them more last decade. Not on Poker Fraud Alert, it didn't exist yet. But on Neverwin Poker, there were two consecutive April Fool's pranks, which worked pretty well and fooled a lot of people. In 2006... As I was in the midst of a slump online, I was in a downswing that people saw in PokerStars, I decided to play that up and make it seem like I was Busto. And I wrote a very heartfelt-looking, long post about how all my money was gone and how it just kind of disappeared without me even realizing it. And it was very realistic about how I thought things have to turn around and, come on, I can't lose for this long and... You know, I've just got to keep going through it and, you know, I can't step down or I'll never get back to where I was. Like, like really the thinking that a lot of poker players have had before they really do go broke. And I, I, I put all that out there and saying I couldn't believe this happened to me. I never thought I'd let this happen. And this was not too long after I won my bracelet. I won my bracelet in July of 2005. This was being posted in uh, on, for April Fool's of 2006, so less than a year later. And people believed it. 
people believed it. It looked like a very heartfelt, honest message. What I did was I didn't post it on April 1st. Because by the time people – I mean, if you do it right at midnight, then it's okay. But you can't post an April Fool's prank at like noon on April 1st because by then people have seen so many different April Fool's jokes and references that they're they're on guard for it. So the only way to get these by is to post them either right as April 1st starts at midnight or to even get creative and post it on March 31st where it's April 1st somewhere. You've heard the the phrase, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Well, in my opinion, if it's April 1st somewhere, especially on the internet where people can read things globally, then it's still April 1st. So so I posted it like April 1st London time at like 4 p.m. Pacific time. This is in 2006. And people bought it. There, no one was thinking that, especially because it was March thirty first. And uh, then eventually, someone brought up, "What was? Is this possibly an April, uh, an early April Fool's prank?" And then finally, I revealed, "Yes, it was." But uh, I had people going. People really believed it. Well, I decided to outdo myself the next year, two thousand seven. I decided that I was going to pretend that I had a daughter, a long-lost daughter that I had recently become aware of. So here was the backstory. None of this was based on truth, but here was the backstory. That the year prior, in 2006, that a woman that I had had sex with in 1994, that I met from a party line from the small town of Tehachapi, California, that we had a one-night stand when I was 22, and that that produced a child. But that I had changed my phone number shortly after that one-night stand, not related to her, but that I had just changed my number, and she didn't know how to reach me, and she didn't even know my full name, so she had no way to get a hold of me or find me to let me know that there was a child she was carrying of mine. Again, this is all fictitious. It all never happened. But this is the backstory I posted. So I posted that in 2006, which was the year prior at the time, after seeing coverage of my bracelet win in 2005, that she realized who I was, that she recognized me and said, crap, that's the same guy. And, you know, Todd, he looks, he looks similar, but 10 years older, it's got to be him. So she realized who I was, and then the following year, 2006, she got a hold of me, and told me that uh, she wants money for the back child support. And that I had thought about what to do about this. So I finally decided that, uh, so I told her that what I would do is that I would give her the back child support, but only if I could see the child regularly. And that also I'd want a DNA test before I gave any money. So that I went and took the DNA test, it proved that the girl was mine, and uh, then I paid her the back child support and the child support going forward, and then I tried to develop a relationship with my daughter, who was now 11 years old. Then fast forward to 2007, when I was playing this prank, I said that the reason I'm telling everybody about this now, and again, I, I think I did this at like 9 p.m. March 31st, Pacific Time. I said, the reason I'm telling you guys this now is because a very short time after that, the mother was arrested back in 2006 
and she was going to be in jail for a long time. She was arrested for credit card fraud and that the girl had to come live with me full time in Las Vegas and that she's been with me since uh, the fall in Las Vegas and that I'm tired of hiding it. That it's been about six months. I'm tired of hiding it. And, uh, oh, I know what it was. No, 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 I'm sorry. I, I changed the story a little bit. It was that, it was that now the mother's about to go to jail. And what I had mentioned was that, uh, um, you know what? This must have been, this, this must have not been in 2007. This must have been in 2008. Because there's a part of the story from 2007 I was telling. I think in 2007 I probably didn't do anything. In 2008 I did this. Because I talked about how the previous summer in 2007 that people might have seen a 12-year-old girl that was surrounding a table that was down to one table that just needed one more bust with 10 people left to go down to nine to be a TV final table and that there was a 12-year-old girl who looked like she didn't belong there surrounding the table. And I said, if you, if you were there and saw that 12-year-old girl and wondered what she was doing there, that was actually my daughter that she was staying with me at the time. And the funny thing was never when came forward, he's like, yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing a girl there like it was like about 12 and what the fuck is she doing here? And why well, that makes sense. He totally bought into it. He wasn't in on this. He didn't know. He actually bought it and went out there and confirmed it. That and he, he admitted later that I must have just invented this memory for him because this never really happened. There was no 12-year-old there. There wasn't. I, mean, <laughs> I made the whole thing up. But I just said it with authority, like it was true, and said, hey, anyone who was there would remember this, and it that sounds very credible. So, so there was no 12-year-old there, but that made it look even more credible. And, and the current story was that the mother was now about to go to jail for the credit card fraud, and that she was about to come live with me full-time. And that I'm not going to hide it anymore. Now she's with me full-time. Now it's time to tell everybody. And that I feel kind of bad for hiding her. I just felt it was nobody's business. But now I'm, I'm just coming forward and telling everybody, yes, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's going to live with me full-time. And that uh, in the past several months, I've gotten to know her. We have a very close relationship now. And that uh, I'm very happy I have her. All fictitious. There is no long-lost daughter. But people bought it. People bought it. People believed it. And I started getting messages of congratulations. And, and this one, I did, again, I did only like a few hours before April 1st. So it, it was a lot closer to April Fool's specific. And in fact, it already was April Fool's in, in, in uh, part of the country. But it was so well executed that nobody questioned it. And then I think a few people started saying, wait, could this be April Fool's? And then you know, most people said, no, we think it's real. Well, I wasn't ready to give up yet. We were doing radio shortly after that. So I said, we need to do a segment with the supposed mother of this girl on there arguing with me. So we decided to do something where she had been emailing me demanding more money and that I was going to call her up on the radio and confront her about this. So we did. But who did we call? Since the, the mother isn't real, the girl isn't real, who did we call? Well, we called a member of the forum who went by Miss Idaho. 
who I'm still friends with, by the way. In fact, uh, Miss Idaho actually, uh, she, along with her husband, buy a piece of me every year at the World Series still, including 2019. But she played the part of the mother, and she was perfect for it because she sounded about the right age, because she was the right age. Her voice was not known. She was known on the forum, but people didn't know her voice. So she was perfect for it. She did a great job playing the role, too. <laughs> so, so we had our fake argument on the radio, and at the very, very end of the phone call, she said, congratulations, NWP, you've been rolled. And that's when everybody knew it was fake. And then I told everybody, I confessed the whole thing, that it was all made up. So that was my last significant April Fool's joke. And after that, I, I made a few half-hearted attempts uh, of like just like a post of, where I'm saying something that seems crazy. And then it turns out people go, oh, April Fool's. Like they, they, they catch on to it real fast. Oh, nice try. So it had been a long time, I guess 11 years, since I last put any kind of effort into something that would be believable. But I wanted to do something this year, and then at the time kind of got away from me, and I didn't really come up with anything. And I was watching TV on the night of the 31st, probably at about 10.30 p.m., and I said to Benjamin's mom, crap, I was going to do an April Fool's thing, and I forgot. I go, well, I guess there's still time, but I've got to get it done fast because I can't have it show up much later than than midnight, or otherwise people are going to look at the date and know. So after the show was over, I rushed downstairs and uh, thought about what can I do? What kind of prank can I pull? And I came up with something. I said, what if Poker Fraud Alert got seized by the FBI? And what if that seizure was because of some form of illegal gambling that was taking place there? Now, there isn't any illegal gambling taking place on Poker Fraud Alert. But what if there was behind the scenes that people didn't know about? Well, people have seen me posting a lot on the site about sports betting. Now, I'm not a bookie. I don't book bets. I I make bets with uh, offshore services, which uh, those services are not legal, but I'm not breaking the law betting. But people don't know what goes on behind the scenes. For all they know, maybe I am booking bets. For all they know, uh, maybe there is some shady sports betting site stuff going on secretly on the site. So since they can tell I have an interest in sports betting, what if I could use that to make people believe Poker Fraud Alert was seized? So at about 11.50 or so p.m., right before midnight, I turned the Poker Fraud Alert front page, where if you went to Poker Fraud Alert or the Poker Fraud Alert forum main page, that if you went there, you would see the notice from the FBI and Department of Justice that the site has been seized and that it's for illegal gambling. And I was hoping people would believe it. Where did I get this notice? Well, I just copied what was on full tilt. (laughs) I copied what they put up on full tilt back in 2011. It didn't even mention full tilt by name, so I thought it was perfect. Well, it wasn't perfect because what I took was 
a screenshot of it. Remember, I, I can't go back in time and take that screenshot. So I took someone's screenshot of it and made that the what would appear on Poker Fraud Alert. And it wasn't totally clear. It looked a little bit like a screenshot. It also didn't mention anything about the site. But then again, neither did the real one for Full Tilt. Now, I did make it so if anybody clicked on it, it would then take them to the real Poker Fraud Alert forum and it would be operating normally. But uh, if anyone attempted to go to Poker Fraud Alert, any existing URL on Poker Fraud Alert, it would go to that page. So I, I unleashed it, and sure enough, people were falling for it. The Hansen kid, Bart Hansen, even tweeted about it, saying, what is this? So I let Hansen know that uh, this was an April Fool's joke. Part of it, I didn't want him to go run to Calwatt and tell him what he was going to and then make Calwatt worried for me. So I, I told the Hansen kid that it was an April Fool's joke. And he said, oh, well, yeah, I kind of already just realized that because when I looked at it again, I noticed it was it kind of wasn't that clear. It looked like it was a screenshot from something. I go, crap. So I said, okay, well, thanks for the tip. I'm going to go fix that. So I quickly went and redid it and made my own version. Instead of taking a, the screenshot of the full tilt one, I made my own similar version, which in fact mentioned my name. And uh, let me see, I'll read it to you. So this domain name has been seized by the FBI pursuant to an arrest warrant in REM for Todd Wattellis obtained by the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and issued by the United, United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. Conducting, financing, managing, supervising, directing, or owning all or part of an illegal gambling business is a federal crime, 18 U.S.C. 1955. For persons engaged in the business of betting or wagering, it is also a federal crime to knowingly accept in connection with the participation of another person in unlawful internet gambling credit electronic fund transfers or checks 31 usc 5363 or 5366 violations of these laws carry criminal penalties of up to five years imprisonment and a fine of up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. properties including domain names used in violation of the provisions of 18 usc 1955 or involving money laundering transactions are subject to forfeiture to the united states so this looked very much like the notices that were up on sites like full tilt with the same font and everything, except it was this one was created and written by me, with my name up there. So people believed it. I got a call from Brandon with PLOL on Three Way. I didn't know that. I didn't know he had a guy secretly on Three Way, but whatever. He called up with PLOL on Three Way, just sitting quietly, and he asked, uh, "Is everything okay?" And at first I was going to say, no, Brandon, it's an April Fool's joke. Don't worry about it. But I go, you know, i got to put him through a little bit here. So I said in what I tried to make a nervous-sounding, quiet voice, I said, um, no, it's, it's, it's actually not. Um, um, I, I can't talk that much right now. There's, there's some people here right now, and it's about this. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's an April Fool's. <laughs> And he goes, ah, shit. Okay, you got me. Well played. They hung up on me. But I, I even fooled him for a second there with my reaction. And a lot of people 
who are smart and skeptical, typically, admitted that this fooled them. Seriously Serious told me that for a little time that he was totally fooled by it and totally believed it was real. Um, Crow Diddley, Willie McFML, um, various other forum regulars revealed that, yeah, they, they thought it was real at first, that they, after they really cons- thought about it, I think China Maniac, I, like all these guys, they they believed it at first, and then they thought about it some more, realized it was April 1st, and go, oh, okay. But all of them were initially fooled. All of them saw this and got the shock of believing that the domain was seized and I was arrested or about to be arrested. Now, again, if you clicked on it, anywhere on it, it would take you to the correct Poker Fraud Alert forum. But it didn't look like there was a place to click. It just looked like a notice that the domain was seized. It's not like it said click here. It just, it just was clickable and it wasn't apparent it was clickable. People eventually figured it out because they got through to the forum that day. But <laughs> it was a good one. People, you know, people responded on the forum afterwards and said, yeah, this is a good one. This got me. I usually don't fall for these. This is one of the better April Fool's pranks I've seen. This, this got good reviews from a normally skeptical user base and critical user base. They, they applauded me for this one, saying that it, uh, it was realistic, it was well-executed, and that it got them. So I'm proud of that one. Makes me want to do it next year, but now I think people are going to be watching for it. It was good that I haven't done this in a while. So for a short time, a lot of people believed that Poker Fraud Alert had really been seized by the FBI. I left it this way until about 6 p.m. on April Fool's. I felt a little bit bad because there were some casual browsers and listeners to this show who really believed it and sent me nice messages saying that the, you know, if there's anything they can do to let them know, they felt bad for me. And I, I felt the same way when that daughter stuff was going on in 2008 that I also had people like congratulating me and it just felt a little bit bad knowing I was lying to them but I knew it was a very short term lie and it was based upon an established practice that people do on April Fool so I didn't feel that bad so that was fun. That was time well spent. I didn't have to put that much time into it. I put, I got, I put, put this together very quickly, and even when I had to modify the screen to make it look more realistic and clearer, that still was pretty quick. I hammered it out pretty quickly. So a good return on investment on that one. A good return on time investment. Didn't have to put a lot of effort into it, and it, it had a had the desired effect. It, it did a lot better than I thought it would. All right, that's it. No more. So check uh, pokerfraudalert.com slash Twitter. Wait. Twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert. See what's happening to me here? Twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for updates of when we're going to be on next. I'm hoping it'll be next week, but it's possible I will be busy on that Wednesday. I can't tell you right now. 
Thank you for listening, whether it's live or in the archives. We're always happy to have you on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Talk to you later. Shalom.